Welcome to the Grand Theft World podcast hosted by GrandTheftWorld.com. It's January 9th, 2022. This week's episode is titled Break the Black Mirror. And uh, we're going to hear a lot of different clips this week from a lot of different producers, but there were some major events in the past week. We had, for instance, the Supreme Court took oral arguments on whether or not vaccines, I'm sorry, uh, experimental gene therapies, as the SEC report from Moderna clearly states, it's a gene therapy, whether whether or not the gene therapies can be mandated. They're, they're talking about healthcare workers, but I have a feeling there's a yeah, there's a slippery slope there. And there were some compelling arguments on maybe one side and the other side. I don't know how their arguments connect to reality. I don't think they need their arguments to connect to reality. I don't think their arguments ever connected to reality. And that is the growing gap or chasm in this country. We're also going to uh, check out a clip from Kim Iverson on the Hill. Uh, they were talking about mass formation psychosis. There were some interesting conversations about it. Google had to work overtime. Its little gears were turning red, trying to censor things in real time as the internet was being broken by people searching up. Uh, you know, something that we covered on the show last October, but all of a sudden people were today. <laughs> due to a recent Dr. Malone interview on Joe Rogan's podcast, they want to know more about mass formation, mass formation psychosis. And then uh, also in making the news in the past week was uh, this, uh, this highway stoppage in the state of Virginia. It went on for 50 miles. It was a snow covered icy road. There was some catastrophic accidents. It backed up 50 miles of cars with families and people who were unprepared in the cold for 24 hours, including uh, a former governor of Virginia in his own state who couldn't get saved by the government. So these people who want to bring you, hey, we'll solve global warming if you give us your tax dollars, they can't even save their own in a state where that's a strong government state right there. It's right next to Washington, D.C. And for people, American citizens to be left stranded in their own country means that more people need to practice maybe some premeditated self-reliance. Uh, understand that it's not the government's job to keep you safe, to come and rescue you in these circumstances. And you may need to affect your own survival should you get uh, delayed or detained on your intended travel on your route, or maybe even get pushed off the route, maybe even have something else that happens. So um, in this week's episode, we're going to have current events. We're going to do deep dives into the contextual history. We might also learn a little bit about what it takes to survive and thrive through these situations, but you won't find out until it unfolds. For tonight's kickoff, we're going to go to Luke Bradowski from wearechange.org. He's going to tell us something that uh, Joe Rogan done, and uh, Joe Rogan is getting a lot of attention from the world right now for his, uh, his thoughts, his commentary, his interviews, a whole bunch of different angles. Let's see who's going to win in this David and Goliath battle between uh, freedom of speech and big tech uh, in the in the ring is Joe Rogan. Let's go to Luke Bradowski and we'll be right back. Now, that is an older video, but some people would call it poetry in motion. 
<laughs> and I would agree. Welcome back, beautiful and amazing human beings. This is Lukradowski here of WeAreChange.org, and we got a lot of absolutely banana news to get into, as of course it looks like the corporate media is doubling down on their own sword and dagger that they have impaled themselves on, and now it looks like they're just jumping up and down, trying to further penetrate themselves in absolutely Separate disgrace truth. and pathetic actions, that of course we're going to be talking about that, along with the great reset all in this video but of course there's a lot to get into so we're just going to jump right into it as there's a lot of fast moving information hitting the world right now especially surrounding this latest variant which could signal the end of this entire mess as the daily mail is reporting that this variant could be less lethal than the seasonal flu except for the supreme court justice sota sotamayor that literally is arguing that deaths are at an all-time high that this new variant is deadlier than the one before and has also claimed that a hundred thousand children are currently in hospitals with very serious conditions because of it the real number according to some estimates is 3,500 but as some politicians fearmonger and knowingly spread disinformation harmful made-up lies other people are, of course are being hit with the fullest brunt of internet censorship all in the name of fighting online harm as of course the likes of sota sotamayor are able to say whatever they want while other people members of congress political parties doctors scientists are of course being censored and having their speech and conversations surrounding this very important moment in recorded human history deleted from the record all as some politicians are becoming more despotic by the day like the regimes in france australia and also canada where their world leaders are literally making arguments about viewing people as non-citizens if they don't comply with their whims one of the latest victims of this absolute tyranny is the number one tennis star in the world Novak Jovic a Serbian professional tennis player that was forced to spend his Christmas at a detention facility by the Australian government that literally told him to come to their country on false pretenses, told him he was going to be allowed to enter, allowed to play, they were going to acknowledge his natural immunity, and then they lied, interrogated him, sent him to an undisclosed location, while of course taking away most of his property, detaining him for who knows how long. This, as some politicians here in the United States set their eyes towards enforcing their will onto the general public, as of course the Biden administration wants to implement a mandate that would severely impact not only social life here in the united states but also of course our financial economic situation which is already teetering on utter disaster as today we found out that iowa joined virginia and a large number of other states fighting the larger federal mandate that soon is going to be decided by the likes of sonia sotomayor it's also important to note that the same government that wants to impose their will onto you also has a hard time of actually even understanding what's going on right now as we're finding out from yahoo news that half of the hospitalizations in new york city due to this sickness were quote admitted for other reasons this is what the state data is is showing us this is again not me saying this yahoo news is saying this and also the cdc director that went on fox news just moments ago and said that the cdc will be providing new data on exactly how many of the 836,000 deaths here in the united states were actually due because of this sickness and not 
with this sickness while of course also talking about a theory that i was talking about for a while now that this latest strain will just be with us for a few more weeks now how many people actually died here well that's going to be an important marker to understand as many people have their own theories about exactly how many people did how many people had on average four comorbidities what's going to be the government's official response here what's going to be their official numbers well of course this is something we're going to be keeping track of very closely as of course the data and the numbers matter here a very important lesson especially if you're trying to get people to trust you you need to make sure that your numbers add up and if your numbers aren't adding up and if you aren't telling the truth now just jumping into our first story i think it's very fair to say that joe rogan has been absolutely obliterating the corporate media with just three hours of a podcast utterly shattering and breaking billions of dollars in marketing and messaging with the official narrative and agenda being flushed down the toilet by Mr. I'm going to take as much horse dewormer as I want, Joe Rogan, that is saying enough is enough of the corporatist statist propaganda lying to the American people. Now, my statements might be a little bit uh, sensationalistic and, and bombastic, to say the least, but uh, the, the ratings don't lie here, especially if you compare uh, the viewership, the number of people who follow Joe Rogan, and of course, the number of people who watch and follow the corporate media. Even when it comes to comparisons of Tucker Carlson, Joe Rogan is absolutely also beating Kim, who's the number one spot in all of the corporate media, in viewership. His latest interviews with Dr. Peter McCullough, Dr. Malone, who all faced very serious online censorship, has garnered with Dr. Peter McCullough alone an estimated 50 million viewers. The Malone interview is estimated to be over 40 million downloads. These are numbers that, of course, absolutely don't even compare to the corporate media now of course these are two totally different media platforms especially when it comes to television and online and platforms like spotify but comparatively it's also important to note here that that viewership on corporate boob tube television has been going down by the years it most likely will continue to go down as joe rogan provides something that of course the corporate media absolutely knows almost nothing about and that, of course, is an honest, real discussion based on the truth rather than opinion and corporate PR talking points. Jordan Peterson made this comment very concisely just by simply saying Joe Rogan beats ratings of legacy media because, quote, he doesn't lie. And let's be honest here. When you're watching uh, Joe Rogan's podcast, he's not trying to sell you something. He's not trying to convince you of something. He's not trying to come from perspective that he is the all-knowing God of everything. And when he doesn't know something, he just simply says, hey, I don't know about this. Let's let's research this. Let's look this up. And one of the major appeals to the Joe Rogan podcast is, of course, the way he's able to articulate and go through the prospects of learning something new without jumping into bias immediately because of emotional trigger issues. And he logically talks people through a somewhat of a fact-finding mission when it comes to the issues that he's discussing. This is almost the complete opposite approach of the corporate media that literally take underhanded cheap shots at him in desperate moves trying to destroy his credibility with, of course, a few weeks ago even changing the way his own videos were portrayed of himself trying to make him look 
like a green potato Frankenstein goblin on CNN as they were accusing him of taking horse medicine when, of course, he was taking medicine that was prescribed to him by a medical doctor. The same kind of medicine that, of course, is also treated many NFL players, according to Aaron Rodgers, secretly, and also, according to some medical professionals, has also treated members of Congress. Corporate media doesn't like to talk about this treatment. They attack anyone who does publicly, even though a lot of the very powerful people are personally taking it themselves. The Associated Press decided to disgrace themselves even more and said, essentially, don't believe what you see in front of your eyes. We're the objectors of truth. And according to the Associated Press, there's no evidence that CNN <laughs> manipulated the color of the video that they played on their segment. And, and obviously, Clearly, there was Joe Rogan just posted this on his Instagram page, playing, of course, the full video, which, of course, there's a big distinction between Associated Press. Nope, nothing happened. As today, the Associated Press decided to launch another Pravda-like attack on Dr. Robert Malone, saying that, quote, mass formation psychosis, a term coined by Dr. Robert Malone on the Joe Rogan podcast, is, quote, an unfound theory spreading online, suggesting that millions of people have been hypnotized into believing mainstream ideas to combat this sickness. Psychology experts say the concept is not supported by evidence. Get the facts. Are you kidding me? You have to add that here. Like, like this, this wasn't a desperate Orwellian doublespeak move already. You had to add. Get the facts. Really? Really, Associated Press? This is the same, quote, news organization that also had a headline previously before that, quote, Donald Trump is a master of hypnotism, how he used the power on America and then himself. And of course, the Associated Press didn't launch an attack piece just by themselves today. Reuters did as well. These are the two major largest kind of news aggregators that many other, quote, news organizations take and replicate and spread their message around their viewership. Reuters also has a very big conflict of interest with five as, of course, the Reuters chairman is a Pfizer investor and board member into the product that, of course, he's allegedly fairly reporting on. Now, as the corporate journalists repeat the same talking points, push the same agenda, ignore the same facts that are inconvenient towards this larger push for power and control by the very special interests that they work with and collude with. Remember, the journalists that have complied every step of the way here, that wore one masks, two masks, social distanced, took the procedure, isolated themselves, followed directions every step of the way, tell you there's no mass formation psychosis here. Yeah, you thought that was crazy? The CDC and the corporate media is trying to go after memes that, of course, expose their nonsense. Remember, memes bad the same talking points regurgitated by almost every single quote person in power in unison with of course the late night tv show host also saying them together like they were in a choir is absolutely not mass formation psychosis there is no great reset there is no build back better agenda there is no the 2030 vision as described by many top globalists there is no evisceration of your personal liberty and economic success and future there's no agenda here nothing to look at don't worry go back to watching gladiators america go back to bed america your government has it all figured out go back to bed you are free to do as we tell you you are free to do as we tell you those are of course the very famous words of bill hicks 
an absolute legend. If you haven't heard of him, definitely look him up. Check out his comedy because it is becoming more relevant than ever. And if the corporate media literally just said what he said, it would be a lot more believable than the absolute garbage that they're spewing right now to the American people. And if you agree, share this. Bill Hicks, Joe Rogan. Uh, who else is known as a comedian for speaking truth to power? George Carlin, right? So it's in recently you got Jimmy Dore. It's interesting how comedians can have a take on how society is running. And we laugh at it 20, 30 years ago. And then we come to find out that's exactly what's going on. It's a big club. You're not in it. It's the same club. They beat you over the head with you have owners. They own you that whole rant by Carlin. It's not meant to be a comedy skit. He used his platform to tell people the truth one time and people laughed at it because it makes them really uncomfortable to know the nature of their reality. The other aspect is you got this global gaslighting that he was just describing. They're like, you know, you see a pink elephant in the room and they're like, there's no pink elephant in the room. You're like, dude, it's right there and I can smell it and it's eating the peanuts off and everyone else is moving because it's there in the room. It's it's a sensible, tangible thing that can be measured. It exists in reality. It is taking up space and time. So for them to continually say it's not there leads me to believe they're probably responsible for it. They're a little embarrassed about it. And rather than take responsibility, they're lying to us. And I think people should stop buying, literally buying their lies. Their, li their, their arguments are unconvincing. They are unconnected to reality. They're dis I don't even know if they were ever connected. So I don't want to say they're disconnected because that says one point they were connected. They are not connected to reality. And people should cease to take that as factual and actual authoritative anything. It's a bunch of word salad gibberish. Next point, uh, mass formation psychosis was not coined by uh, Dr. Robert Malone on the Joe Rogan show. He simply referred to a study that came out of the University of Ghent in Belgium, one of the world's leading universities by a guy named Matthias... What is it, Tony? We covered it in October. It's Matthias Desmond. It's actually a combination there of two go. terms. One is a psychiatrist in L.A. Uh, named McDonald. And I forget his first name. I have him on the show card a couple of times. And he arrived at the same sort of conclusion that Matthias Desmond did. Uh, I psychology. So the first one is an L.A. psychiatrist, McDonald. The other one is a psychologist at the University of Ghent in Belgium named Matthias Desmond. Matthias Desmond came up with the idea of mass formation. And McDonald came up with the idea, I think he called it mass delusional psychosis. And then Peter McCullough and uh, Dr. Robert Malone, Malone came yep. together and called it mass formation psychosis. So that's where the term originated. It's a combination of the two, but independently researched on their own. They came to this these sorts of conclusions themselves and then shared their research and found out, yeah, we're pretty much on the same point with the way in which society becomes hypnotized and and goes along with um, the, the evisceration of individual rights, so forth and so on. So, you yeah. know, and if if memory serves, it was a Christy Lee interview with Dr. Robert Malone around the time that Omicron was coming out. And he in that talk talked about public hypnotism and getting them to focus on one small thing. And I said, Omicron means small. And the Omicron virus floating around is like everyone focused on one small thing. And then the other small thing you focus on is the jab to fix the virus, right? So one of those two small things, people are under a hypnotic suggestion. They're not thinking reasonably. They're not formulating their positions based on observation, inspection, 
deduction, induction, removal of contradictions, and then conclusion. They have no methodology to describe to you when you ask them, why are they in support of blank? They're just like, well, CDC or FDA or WHO, someone smarter than me told me to do this, so I'm doing it. Well, that's the same excuse the Nazis were, you know, when, hey, why are you putting those people on the train? Ah, it's my job. This came out in the Milgram experiment. This came out in Hannah Arendt's, uh, you know, the or what is it? The Origins of Totalitarianism. Uh, these various books, Eichmann in Jerusalem, mm-hmm. uh, the Amtsprache, the use of official language to make people do inhuman things. And thus, the causality was Nuremberg Code. You can't experiment on the population. You have to give them informed consent. There's 10 tenets. They have broken all 10 tenets of the Nuremberg Code throughout the past two years from the get-go. Is that accidental? Is it on purpose? We should figure it out because if it's accidental, maybe they should be replaced. If it's on purpose, that means we're at war for two years and nobody's done anything about it. You're using Ooh. the same methodology the Nazis used that it, it sort of manifested the Nuremberg Code as a result of what happened with the Nazis. So, and then on top of that, we call it the um, ad veracundium fallacy or appeal to authority. Instead of appealing to evidence an authority is citing, you appeal to said authority. As Peter being- Dazak said it was okay, Tony. No need to see anything behind the curtain. Wizard said there's nothing back there. <laughs> is that how it works? So, yeah, I mean, it's... Uh... It's a very strange world. And just so people are aware of, I'm actually doing the hosting, sort of streaming tonight. LD's actually in studio. Uh, He's behind tonight. me in the next room. Yeah. yeah. In studio Where you at, LD? You get uh, unmute. Here, here in Studio A, trying to add value in, in any way I can this evening, but mostly just happy to be along for the ride. No. Life's a ride. There you go. Phil Hicks, back to you. It was either that or he was going to be oh, uh, sorry, I forgot the in a hotel in a hotel room someplace. So I was like, stop here. It's between here and there where he's going. So in studio, good internet connection. And so, yeah, if we have any glitches in the show tonight, it's a unique show. We're it's, doing it live. It's on We're me. triggering complexity. It's on me. Like I just it's forgot on to Tony. actually put on Zoom. So I'm- Don't you try to out Jocko Willink me. I will take extreme ownership over the situation, Tony. Well, we're good. Um, so I won't be able to participate on the chats as much, Rockfin and Twitch and whatnot, uh, just because I'm going to have to keep a clean mic. Um, you don't want to hear my clicky keyboard in the back. He has a loud a keyboard. That's true. A mechanical keyboard. Nerds always have loud keyboards to let you know how nerdy they are. Yeah, that's actually true. So, but yeah. And then if I don't switch my camera back and forth, like I did for the LD, I apologize. It's because like I've missed my stream deck, but otherwise we're all good to go. And I hope if there's any issues, just let LD or myself know and we'll get them corrected. So hopefully it all goes smoothly. So. All right. So that brings us up to our next clip, which happens to be, looks like Christy Lee's media malfeasance for the week and get this trump's jab pushing will be explained in this next video so i haven't seen it yet so i'm just as curious i'm a little incredulous i would like to understand why the trumpster was pushing that uh stuff to his constituents let's check it out one of the first stories to go viral in the new year twitter booting dr robert malone off its platform just before appearing on the joe rogan podcast which gets only about 11 times more attention than CNN. And more than a million views now of his first one-on-one directly following Rogan. Free from censorship and slander, Dr. Malone was able to break down his bioethics concerns and expertise. Yep, Dr. Malone is an expert worthy to be heard from. Debate all you want about his contributions to mRNA technology but there's no denying his about 100 scientific publications with over 12,000 citations of his work and serving on HHS and Department of Defense committees. All censorship has served to do in the case of these doctors is wake people up. 
So you'd say you've been red pilled? Uh, in like multidimensional red pill. <laughs> Now, each week, I'm bringing you what's ignored, sensationalized, unbalanced, misleading, or just plain false, but I'm happy to point out when the news gets it right. Local 12 out of Cincinnati put out this article. Calls ring out for Fauci to debate virologist after Rogan podcast appearance. Rightfully free from unnecessary adjectives and giving credit where credit is due. The article does not ignore his commentary about mass formation, the theory for why some aren't looking more critically at the data and attacking others. And it even closes with the context. The eerie emails between Dr. Fauci and former NIH director Francis Collins collaborating on how to squash opposing viewpoints. And reporting old news as new, here's CNN. People who are overweight or obese are at a much higher risk of much more severe disease and even death from COVID-19. And one new study suggests that losing weight can reduce that risk. Except the first study mentioned is from August 2020. The article acknowledges the obesity epidemic has been a threat to Americans' health for years. It's the second leading cause of preventable death after smoking. But how many of the public officials, including Lord Fauci, have been pushing better health in order to save lives? but they sure didn't mind pushing free donuts to get the jab. Get in my belly! The irony wasn't lost, with Twitter users saying, nearly half of Americans gained weight during the lockdowns with an average gain of 29 pounds. By closing things down, we actually might have increased the risk, including closing gyms. And while Biden continues to pill push for Pfizer and try to force injections, missing from the mainstream, pointing out conflicts of interest. There are many. But how about this example? Pfizer and others donated millions to Biden's inaugural. Could this be the same reason Trump stays loyal to the shots? He also received $1 million from Pfizer to help finance his inauguration, according to documents filed with the U.S. Federal Election Commission. Speaking of conflicts of interest, the Pointer Institute came out with another doozy of an article this week. You know, the place that touts itself as a global leader in journalism, that champions free expression and dialogue, yet tries to shut down dialogue with its politifact, only targeting voices it disagrees with. Right. Oh, and funded in part by none other than Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, the National Endowment for Democracy, and George Soros. The headline, want to keep journalists from quitting? Invest in them now. It says the U.S. Department of Labor shows four and a half million people quit their jobs in November. And job listing website Indeed saw journalism job postings increase by 35% from August 2020 to August 21. The reason? Journalists want more training. Right. Right. And the week wraps up with MSM treating January 6th like a memorial holiday. They continue to call it an insurrection. Never mind, no one has been charged with that. There's nothing to celebrate about January 6th. The rioting should never have happened. But here are some things to never forget about that day. The way media has tried to inflate the number of deaths that day while ignoring the one death authorities confirm, an unarmed veteran, Ashley Babbitt, shot by Capitol Police. The glossing over of media mistakes, like claiming an officer was bludgeoned with a fire extinguisher, an outright lie. The lack of interest in FBI involvement and an instigator mysteriously not charged, Ray Epps. We are going to the Capitol. And have we all forgotten about the pipe bombs? 
The FBI has been able to trace and track down all involved, except for this person, plenty to never forget. And that's your media malfeasance for the week. For KLIM, I'm Christy Lee. Very well played, Christy. You got two Austin Powers jokes in there. That was, that was <laughs> very well played. I, I admire the, uh, the sense of humor about the situation because we have to have some levity in these situations uh, in order to not uh, overthink uh, and, and you know, it helps us keep our balance and it helps us not to sink. That's also important. All right. So um, we're getting into the Fauci flu and the Wuhan crew section of this. It also includes includes SARS-CoV-2, but that's too much rhyming for you. Scientists study and kill infectious bats in risky research. Will the NIH spur another pandemic? This is the first of, uh, I think, two Kim Iverson clips in tonight's show. This is not the one I mentioned in the intro. This is the one about them playing with the bats. In National Geographic's recent documentary, Virus Hunters, an American band of researchers risked their lives in search of bats carrying Ebola in an abandoned mine shaft. One professor in the movie acknowledges how the researchers risked their lives due to the exposure to aerosolized urine, feces, and bat blood, which they're exposed to when they kill the animals in the anti-outbreak efforts. But as The Intercept's investigative reporter Sharon Lerner writes, it's not clear how spending a robust amount of research dollars on tracking down virus-infected wildlife in remote locations and then bringing them into labs has helped us prepare for our current crisis. Some scientists warn that any ongoing pursuit of deadly viruses that have yet to infect people may actually be more likely to set off the next pandemic and could have, in fact, led to this one. Sharon Lerner joins us now to expand on this. Welcome. Bring me. Hi. And so what... what uh, what, what led you to explore this particular story? Because I found it a, a fascinating way to tie together a lot of different threads have, that have been out there in, in various places, but that haven't been connected in one place. Yeah, well, a lot of the discussion of origins in the, of the pandemic has focused recently on uh, gain-of-function research, which is, and I've been on the show to talk about that, and that's the kind of, you know, dangerous research where you're tweaking viruses, making mutant viruses, and enhancing them. And we had actually done this FOIA of NIH that produced documents that showed that uh, that under the a grant provided by NIAID, the EcoHealth Alliance was involved in in that kind of research, and we wrote about that, but. Through that FOIA, we actually received a ton of other documents showing the kind of breadth of research that that was involved in that grant and in many others that uh, EcoHealth Alliance received and other groups uh, have received from various agencies that are trying to um, characterize kind of the universe of of potentially dangerous viruses out there. And as I began to talk to scientists about this, I realized, you know, these these particular experiments that we wrote about, they do present a risk and, and a real risk that is important to talk about, but there's actually a huge range of, of dangers um, that this kind of research entails. And I wanted to kind of dig into it and and acknowledge that, you know, while we're kind of still trying to figure out what happened 
leading up to this pandemic and what happened under, we've now kind of focused in on this one particular grant, this one particular experiment to kind of realize that um, we're still funding <laughs> this research all over the world. We've actually increased our funding for it. And we should be thinking not just about how, you know, how the origins of this particular pandemic, but whether this ongoing research presents risks as we move forward. How much recognition is there from government officials that there are risks to doing this? It's one thing for them to say, well, there are risks, but we think it's worth it. It's another to just pretend there aren't any risks or to, or to downplay them or to keep the public misinformed about them. So how much, you know, how much concern is, you know, is being expressed within these agencies? It's hard to say. Um, you know, they they didn't NIH didn't respond to um, us for this story, um, but you can tell within the communications that we received through our FOIA that there there's both concern, you know, and they're trying to um, carry out the law by by basically, you know, they're they're required to monitor the biosafety of these projects. But it's also clear from the communications that they're failing to do that. So we have these um, emails that show that in 2021, in the summer of 2021, so not long ago, a few months ago, there's still, NIH is still trying to get documents to figure out what was going on under this uh, back coronavirus grant in terms of biosafety in Wuhan in 2019. So we're two years into the pandemic and they're saying, wait, what happened? And can, we're still trying to get audits and monitoring, you know, biosafety reports and all these things that they don't end up getting. Um, and you can tell from, from this exchange that, you know, they, the NIH uh, official who, whose name is Lauer says to Peter Daszak, who's the president of EcoHealth Alliance, he says, look, if you don't provide these documents, we're, you know, we're entitled to withhold funding from you, but that doesn't happen. And in fact, uh, EcoHealth Alliance got in another grant to do very much the same research. So on the one hand, they're saying, you know, we're going to try to pursue this. And I should say that, um, that HHS ha did launch an audit on the very same day that they released funding for the new grant to EcoHealth Alliance. Uh, they also launched an audit into the oversight of this grant, which it is, uh, as far as I know, has not been concluded. I mean, they wouldn't really have any motivation actually to research this too much, right? They, they don't want to, they don't really want to link the pandemic back to some scientific research because scientists love their research, their labs, their experiments. And I don't think they're, they're really inclined to uh, find evidence to potentially then shut it down. My question is why, why are these scientists going after these bats? What are they hoping to look for? I mean, we have, we know about Ebola. Are they trying to, do there, is, are there not enough samples in a lab and they need another sample in a lab or what are they doing? So there are kind of two main justifications for this that you see in, in the grant applications. One of them is, you know, we need to know what's out there so we can prepare. So we can kind of look and see where the hotspots are. They, they, the idea is to, 
map out the, the potential universe of unknown viruses, figure out where the hotspots are and prevent the jump from animal wildlife into humans. And, and the idea is that somehow we can use this information to make drugs and vaccines. Um, but on, and the other justification before I go on to undermine or, you know, calling into question that one is, and this is sort of more a sotto voce kind of uh, justification is that is sort of the biodefense uh, justification. And and I should note that a lot of this funding comes from the Department of Defense and and or it comes from NIAID, which is part of NIH, but, but as um, in an effort to prevent bioterrorism. And, and the idea is that, look, if someone is going to be doing this research and finding these incredibly dangerous viruses, well, we should know about it. And essentially, it should be us as opposed to another country that might use it against us. Right, and so then go ahead, what, what's wrong with the, the first argument? You well, were going to cut well, that to pieces. But, right, I was, <laughs> what I was going to say is that, you know, we have seen that it didn't prepare us in terms of, you know, collecting lots and lots of information about basically every potentially dangerous virus that is out there. First is a massive undertaking. And second, the viruses are constantly emerging. It's virtually impossible to keep up with that. And, but what most of the scientists said to me, the reason it's like impossible, you know, it's very almost impossible for it to be useful is that there are just too many viruses. So if you get, you know, you're gonna sequence thousands and thousands of viruses, you have this information, you don't know which one to, prepare a vaccine for or pre prepare a drug for. And what's more, you're not gonna actually prepare a vaccine for something that hasn't infected people yet because that involves testing on people and you wouldn't put them at that risk if it isn't you know, already in people. And, and the other thing that, that people pointed, researchers pointed out to me is that, you know, if, we can show the ineffectiveness of prevent, pre predicting and preventing pandemics in that this work was underway in Wuhan, which is the very place where the pandemic emerged. So here they are, you know, focusing on this very thing in Wuhan and were unable to prevent or predict the pandemic that emerged right there. Right. So at, at the very best, they were unable to prevent it. And at worst, their research actually produced it. Exactly. Not ideal. Yeah. Not ideal at all. Sharon, uh, no. thank you so much for joining us. Not ideal. Not ideal at all. Thank you, Ryan, over at the Hill with that. I don't know. Is that milk toast? Is that the definition? Uh, we're talking about Dazak and Fauci and these guys covering up the fact that they were doing the thing that's out there and if not the thing things just like it from the same area that yet to be have yet to be uh fleshed out with evidence because dazak went in and helped to make sure the evidence wasn't there to be uh collected i mean the the wuhan lab deleted data from their site starting in september 2019 no easily and then you can start to follow the the causality trail from there 
And then Dazx, the first person to come out and say it's a zoonautical origin and nothing to see here. And he wrote the fake paper in the Lancet that they had to like retract and apologize for. And then he got busted with his FOIA emails. And then Fauci got busted with his FOIA emails. And for people who are literate and can read and can think through causality, it's clear what's going on. And the people who disagree with that are the people who haven't reviewed it, haven't read it, haven't weighed that evidence against the BS official narrative. That's the chasm. It's creating civil war. Yeah, if we if we let go of all the different potential issues surrounding the the smoking guns, let's talk about the glycoprotein one twenty. You know, the HIV sort of insert, the ferrin cleavage. We're talking about the inserts, CGG, CGG, all the various inserts, not uh, just the mutations no. that don't happen in nature, but the let's, inserts that also don't happen in let's nature. Let's talk about the ostensible Where research they're for? doing. Like, the, so the thing they're trying to research is the potentially the thing that might cause the pandemic, but they still have a right to do. So zoonotic risk, you know, trying to take viruses from the environment, from animal wet reservoirs, and then understand them and do these, you know, chimeric laboratory tests where they try to find how it becomes more infectious, utilizing things like humanized mice, mice with sort of human cell structures. I mean, it just, it's, you're just begging, uh, you're tempting nature at that point. You're tempting fate. I would the say. only question that needs to be asked at those funding meetings is, uh, Dr. Fauci, uh, in the past, or ha has there been now or has there been ever uh, a case where an epidemic was stopped from going to pandemic level and being global because of this research and gain of function? Because that's the alleged goal. That woman asked, what's the goal of them doing this? And they're playing like, he's no, th these people are playing cards, uh, you know, and they're gambling with other people's lives. And they're actually step up a level. They're playing God with other people's lives. And now getting close to mandating people have to take a gene therapy experimental gene if that's therapy. experimental gene therapy if that's not close to who you are because it's in your dna now it's there forever it can't be removed you know when they were comparing in the supreme court arguments the other day i'll hand it to them supreme court justices several of them are very well thought out and observant and seem to have a good process and i'm willing to listen right but there was a couple instances the other day where it's just so obvious that the official narrative doesn't make sense and what they're trying to do is across a certain line of freedom and it's being forced on people and uh i don't think it's good but some of the arguments were just horrendous like they say well we have other mandated processes in place like hand washing well if i wash my hands it doesn't last the rest of my life and possibly mess up my immune system so it's like their ability to say, well, we have these other things that we mandate and then just throw in experimental gene therapy and act like it's OK. I'm like, really? Under an emergency really? use authorization, too. Well, uh, God bless her. But I think it was Elena Kagan said this whole thing. Was it was it Kagan or was it Sotomayor? I guess it was maybe Sotomayor who said this. There was there were several false statements like like 100 yards outside the field. False. Like it's so far out of bounds. We lost the ball with that one. We got to get a new ball because you're just so far out of the park. Like those comments coming from people of their statute, uh, like stature of power was very disappointing because I was like, who's there? Are they just watching CNN? Is that the best that they can do is like inaccurate information from two years ago that they're repeating? Uh, it, that didn't. Well, and I, I could I mean, kind of blame that on their, on their clerks and their staff around them. Like sure. they don't have smart people apparently around them helping them in those situations. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, they might be well understood in like court 
procedural processes and all those sorts of things. I can understand that, but they don't have relevant information. When you try to equate the relative risk of something like washing one's hands with an experimental gene therapy under emergency use authorization, uh, that's that's. I think uh, that's known a as false the equivalency uh, fallacy. By the way, it's another the fallacy. Murray Gell-Mann effect, uh, as defined by <laughs> Michael Gell-Mann. Crichton yeah, and, Michael and his. Yeah. So, uh, uh, wet streets cause rain. They get mm-hmm. the causality backwards because yeah, they're expert sort of like in one area, but, but when they have to yeah. look at another area of study, they're completely kind of helpless. Correct. Right. Okay. And then, yeah. and then we had the Melkin Institute. Let's just go back a little bit. We had the whole Melkin Institute where they're talking about needing the, they need something to modernize vaccines. The modern well, Rick Bright from BARDA said, you know, that, that, wouldn't it be great if they could just circumvent all these rules to bring this mm-hmm. gene therapy, mRNA technology to the people. And oh, they were kind of like, wringing their hands, hoping for, oh, if there was just a situation where we could do this, it'd be great. And it would solve all these problems. It was like, you know what it was like, Tony? It was like the Council on Foreign Relations publication from 1998 and the, 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 the following document, Project for a New American Century, Rebuilding America's Defenses. Like that PNAC document says, if only a new Pearl Harbor would happen, we could do all these things, right? And that came from the CFR article. It was written by the same authors, Zelikow, John Deutsch, and Ashton Carter. Well, John Deutsch was who Mike Rupert accused of CIA drug running. Ashton Carter became Secretary of Defense afterwards. And F- Philip Zelikow came to the yeah, 9-11 oh Commission God, with could, a pre-concocted yeah. narrative and said, fit the research to this. Correct. So yeah. I trust those guys. The top-down approach, when I call it the prescriptive approach. Yeah, that's going to work quite yeah. well. Zelikow also wasn't he um, sort of? Uh, he, you like, know what his his uh, his big work was prior to nine eleven. Contracted also for the COVID nineteen cover up. But go ahead, sorry. Yes, he was yes. COVID nineteen cover up. But but my point was, his work was, I shit you not, creating public myths. Thank you. Good night. We're done. You know, we're part of mythos now and the rhetorical scheming. The guy who is the guy whose work was how to create public myths was charged with 9-11 commission investigation. And now he's getting handed some COVID well, investigation. Yeah, he did a good job with uh, coming up with some public myths in order to justify. First of all, in order to give it's a- like seeing Robert Downey Jr. play blackface and Tropic Thunder. Like the, at no time do you confuse him for someone of color. <laughs> And yet he keeps going. <laughs> and that's funny because it's a comedy movie, but these other people were doing it in real life. It's not no, funny. That's true. That's true. All right, let's go to one more clip and then we got a special guest. Okay. Uh, what clip would you like to play? We have a short clip, Harrison Smith, the Forest crew trying to be a comedian. And then we also have, we want to skip down to the next section. We have more Mark Gaddafi saying some pretty interesting things during a UN speech in 2009. This would be in the vaccine section, vaccine lockdowns, therapeutics. All right, so we can go with the Gaddafi clip, mm-hmm. but I want to preface it like this because I haven't seen it. That man, he died in a horrific fashion. And if you're not familiar with it, that's a bit of history mm-hmm. right there. His son was being groomed, still is to this day, I believe, by the people who killed his dad. He was in Britain studying with uh, Joseph Nye international relations with like the the Cecil Rhodes people. Yeah, that's correct. Right? So like yeah. uh, and that also happened with Steve Biko. His son ended up working with the establishment that killed his, uh, their uh, their dads. So there's that aspect. And then Benny Wills had done a video where before he was doing the Parhesia course and his meme show, he was doing readings of various uh people who were controversial. One of the readings 
that he did was of Muammar Gaddafi. And uh, it's a real contrast to what we're told here in America through the media, right? So if, and there was another one to Benny's credit on Sirhan Sirhan. He read a letter from Sirhan Sirhan. And when you consider these alternative views, these, these taboo characters in our society and what they had to say, there might be a little more weight to what they're saying. Maybe that's why they were kind of incarcerated in, in the first place, right? That, you know, and, and, uh, and taken out in some cases throughout various uh, examples, not just those two. But um, yeah, Gaddafi, for his people, there's, there's uh, accounts from Americans who were living in Libya during that time yeah. who like worked with U.S. military contractors and they had moved their whole business over there. For them... For Americans like from like Arkansas or Kentucky or someplace like that, that have moved their business over, small business owners, to describe what it was like and then what happened to that country. And it was the globalists that did it. Uh, it's, it's worth noting because the people doing that to those other countries now have the whole world in their focus. 208 countries, I think, are doing all this sort of mandates, lockdowns, changing of rights mass wealth redistribution all in lockstep that's correct yeah it's, not accidental it's, it's uh, not incompetence that's right i mean we we covered this back in 2010 when all this went down and we went over one of the un uh metrics for sort of how well a country is doing in terms of uh education in terms of welfare for the state in terms of cleanliness all these sorts of metrics they use and they were very much <clears throat> very very high up on the list um, as far as uh, how far they were progressing and so far as uh, a state is concerned. And of course, we know what happened with them. So I'm going to see if I can bring up that old research. I actually presented that back when Afghanistan was going on, what we presented during back 10 years ago during the original color, one original, but the 2010s version of color revolutions, if you will. The, the Twitter revolutions back yeah, then. The Twitter revolutions, yeah, they, yeah, which are all yeah. CIA funded. Yeah, exactly. So, and uh, I'll bring that back up because I presented it when Afghanistan was going down. This is when you were in Florida and I had to do some hosting. Um, but I want to bring that back up now, especially in light of what he's already about to say. And then we'll we'll get our special guest on here. So let's go to what Mormor Gaddafi had to say, and then we'll we'll jump right into it. So, Band up video. <laughs> See. Basically, Gaddafi. Tony has to talk and push buttons tonight. It's yeah, fun to watch, right? <laughs> oh, this is kind of funny. Just LD's quit. chilling back there. He should have like some hot chocolate and just sit back and, and watch, watch watch this go watch on. This whole thing. It puts the needle in its skin. It puts it in whenever it's told. I'm a pure blood. I don't want the jab. I won't take the vax. It puts the needle in its skin, or else it gets the pink slip. <laughs> it puts the needle in its skin. You can't make me take it! Please! Please don't! It puts the needle in its skin! I had 
hadn't seen this before, but I, I, I know that it had been going around since December. It is a Gaddafi speech, a Muammar Gaddafi speech from the UN in 2009. So this was before uh, Hillary Clinton murdered him or she bragged about how they killed him as if she was there doing it. It was all a setup. But it was Gaddafi at the UN in 2009. And there was viral images and, and this viral video, which I'll play here in a second, just so you can see it. So you can see the video that went viral that's been seen millions of times in the last year, starting in December. So really just last month, I guess, it just for whatever reason in December, just kind of blew up and went viral, like what's old is new. So it's Muammar Gaddafi talking about how, how, how viruses are going to be created in labs and released so that vaccine manufacturers can make profits. And so, but, but there's a catch to this. So let me just play the video that went viral and, and you, you can just see the, the screen capture. He's, he's speaking in Arabic, but you can see the, 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 the translation beneath it. So just roll this video real quick, guys. Clip six. I believe there will be many viruses in the future. Companies are working hard to create them, especially private intelligence agencies. It's obvious that it's a business because the vaccinations are so expensive. They create a virus that they spread around the world so the capitalistic companies can make massive profits. How is it possible? Okay, so it goes on for like another 30 seconds. And it's pretty much the same thing. Now, I went and I looked at about four or five different sources of this on YouTube to see because, and I, and I went and checked these accounts the best I possibly could, but it was accounts in Africa, just, just users in Africa saying that the translation is accurate. Now, when you go and you look at fact checkers, because you know the fact checkers, they say that, oh, it's, they don't, they don't say it's false, they say it's, it's uh, what, what is the word they use? A misrepresentation or misleading, I think. is the Oh, it's misleading. And so, okay. Now, this is what the UN claims is the actual quote. Now, again, people that speak Arabic, I went to the channels on YouTube. They're clearly speaking Arabic in their videos, and they're commenting on the videos on YouTube saying this is an accurate translation. But here's what the UN officially claims he said on their, on their transcript. Today, there is swine flu. Perhaps tomorrow, there will be fish flu. Because, it is, because sometimes we produce viruses by controlling them. It is a commercial business. Capitalist companies produce viruses so that they can generate and sell vaccinations. That is a very shameful and poor ethics. Vaccinations and medicine should not be sold. Medicine should be free of charge and vaccinations given free to children. But capitalist companies produce the viruses and vaccinations and want to make a profit. So... And, and there's some, it goes on from there, but that, that's, that's the steak and potatoes right there. So, okay, either way, basically Gaddafi accurately predicted COVID-19. And so you can say, oh, it's misleading or, oh, it's not entirely true or, oh, he didn't mention COVID-19 and that's true. He talks about making a virus in a lab and then the same groups responsible for making the virus then profiting off the vaccines of the virus. That is 100% what happened with COVID, 100% right. And so now you start to see why they killed Gaddafi, don't you? Just like, oh, what, what, what were the countries where they had the presidents that weren't doing vaccines? What was it, Haiti and others? And, and countries in Africa 
So you had like three presidents with, with two countries in Africa and I think Haiti that weren't doing the vaccines, assassinated, dead last year. Oh, and here's Gaddafi, who actually wanted to unite Africa. And then there's Hillary laughing about how they assassinated him. The guy that tried to unite Africa and Hillary laughs about killing him. I guess now we know why. Gaddafi warned the world about COVID-19 and the power grab coming from it. I like that Owen tried to do some authentication on that clip because my first question is, is it authentic? Is he really saying that? Is that his real voice? Because we've had to do this on other clips in this show in the past two years or in the past. How long has it been? It's only been a year, right? Jeez. I was thinking this two years ago. But yeah, the uh, the there was a president from like Ghana who had made these criticisms and he talked about Rockefeller and lockstep and all these sort of things. But then people said his voice didn't match up with the, the audio and that it's probably a fake clip and it, there's psychological warfare going on out there. There are people who are making clips just to like get the other side and to troll the other side. So we have to do our due diligence and we can't react emotionally like, Oh, this is the smoking gun. That is a worthy piece of evidence. Uh, it's a piece of evidence worthy of consideration here at the table for sure. Cause it sounds like he did say those things in what context they say them. Like if he knows that there's, big companies making viruses to sell vaccines and that's huge animal industry same places to make the vaccines for us make the vaccines for the animals livestock vaccination is a big corporate thing so it is potentially possible that they did these things in the animal world and then they're like hey why are we stopping animals why don't we just bring that over to the human domain and cha-ching Pfizer goes from 40 billion to 80 billion like that and all these sort of other things happen so it's not without the, you know it's not outside the realm of consideration I guess. Um, but we'll, we'll table that. Maybe we'll get the perspectives of our guests. Tonight, we have a special guest here. Uh, she's the co-host of the Propaganda Report and the Drive Out Drive Time News Hour, right? And uh, she is here with her ex-corporate uh, career behind her, having successful, successfully stepped away and uh, has made a mark for herself over the past 10 years plus, I think it's been, Monica Perez. Monica, how are you doing this evening? I'm great, Richard. How are you? I am doing wonderfully well. Thank you for asking. We had you on the schedule for the past two months. <laughs> yeah. how, how did your Christmas and New Year's go? Everything was very good. I went to see my mom, who's old as the hills in New York, and she's just I expected all the old people to be like my mom. She's like, I don't know. God's up in his heaven. And, you know, we all got to die. I think I've done my time, to be honest with you. So she then when I was but I live in L.A. now. So when this whole COVID thing came down, I would just targeted the old people. And I was like, can you believe this? And they were just like, stay away. I was like, oh, my gosh, don't you know what's coming? How old are you? Like, it's coming for you one way or another. So it's super fun to see my mom and uh, I'll miss her when she's gone. But she's not going any anytime soon. And she thinks that this is all uh, just another war. And what do you think? Do you think it's just another war? Do you think it's a special type of war? Do you think it's silent weapons for quiet wars? What do you think? I think it's definitely a war. I think it's World War Three for sure. And I know I, we've talked about this. The report from Iron Mountain makes it very clear that they wanted a substitute for war that worked better than war. And the one thing they thought war really could not do very well was kill sick and old people. It killed young and healthy people, which was like the number one, the only thing that could be improved about war as the foundation for society was that they also talked about how 
we needed a substitute for war um, that would both keep people loyal to their national governments, which I, I was always a little confused about. I felt like that was for control, but also justify global government by being something that could not be contained by borders. And they had a lot of examples um, and they said, we were, we're not going to use the one that we think is best. We're not going to tell you about that because it, we, we were probably going to use that one, but this was in the sixties. And there actually a lot of, I mean, you already saw the kind of suspicious looking flu and COVID stuff, uh, flu and vaccine stuff coming up like as early as the 70s was that 60 Minutes report on the woman who had Guillain-Barre from the swine flu vaccine. And they immediately pulled the vaccine like we just weren't ready for that kind of damage. But I think that it's it is a war like that um, in that you can read about how they ginned up World War One and World War Two. You can read how they prolonged the agony and you can see how society, culture, and the economy all changed from before to after the war in really profound ways. A lot of the old people were still there, but they were irrelevant because they just weren't, you know, of the present, of the new present. So like, I'm, I'm my mom now, right? I'm a relic. I will be a relic having remembered meat space. You're bringing up books from the 60s. Oh, geez. All Sorry, right, so, I know that. No, no, that's no. I, I have to. I have to embrace that. I've. I've been. Well, I've been reading. I'm right there for with decades. you, kiddo. Yes, I know. What I the, know. Uh, so, so I think uh, report from Iron Mountain was published like around 1967, and it was Leonard Lewin who took credit for it as like a satire piece. And he's with Yale, and there's nothing to see there. They don't have an in institute for human relations or anything like that. They don't run propaganda operations and these sort of things, or, or, or you know, they don't get used by. Uh, the nonprofit foundations and intelligence agencies as a cloak or a, a condom or a prophylactic <laughs> Yale, for their work. Yale yeah. of all places. I mean, Yale was founded with uh, East India Company opium money from Elihu Yale. And I don't think it ever separated from the milieu from where it started. Right. Yeah. So that, that is what it is. So I would take say I wouldn't offer um, the, I wouldn't offer a report from Iron Mountain as a piece of evidence, but it is a piece of context right. that well, I am familiar with. It and it does go it. well with a lot of other real pieces of evidence. And it explains, you know, it's a it explains it so well that even if it isn't actually true, it's true in that clearly they 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 think about these things. So the answer when I say to people, well, look at event 201 or look at the 10 other things that are like event 201. It was like, well, they scenario plan for everything. That's what they do. They spend all their time scenario planning. Right. It's bullshit when you yeah. dig into the nitty gritty. Yeah. But but OK. So they're constantly scenario planning. This is completely consistent with what they do. And maybe they didn't do it one time with all 15 people in a room talking about restructuring society from the bottom up. But every element of that was very sophisticated. And then who was that big time Harvard economist, big, big guy who's uh, not like physically, but he was a historian and economist. And he said, I was in on it. So, um, you know, you can say it wasn't real, but it was effectively real. And Prouty said the same thing. He was like, I don't know if that was real, but that's what they do. Yeah. So. Yeah. And there's a long, long history of those sort of things. And then there's um, there's other pieces of like, I don't want to call it evidence. Let's call it artifact uh, like Bill Cooper's behold a pale horse. Right. So there's yeah. a mixture of there's some real things going on, but not everything in that book is real. And that whole story doesn't make sense. And there's a lot of questions around those sort of things. Right. So the early birds to these types of topics, they go to Barnes and Noble and that's a book they would carry. Like, you know, they'll carry something, um, you know, a report from Iron Mountain or or behold a pale horse. 
and people will get they'll they'll dig in. Oh, what's being hidden from me? Oh, it doesn't really make any sense. And they bounce off of it. Right. Whereas if you had other books more prominently available that people could get a gleaning of the, you know, you can have various timelines associated with 9-11. Oh, this is interesting. There's all these contradictions in these timelines are going on. Right. How did the insider trading happen? How did Willie Brown mayor from San Francisco get a warning? Who warned him? Who warned Dick Gregory? Who warned these people not to fly? Was it Osama bin Laden and Mohammed Atta? Were they making calls like, hey, we like your comedy. <laughs> we don't want you to fly. You know, now who's doing these things? And um, when you get into asking the questions, the story and narrative is much deeper than the cartoonish caricature that the American public buys into hook, line and sinker because they're looking for daddy government to protect them from the bad guys. And if we just go bomb those caves over there and get all that lithium, everything's going to be all right. Or if we just give them some tax dollars to, to pay off Mother Nature, she'll stop global warming. Right. And the way I think of it, it's childish. The thing that I think is also like once the scales fall from your eyes of this, it's also ridiculous to think that what you see is what you get about the power structure in this country and the way that I always try to make people visualize it. Say Warren Buffett gave Obama so, somehow or another, like, didn't he? He really supported him in winning the presidency. And my, I ask people to visualize Warren Buffett sitting at the end of his bed, watching the TV on his dresser, wondering what Obama's going to do next. And, and I just think that's not how it works. And it also doesn't work that, that Warren Buffett has a son. I think his son actually worked at Archer Daniels Midland when they had that big scandal or whatever it was. And he kind of got escaped unscathed, but they don't. They, I he have that ADM book around. Here oh someplace. yeah. Like it's called the, the civil case or it's called something like that. Yeah. Civic matter or something like that. Um, and just for clarification, you're talking about the same Warren Buffett that's in the Franklin cover up book and named as one of the people. Oh, was he in that? I read that. But was he in that? Not the not the Nick Bryant one. Right. That's, that's recent, the one I read. But the, so the I read John DeCamp, the, the John DeCamp book, original uh, one where the guy yeah. he also knew about Columbine. Right. The same guy. I have it right here. I think it's towards the end of the book, too. Sorry. Maybe but, I missed that with yeah, the Warren Buffett in that book. And I don't know why it wasn't on my radar, but yeah, I, there's but a I feel hunter. Like there's a Hunter Thompson reference. Can I see yeah, the yeah, cover? Yeah. Is that the black book yeah. with the white? Well, maybe by, mine's black. Yeah. It's by Senator John DeCamp. I'll just put it on book camp for you. The one I read was by a lawyer. Uh, yeah, I don't I think John the DeCamp Franklin cover up. That is the book that I read. For yeah. sure. I mean, it kind yeah. of had the same. And let me see if I can get this zoomed in properly in here there's definitely uh warren buffett accusations because we oh, right there's here. a couple of them yeah in the sort of center of the book the page 148 mm -hmm. they talk about one of king sorry one of larry king he was a republican guy, yeah not, right not right. the cnn news guy no, I one know. of his earliest boosters he, he was the wife of, yeah. of berkshire hathaway's warren buffett and Where then he gets okay so okay got the, it check this out Buffett favors the multiplication of money, but not people. He contributes to groups advocating, advocating radical population reduction. His Warren Buffett Foundation lists hundreds of thousands of dollars in grants to Negative Population Council, Council the Association for Voluntary Sterilization, Planned Parenthood, the Population Council, and the Population Institute, the Sex Information and Education Council, the Negative Population Growth Members, according to the group's literature, quote, believe that a 
drastic reduction in total population size represents the only viable option consistent with human survival, end quote, right? So he's a eugenicist depopulations guy who then is involved in this story and it's, it's pretty seedy. So I'm not going to. Wow. It, really? Right? It, oh, yeah. I mean, that is a seedy story, but I didn't know he had anything to do with that. Wow. So was he one of the people interfering with children in that book? According to that book? That's how his name gets brought up. Wow. Yeah, I think he here. Has ties here's the to... Hunter Thompson reference right here. The snuff pornography films. And this is named by one of the, uh, the victims. Yeah. And then Offutt Air Force Base, where they were sexually victimized. Offutt is the headquarters of Strategic Air Command. Offutt is also where Bush flew on 9-11. Offutt is also where Warren Buffett was having his last annual golf tournament on the morning of 9-11. And Ann Tatlock, the CEO of Fiduciary Trust, occupant of World Trade Center 2, where the explosion happened. So she's with Buffett when her office blows up. I'm sure this is all just coincidental and that these accusations <laughs> made by these victims have nothing to do with Warren Buffett. But, but he's all throughout like this book. People like that who get away with that stuff, who are close to the president. And then I want to talk about a little bit about the population thing. But my just the, to put a. Um, point on that last comment I was making was that I they this is an intergenerational wealth power mm -hmm. thing. So I mean it's perfect uh, kind of ghetto material where these guys are passing on to their children stuff that we don't get to know. Like Warren Buffett isn't sitting there with his son trying to figure out what school he could get into and trying to guess what, what would be a good fit for you and would you be happy? And you know, what's a nice place to live there. And maybe the kid isn't going to get in line, but he's, he can definitely tell the kid what to do, where to go. And if he goes and doesn't like it, he can get him through it and whatever. So these are, and they know, so that's a big difference and they plan and they know the long game, the very long game, uh, but as far as the population control thing, which is, I think, at the heart of what we're talking about right now, and especially not just just the COVID thing, but the whole World Economic Forum thing and the fact that that little paragraph about Warren Buffett could also apply to Bill Gates. These are the people who are behind the vaccines, the people Buffett who are groomed Gates. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So so if you're you know, why is their goal so clearly not only population control, but they're also withdrawing fossil fuels. So somebody showed me a graph once of the exponential growth in wealth over the past hundred years or something like that. And the person was trying to convince me that it was because of fiat money. Hmm. <laughs> and I said, I don't, I don't really know. Like, I, I don't think so. But uh, first of all, you, anyone who talks about sustainability should not be happy with that, that artificial method of growth and now MMT, whatever. But I said, I look at that and I see oil. I see oil behind that chart because there's a chart like that when they discovered uh, sperm whales. So Lamp oil, yeah. Yeah, so when they could get the really good sperm whale oil and it was huge and a lot of it, it really changed things. And I, so when I saw that kind of last hundred years, I thought of oil. And now I was reading an article in the Wall Street Journal last week about Larry Fink. So he's this finance guy who runs BlackRock. And I think, is it like, I mean, I think it might be 10, it's like trillions of dollars under management, something like that. It's the largest money manager in the world. And so anybody who wants their company put in his stock funds, and those are the biggest companies in the world, 
if he says follow the ESG standards or you don't get financing, they're going to follow the ESG standards. And all they really care about is this carbon, carbon reduction, carbon dioxide, whatever. They want to get rid of fossil fuels. But in my mind, the fossil fuels are the source of this great wealth that, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but just theoretically, let's just say they're the source of the, the wealth that makes like the miserable existence of a peasant great. Like compared to my ancestors in Ireland, like it's amazing. Just even from my youth, I don't have like mosquito bites. I have air conditioning, you know, it's just like great. And I feel like it's that it's to be able to have this endless source of energy. I mean, except for extraction and transportation that, that does cost, but really it's amazing. And they really want to get rid of that. And I feel like it goes hand in hand with the population thing. And I had to ask myself why. And I, I, I found myself kind of wondering if, have you ever heard of Richard Poe? I think his name is, is I know had never heard of him, but somebody sent me an, an hour long interview of him. He wrote a book that America is just Britain's bitch and that we do all their military stuff, but they are still behind the scenes. And if you go back and look at what makes them tick, and if you go back and look at the World War One book, I forget what it's called, but it's by the same guys who did Prolonging the Ag Agony. I think it's called Hidden History, The Secret Origins of World War One. Oh, you got that. Yeah. yeah it's they, uh, Jerry. Dockery. Dockery. Yeah, Jerry Dockery. Yeah, yeah Dockery. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Dockery, I think. So those guys, so he said in there, there was why maybe it was Lord Kitchener or something yeah. where he says, I, I hate the peasants. Like you can use them as cannon fodder. It would actually be good to have a war just to get rid of them, something like that. And so this Richard Poe is saying, yeah, they really like Klaus Schwab wants to walk down the street and not see all those yucky people. And I was actually starting to believe that. Like I'm starting to think they just, there are too many people who have access to the Maldives. There are too many people who have access to what is actually limited. Growth mm. is not limited. What is limited is coastline. What mm. is limited is really cool shit to do that not only is kind of empty for you, but it keeps you above it all because what is the point of being super rich and elite if if there's really no difference? If there's really no, I remember a secretary in my office when I was a banker got like all sorts of insanely expensive IVF in vitro fertilization, and I remember thinking, "Wow, like that's that's like a luxury, like or you know something bad maybe even." But I thought, "Wow, like insurance pays for that, and she has that insurance, like." Why am I working literally like 10 times as hard as she is if she's kind of got everything I always really wanted, which was like just a baseline. And it's because because that luxury stuff, it costs a lot more, but it's totally unnecessary. And it's actually and then I got a Honda Accord. I was like, this is fucking fine. Like, you know, this is I don't need a Mercedes. Like, it's fine. And, and I feel like that the democratization of like baseline wealth is annoying to those people. And we get on that's the why and stuff. they're taking away petroleum. That's the answer. I honestly think so. That's that that is the way I wasn't really in agreement until that last point. And they're like, we need something to differentiate us from them. Their ability to own gas cars in the future will be one of those things because they're going to make it too expensive for regular people to yeah, maintain. Cars at all. And then you're going to have to buy into a cybernetic car that's got 20 million tracking systems and turns off if they don't want you to have electricity, which they can also pretty much monopolize or detect when you're using solar. Hey, you haven't been taken from the grid. What's up? Let's send some people over there. And look, so they're they, shutting down airlines, too. They're they shutting do. down so they air want, travel. Look, they don't want to live forever with the rest of us around. 
right. And as they develop this live forever technology, they're getting rid of everyone else. And it's an old idea. They don't really need to do it because they can just go into their little computer game cons- 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 console and be gone. We'll continue to feed them. We'll like put food in a feeding tube or whatever they need. We'll hook them up. We but they don't want the them moving out. around like that. They the want to take over the place the where we're already at. Right. Like right. if you want to take over the metaverse, have at it. But this is Earth and it's controlled by nature and you're not nature. You're not God. You don't have your brand on me. You don't own me. Fuck off. And but more people should understand. They, like they think that they do and they think that they should. And they think that there's an elite that isn't like a natural elite, like Murray Rothbard would say. They think that there's just an elite and they're chosen. And they're, I think they're yeah. willing to sacrifice their own children, which is what makes. They and do. you've seen that. Yeah. Oh, so yeah, that's 100%. what makes it. And they interbreed and inter- do a whole bunch of stuff yeah. to but artificially does, facilitate. It folds in the airline thing. It folds in like, why are they shutting down airlines? Like, I'm very afraid there's going to be some major incident on the airlines or they're just going to start rerouting it because of 5G. They're really going to. Bill Gates has like seven planes. What do you need a plan for? Yeah, but they were letting us have that for the longest time. They were because they needed us to work and develop the technology that they could use to take over the world. But they decided at a certain point, they're like, not only can we do that, but we also have this virus and we can get the vaccine and antidote whoever we want. And they're doing the largest wealth redistribution that the world has hold ever on, seen. Hold on, hold on. 20th, so, 20th century had some pretty good ones. Let me let me get this straight. You're talking about people that got rich off of capitalism than wanting to have cartel capitalism. Yeah, cartel capitalism. I don't think it's capitalism. To... I think no, it's, it's crony capitalism. They call it it's... financial capitalism. It's mm. like actually the finance game. It's the fiat money game. It's just the increasing the dollar value of stuff that they have at the expense of the wage earner. When they do the fractional reserve lending thing, it's not so that they get more money. It's so that they get more people working for the same amount of money that they originally right. had in the first place. Because the money that. for them is, yeah, because they can print That's money. Like Rothschild wages. has as much money as they need to, right. to do whatever. But what they have to do is get people to want to work for that money and do things they wouldn't ordinarily do. But for even that the money. crony capitalism. That's how the money gains power. But even crony capitalism, which I totally agree with all of what you're saying and totally on board, mm-hmm. on board with the Austrian school and Rothbard and Mises and so forth. But the bigger point is here are Mont people- in society. That's what I said. Rockefeller brought Mises here to America. Yeah, but still, like they're smart. They were onto it. They're like, this guy's he knows what he's talking about. Let's bring him to America. Than, of course, than Rothbard, that gets us to was, support. Well, it's 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 a funny yeah that is an interesting history um but so, then tony what were you saying yeah but, yeah, but the, the issue here is though when you look at like the uh, so here are people that are wanting to bring in sort of a conspicuous form of like essentially uh socialism right i mean at the at the end of the day like people who got rich off of forms of crony capitalism now want to bring in a situation i mean i heard one of the ceos of blackrock and Van- is either blackrock or vanguard larry fink it's a really or big vanguard. guy it was the really big like the guy same thing. um but it's interesting it was actually from a john titus video so and it was i guess the point was they were he was lamenting democracies right and one of the issues of democracies is the fact that like they don't have the type of top-down control over the money supply especially in the commercial banking system that they would in the, the federal systems that exist around around the world and that was like a huge issue and so he was looking for ways in which to have more granular control over that and he looked at china and he looked at more you know socialistic democracy socialistic economies to be able to have that sort of like example even though like so the hero people got rich off forms of crony capitalism still wanting a very conspicuous form of socialism as a way to bring in their sort of like top-down technocratic global 
control grid that they so desire. And like to your point, Monica, I think it's even more pernicious than that. These people psychologically deem themselves to be sort of gods. Like if you look at like a Brahmin caste in, in, in India, for example, it's not as much practice in their society anymore. But people in the, the Brahmin caste, for example, the highest caste, if you touch someone of a lower caste, you're then reincarnated in that lower caste. It's a sort of like psychological like disease. You become untouchable. You become untouchable. Not in Nicole Elliott Ness way. Right. <laughs> so it's like it's a psychological situation where like they're willing to sacrifice their young so long as they remain at the the the, the top of the the, peer, the the food chain, so to speak. And that's that goes along with the transhumanistic goals and you know the, the genetic free group outgroup stuff. Yes, you which got it. Is like the it. source of all evil. Mm-hmm. But they paid Marx to write the Marx and Engels, I believe, were commissioned by the capitalists because they needed a mm-hmm. way to control the wage or the producer in the industrial revolution. And I think that is where you get the inflation and the fiat money is that they like, that's what Keynes said. We've got sticky wages. We would just keep lowering their wages, but they're going to figure it out. So we've got to inflate their wages away. And if you look at the 19th century, and it's actually kind of hard to get some of these charts. I'm sure you guys have them all, but I was trying to look at the impact in the 19th century versus the 20th century of like a wages standard of living. And so I just wanted to see what like the price of a of a quart of milk was. And it was basically flat during the whole, if I recall correctly, during the whole century of the 19th century. Most and of the 19th wa- century, there was no inflation. That's right. Yeah. And wages, but wages went up because mm-hmm. productivity went up and labor captured some of that. And right. then that completely the ended. Scale the Fed. Also helped, yeah. and it, so I was just looking at the last 20 years. It's I call it the dog food index. <laughs> so when I first got a dog, which was 20 years ago, a 30, I think it was a 33 pound bag, but I'm going to say it was a 30 pound bag of dog food was $30. And now that exact same bag, Yukonuba, is $60. And wages, the average salary at that time was $30,000. And now it's $54,000. So it should have doubled, but it didn't. It went up by $24,000 instead of $30,000. So um, that's a lot of dog food, actually. <laughs> it's like uh, 100 bags of dog food mm-hmm. in the 20th year. In the, in the 20th year, there I'm... I'm getting a hundred less bags of dog food a year. Not that I would use a hundred bags of dog food, but every year it was however many, like five bags of dog food less every single year cumulative. And that's real. So that's how they keep you from ever accumulating any capital from ever pulling a Ron Paul. Mm-hmm. And, and it's intentional. And I, I agree. They're not trying to get them more money, but it's the same reason they don't want us flying around anymore. they, they just and I don't I think it's the upper middle class. It's like the bourgeois bourgeoisie, whatever that they mm-hmm. they like the least. And I think that's always been the thing because they are the real threat. They're the ones yes. who consume. They're the ones who are tacky. They're the ones who are on the beach. They're the ones the who have families, you know, they, they <laughs> yes, children, they're the yeah. ones who can actually educate their children and take care of them. That's why I always like uh, income tax is totally regressive because rich people um, or it's only applied to people who earn money. That's like correct. only it's people only who work, the yeah. most productive workers, and they're super ultra taxed because not only do they have that um, sliding scale of the percentage, but these are the people, the doctors, lawyers and stuff who have to live close to the city because otherwise they'll never see their kids because they work so much. They can't send their kids to those schools. They have to send them to the private schools. It's very expensive to live close to the city. So they're just it's a. Uh, it, it's hard to be sympathetic with the people you see as the professional class, but they are the threat and they are the ones who I think are, um, that's why they don't want 
people flying or anything. They just want to cut it off pretty high, pretty high. That's what creates the most stable social order is the middle class. So you have to destroy the middle class. You also have to destroy the family. And let's take your dog food example and scale that to every expense in your household. Right. And then all of a sudden that becomes very obvious for individuals how pernicious and and if they defund the police or federalize the police, it'll go just like medicine and education, where it's right. really third worlding it so that only the ultra elite can afford. I have a friend in England who has seven kids like he's so unusual. And he said maybe six. So he said each kid I couldn't I'm still not like I asked him 10 times. He said and it, was, it was a while ago that each kid he pays 70,000 pounds a year to go to private school. I mean, that's just mind boggling. He said there were like taxes on it or something. I don't know, but he's an investment banker big time. So he was like, could handle it, but not by much. All to be indoctrinated (laughs) in globalist theory and ideology. (laughs) Well, but but it was probably like a religious private school. I don't know Uh, what they're indoctrinating them with, but to get out of, yeah, to get out of it is, I I believe it's penalized. Wow. What they're trying to do is end free trade. And since you mentioned Marx and Engels, I wanted to bookend that with uh, Adam Smith. So in this entry in my history blueprint, it reads, uh, and this comes from a Wikipedia article, which I have the references for. A turning point came in 1834. The free trade reformers in England succeeded in ending the monopoly of the British East India Company, leaving trade in the hands of private entrepreneurs. Americans introduced opium from Turkey, which was lower quality but cheaper. Competition drove down the price of opium and increased sales. Concept. Adam Smith worked on behalf of the British East India Company, who used opium to undermine and control subjugate populations. When Smith wrote about agriculture, he wasn't talking about rice, corn, nor green beans. Right. So if to the old China trade, that which existed under the East India Company, this is the same uh, multi-generational grouping that is uh, part of this inclusive capitalism great reset have i told you okay so inclusive capitalism in 2014 by rothschild and company is guardian article here inclusive capitalism initiative is a financial trojan horse to quell a coming global revolt they knew they were on the ropes and then covid happened and then the pope's like hey inclusive capitalism everybody but it's just part of their cloward and piven strategy of uh of crushing free trade and ending freedom along with it. Well, I think it's funny that they call it the great reset, because if you think of anything that you ever reset, what are you doing? You're just zeroing out all the registers. But it's so crazy to talk about a great reset and COVID-19 in the same sentence, Monica. You're a crazy (laughs) conspiracy theorist who must be (laughs) literate to say these two things in the same sentence because nothing out there verifies or brings any type of uh, merit to your argument in this case. There's no substantial or relevant reading to be done on these things. I can just say conspiracy theorists like Crystal Ball on breaking points and say there's nothing to see here, everybody. That's gaslighting, if I'm correct. Um, Have you read this book? I haven't. I actually had the second industrial revolution or the fourth industrial revolution on my shelf. I remember discovering it. Exactly. No, I I think that's the one I have. Yes. I got a bunch of bigger ones here. That's that's where they say if you stop the spraying, the chemtrails, it's going to get really hot. And like last summer was crazy hot. But I wanted to make one point about your opium wars with China. I don't know if we talked about this, but 
I I think that this is a mercantilist opium war type approach with the vaccines. Like that's what's happening to Africa. It's like you're not taking the vaccines. We are going to be shooting cannons at your uh, coastline until you accept the vaccine. Yes. Your metaphorical coastline. Yeah. Yeah. The part where you meet the rest of the world. Um, this Klaus Schwab character, I said it earlier today to the students in a Q&A session, but I'll say it again for you guys because you're special too. Um, yeah, I always point out Klaus Schwab wrote in here that he wants implant that, you know, and in the appendix, it says deep shift and implantable technologies are coming to your head sometime soon by 2025. And Klaus is a bad guy. But when Elon Musk says, I'm making the brain chips for you, he's a good guy. <laughs> And you have to remember to keep these good guys and bad guys apart, everybody. And he was literally created by government subsidies. And and I think that about Soros, too. Do you know how Soros supposedly made his money? Who How he did actually make I his do. money? I do. Can I give you my version of the answer? Because yep. I did not know. But I asked Jeff Steinberg, who is co-author of this book, Dope Inc. Nice. And uh, I have a couple of things highlighted in this book, as you can see, <laughs> that are relevant. And uh, I asked Jeff Steinberg, I said, hey, uh, what's the origins of Soros? What's his rise to power? And Jeff Steinberg told me, well, that was the Swiss Rothschilds. And I was like, bullshit, because I'm writing a book on the Rothschilds. And if ah. they were Swiss Rothschilds, I would know about this, Jeff. <laughs> and then uh, I came home incredulous. I looked it up because he said, um, uh, one of the French Rothschilds moved to Switzerland and then they opened a branch there basically. And it's the Edmund de Rothschild bank. And uh, he did help to fund Soros's start and all these other things that he told me that I was incredulous of were true, but only upon me going and looking for myself. Can I understand what he's saying? Right. So because I did the work, I got the, the benefit of asking those questions and seeing where his early beginnings aside from him working for the Nazis, yeah, for the Nazis in that 14. 60 minutes interview that is highly inconvenient to their narrative. But well, the other thing that concerns me is he put $20 billion into his foundations to promote democracy. And we all see what he does around the world. He promotes chaos. Maybe the same thing sometimes. Uh, two <laughs> wolves and a chicken voting on what's for dinner is not chaos. How can you say <laughs> such things? We live in a constitutional republic and the Republicans were the anti slavery party. They were the abolitionist party supporting a republic. Democrats want a democracy and we're not a democracy. This is not ancient Greece. So no, that's uh, undermines the foundational documents. But I have a couple of comments about Soros. If, Please. Um, I know you move fast, so <laughs> maybe I'll squeeze him in. Uh, I believe that his actual the way. So he was in the London School of Economics, and I think yes. he was a student of Karl Popper. Yes. This open society oh, thing where yeah. tribalism needs to be overcome. Right. And I, as a total melting pot kid, I was not aware of tribalism. I don't have any tribe or even barely any culture. But what uh, and he said that he wanted to make a lot of money so that he could institute or implement Popper's ideas. And how did he make that money? Well, everybody says, and I, I think it's true, that he basically made the money by front running the Bank of England with his, you know, wave theory. And I thought, it took me a long time to have this thought. I was like, hmm, maybe they just told him was what was going to happen. And when you see that whole LIBOR scandal, like there is a lot of insider trading in that Larry Fink article in the Wall Street Journal from last week. He was in the meeting in 2008 and he was in the meeting in 2020 saying, what the Fed was going to do. These are people who are in private 
practice getting the inside scoop ahead of time and they're getting a pass because it's an emergency. And I just assume that Soros got was given all he, all you need is a tip off. And then he goes and implements the popper stuff. And then I have one more thing after that. Yes, well, exactly. Reading the mind of the market. He didn't do I don't believe he did that. Yeah, I don't think and, it's well, possible to do that. All right. So that's the his book, Alchemy of Finance. And then I was bringing him up in the history blueprint. And there is where's Karl Popper right here, Karl Popper. And I have the document down here someplace. I'd have to search the LSE thing. So I also want to point out something about his 14 year old self. So uh, he he supposedly worked for the uh, he and his own admission worked for the Nazis when he was 14. James Comey was when he was 17, he uh, misidentified the Ramsey rapist and the guy who he put in jail, they had to pay millions of dollars for false arrest because um, Comey as a 17 year old went to the mat uh, calling this guy out. And I feel like they, um, Fidel Castro wrote a letter to FDR when he was 12 saying, I'll do anything for you. And uh, AOC, Stacey Abrams, these people were, Zuckerberg, Sergey Brin, Lady Gaga all went to this Johns Hopkins Center for Talented Youth as teenagers. Yes. I think they identified. I knew these about people. that. I knew about Brin and Zuckerberg yeah. going there. And the guy and who like, did Quora. Yeah. So I knew, Quora yeah, I knew. Gaga. I was like, hmm, that's interesting. That and it wasn't it wasn't a school together. for talented youth. It was a school that studied talented youth. It was they were the subjects. It was a study. Mm. And you had to get like a 1200 on your SATs in seventh grade. But so these are the people who I consider to be uh, created persons. I coined that phrase. And a lot of times they're identified as teenagers for, I think, maybe that's what a lot of this testing is for and stuff to find whatever sociopaths or I don't know what geniuses, people with good memories. I don't know what, like, I think that's the thing with Zuckerberg. Yeah, they're always him. looking for the next goodwill hunting so they can yeah. subvert them. And then they're always looking for the next Zuckerberg so they can have a front man. But Zuckerberg was a, was a classics major and then transferred to Exeter as a junior. And I feel like classics major, the CIA looks for people like that because they're they have good memories because I saw him in Congress recently and I was like, that guy, he just has a good and not just, but he has quite a good memory. And that's that would be enough, actually. Well, what movie is it? There was a, a movie or a series where they used um, James Joyce's Hmm. Odysseus book, uh, well, not Odysseus. I'm trying to think. Into wake. Was, uh, I mean, that's a pretty. No, out there I, book. Just, I thought it was Odysseus. Ulysses. 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 I, yeah, Ulysses. Same thing. And it was like a Cold War MI6 communist spies uh, type of movie, but that that tells them that that person probably has the ability to read long, mundane passages, looking for key points of information and bringing the story back to a summary i mean what other i mean the greek right. classics have a lot of uh lessons that they that are taught throughout it it's a lot of perennial right. philosophy as as, like, questions asked them and when you look at the classical literature the reason why the freemasons support the classical education the seven liberal arts is because it produces a freeing mind one that can use logic and reason and approach things critically be able to integrate many different points of information from many different subjects that seem to be disconnected and that's there's a you know, large goal as to why they support wow. those. Yeah, it's an, I mean, it's something I teach. Well, in the that's background. what they said about the people who were involved in the report from Iron Mountain. OK, let's say it, it was not real, but basically based on how they really do it is they would only include people who were exceptional in more than one field. You got it. 
So that's why it was John Kenneth Galbraith was the guy who said that he was asked to join and was unable to do so. And he said that 1,200. Galbraith, was he a uh, Rhodes Scholar, though? Yes, 1,200 on the SAT in 7th grade. Because that's IQ-based, yeah. I was asking if Galbraith was a Rhodes Scholar. I thought he was part of... Oh, I don't know, but he was definitely part of the... I mean, they were asking him to be included in that. This is the preeminent book, Cloak and Gown, Scholars in America's Secret War. This is how intelligence, MI6 and CIA, use universities to uh, recruit. Wow, what year and... was that written? Hopefully pre-9-11. Because 1987. Like, yeah, same, was... Actually, the same exact year as Alchemy of Finance by George Soros. Hmm. But there there were a few turning points, I think, in, in media control. And 9-11 was a big one. 2018 was a big one, mm -hmm. the Parkland thing. Um, obviously, JFK was a big one. So. Yeah, really, the story of how they infiltrated our university system is to know the who's who of the intelligence agencies oh, yes, and their I history and X, <laughs> X2. X2 is the American contingent to the Anglo-American uh, double cross or XX. So they call it X2 in, Amer in America. Angleton was the British agent who controlled American intelligence and was the mole for the Mossad. For oh, and his, he was, uh, he went to Yale, counter espionage. He, he, not Yale. He went to Yale and then Oxford. He got anglicized. Angleton did. Oh my gosh. That's hilarious. And, um, he was known as the Oracle. Actually, that's interesting because James, Hesus Angleton was known as the Oracle and Oracle Corporation. The database was a, a Pentagon project to help the CIA preserve Angleton's information in electronic format. It was being developed back then. But I, I recall seeing over here, right here on this page, in this Franklin cover up book, there's another Oracle we talked about earlier, the Oracle of Omaha, Buffett. Mm hmm. That's so maybe, right. maybe that, that's more telling, more telling. But yeah. Jesus Angleton, the uh, the Oracle here, that um, that situation of Cold War skullduggery um, and and duplicitous agents and like how the British got us into World War Two, all those types of operations. He took over um, his dad was um, uh, a lawyer in Italy working with Roberto Calvi. I mean, it's a really oh, the Vatican or, banker. Yeah, mm -hmm. there was there in Sedona. There was a whole bunch of interesting connections, but it really gets into the underworld aspect of the Americans. There's a certain group of Americans. Let's call them Anglophiles. And the British never got out of the opium trade, never got out of the drug trade, never right. got out of the arms trade and making war on other countries and subverting and sitting the back. Anglo-American. Right. And so to understand the trend from their idea to how did they actually get it done, you have to see this as how they communized all the university systems because it happened top down in this country. It wasn't grassroots like people support communism and, and oh, they, yeah. rose, they rose the power democracy. in the universities. Yeah, it didn't happen. Like <laughs> oh, that. you might be interested in this. The yeah. students for democracy, that whole thing where they were CIA fronts and Gloria Steinem and everything. They're. The two of the guys in the Global Business Network, which were the ones who did the scenario planning in the 2010 Rockefeller Foundation document, mm -hmm. and then uh, were Peter Schwartz, Ogilvy, and Stuart Brand, who were all the Esalen Institute. Um, Peter Schwartz was at the Stanford Research Institute, which is what Siri, I didn't know Ogilvy that Siri was a British means agent. Stanford Research Institute. Brit David Ogilvy was a British spy, um, advertising magnate. What he worked year? With 
What what do you mean? What year uh, was he a spy? The recent guy? Yeah, because I, I think maybe there's oh, a okay, father that would be and his a son. Grandfather, probably. Yeah. David because, Ogilvy was the like the father of advertising for many so, people. But this, so his so son. Then the 2017 Spars document. Mm. There, so the 2010 Rockefeller Foundation document had four scenarios. The Spars document is one of those scenarios, and it's right. this scenario. And it was written by Ogilvy and Schwartz, who were Global Business Network guys. But those guys, Schwartz and Stuart Brand and stuff, were way back into that um, students for democracy and everything. And in the documents that Rockefeller Foundation, Johns Hopkins, who put out that 2017 Spars document, they don't get into the backstories of these guys. And when you even look at their wiki page, they don't say that this stuff is a front for the CIA or that Stanford Research Institute is an arm of the defense, um, uh, the Department or that, of Defense. Or that Stuart Brand had a famous pen pal who studied bounded harmonic functions. Who was that? Ted Kaczynski. It's a Goodwill yes. Hunting oh, yes, callback right. that I just did to you. Yes. Because I said I, Goodwill Hunting earlier. I didn't know that Goodwill Hunting was Ted Kaczynski. No, no, no. In Goodwill oh. Hunting, Robin Williams is having this conversation and he says, you know, uh, he says, hey, who was Ted Kaczynski? And the bartender says the Unabomber. Right. And then Jer uh, the, the other mathematician who specialized in his area, but is clueless yes, about the rest yes, of the yes, world. Yes. That's Murray Gell-Mann syndrome. Right. He's like, you don't even know, like, first off, Ted Kaczynski was a member, uh, not a member, but a subject of MKUltra, right. CIA, Rockefeller Foundation, uninformed, youngest, unethical experimentation on people. The youngest student at Harvard at the time. So they really took a vulnerable person. They took a 16. wunderkind and yeah. they they blew his mind. And yes. Then and they he made the point. Put him um, in cage. Kaczynski, earlier, we were talking about something that reminded me of a Kaczynski point, which is when you were saying when Tony was saying about the like these scientists don't or you were talking about the Wuhan stuff they don't like really take into consideration the risk they're exposing other people to Kaczynski mm -hmm. made the point that what they do is they evaluate what they're doing on a risk reward basis for themselves personally Correct. so they think I could get a Nobel Prize and there's a one in a million chance that I could die but I'd rather take that chance because there's a one in ten chance I'm going to get a Nobel Prize and then and then they aren't such he doesn't make this point, but I make this point. They aren't such good decision makers that they actually end up with all the money to take those chances. They're taking the money from us and we're not allowed to make that same calculus. Is this going to be worthwhile to me personally? And what is the risk to me personally before I give you my one millionth of the money you need because you're going to come and hold a gun to my head if I don't? And then we are in a much greater risk because they haven't they they do not take into account um, the risk that that's a, it's a, a problem with collective action, especially forced collective action it, it, or, yeah. or proxy collective action by proxy. Correct. Yeah. It's an issue of ethics also as well. I mean, it's a, it's an ethical question that isn't being sort of talked about. And to bring it back to economics, there's also a question of incentives. You know, people respond to incentives. What incentive structures are set up right now? You have to compete, for example, uh, with the federal donuts government and lap dances, get, get your shot to get grants. Right. Um, donuts and lap dances for sure. If you're, in uh, uh, you know Denmark or somewhere, you have the red light district. They have a vaccination Vegas. shop set up right, right next to it now, saying, "Look, you get free, free so sex regressive. for a half hour." Yeah, right. So it's, regressive. It's, it's pretty much the downfall of civilization, vice, but incentive structure. Pushing vice on the poor. Right. Yeah, that's right. Pushing vice on the poor. We're back to an ethical question, and they don't, they don't have that as part of their purview. It's not. Also, just talking and bringing it back to economics, the idea of incentives. You have to compete for government grants. 
And so in order to be even do your science, you have to make essentially there's no private. I guess you could be get into the, the private sector and become maybe an engineer. That's research government developer. too. That's also partly government. Because, the, because the, the corporate subsidy, academia subsidies from government to corporate gets, gets yeah. the research and right. then subsidizes that. So see, that's the thing. That's why this stuff wouldn't exist. And if you trace almost anything back, you'll find a government grant, often a Department mm -hmm. of Defense grant, like yes. um, driverless cars. and Or an NIH grant. I mean, it goes back to a couple of places where the people with the stolen money divvied out to get more stolen money. It's kind of the <laughs> but way it's not it. just to get more stolen money. They are working for people that they don't realize aren't even in it for the money. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. There's That's a bigger true. because these people want to they're mad scientists. They'll do anything in order to have a justification to attempt the research that they want to attempt, like Fauci or, or Francis Collins or Peter Dijak or Ralph Barrick or Xi Lee, so forth and so on. Mm -hmm. And it's really just petty egomania. Mm -hmm. Really? Correct. Yeah, that's right. Oh, the petty pride grows on the human heart like we, we, lard on a pig. We, you know, we talked about. I just want to bring this back a little bit. So it's, that's a good point. That's very true. Gulag is right here in this book. Form young global leaders. You know, if you look at many of the people in positions of power today, they started with the World Economic Forum's Young Leadership Program. You also have this. It was brought to me by a member of the. Um, GTW community, the Bloomberg Harvard City Leadership <laughs> Initiative. They're taking like small city mayors and they're yeah. educating them on progressive yeah. politics. Yeah. And oh, so yeah. it's, if we think we're going to avoid this just in rural communities as well, we are so far because of the temperament of individuals that make up rural communities. But let's not let's be honest here. They're also reeducating these these individuals in order to promote sort of progressive politics. So we have to be that's why they want careful. The rural internet and those may mm. mayoral organizations are international, by the way, and so mm. are the policing ones. I have a question for the class. Uh, do those people in that picture do they not leverage or use freedom in their lives? Because I would expect if you try to take it away from other people, people might resist at some point. Just saying, and you know, if they go around turning off people's freedom and someone goes and turns off their freedom, uh, they shouldn't freak out, right? Because they're doing it to other people, there's causality, like the. The world exists. I am conscious of it. Causality exists. And therefore, I take myself and my actions seriously. These other people seem to not get those first couple parts. And they're like, oh, we can just control you. And I'm confused about how that works without violence because that's intellectual bankruptcy. And if you're intellectually bankrupt and you have to threaten me with violence, what option do you want me to explore right now? What do you think I'm going to do? I think I, they think I'm not going to give you what you want. I'm definitely not going to give you what you're expecting. I 100% am patient. I think and, that uh, bureaucracy insulates them from reality. I was mm -hmm. at a, an experience. I was, official language, bureaucrat ease. Keep going. I like it. I went just as an, an, a feeling that I got. I, I never was politically active really at all. And my mother used to take me down for the March to life on January. 22nd. You weren't politically active, but you were certainly radioactive. <laughs> I was, but that was after that was around the time. So whenever it was that, um, the Obamacare thing was coming down. I just felt like economically, once healthcare was a government thing, you could never in a democracy, you could never get more than you could never get 50 percent or more of the people to vote for a smaller government once the economy was more than 50 percent government. So they're just never going to vote for um, less control. And then you have like conservatives the way the English have conservatives, which is like, we can just do this more efficiently. So I thought- And how's their healthcare? Do we get healthcare like them? Because my question oh. is, if I'm paying the doctor, the doctor works for me. If the government pays the doctor, the doctor work for government. Government might want to get rid of me. Doctor might right. euthanize 
and uh, give us all uh, carousel like they do in Logan's Run. That is what I think that they that the government health care is for population control and not for health. But I so I decided I had to go march on Washington. I wasn't going to. How could I look my kids in the eye if I let this go down without a fight? So every time there was a march on Washington, I went. And it was really funny because I was there with my Ron Paul stuff and people were not loving me until like the end when it got really just ugly. Then they were pushing me to the front, like read her sign. Cause I was like, give me Liberty, not dead. Or so I don't know. It was Ron Paul stuff. And in the beginning they didn't like it, but everybody there was so hilarious. It, I don't know. It was at least tens of thousands of people, if not hundreds. And I mean, I think like every single person had basically a sweatshirt with the American flag on it and like a fanny pack with the American flag on it. And it was just very kind of what I think of as flyover country. And I, but I, I, you know, not blow my own horn, but like I went to Harvard and Stanford and I'm from New York and, you know, I lived in LA and I just, I understood what the people were thinking, the little, um, punky aides or lawyers or whatever on the subway and their little suits. And um, there's some chick who just really looked like it was, uh, it was offensive to her to be on this train with me. And I, I was just with all of us cause it's kind of crowded. And I just, I said it to her, I was like, Oh, I'm, I'm sure this is your, you know, worst nightmare, all like fly over country people. And I wasn't giving her a hard time. I was just trying to sympathize. Like I understood that she just like couldn't fucking get her mind around it. And she just, the fact that I was talking to her made her want to puke. And she just like turned around and was just like, Ugh. and I'm thinking there, but for, you know, you're only there because of us and our money. Like, that's what you think of us. Like I couldn't even, I, I was speaking to you normally. I was actually trying to, empathize with you, connect with you and joke about how fucking ridiculous it was that everybody here was wearing an American flag and uh, and and she wanted to puke. And that's that's what they think of us. So she isn't thinking I'm scared of these people. She's thinking these people are so fucking stupid. There is no way that they could ever get the better of me and the and the people I work for. Well said. Mm. And there's something very disturbing about that, because that's uh, a feeling of disgust. And when you have feelings of disgust, you're not necessarily fearful of those individuals. You can actually commit greater crimes against them because that's something to be exterminated, pushed away, marginalized in society in some capacity. That's something Peterson talks about, the difference between being scared of something and being disgusted by something, two very key different emotions. And when you're disgusted by something, that's when you create genocide. You don't have the gene therapy. You're dirty. Yeah, you're dirty. Or some people might think if you have the gene therapy, you're dirty. Like, where's the argument begin and end with that? Right. Maybe we shouldn't dehumanize each other and look at the common common opposition. But that's what they have to do. They have to keep us constantly fighting against one another in order to perpetuate this over stupid stuff, because there's nothing sensible to really argue about other than being subjugated by a bunch of intergener multi-generational gangsters, interest specific kleptoparasites. Monica, what I was. Yeah. What what inspired you to get involved in the podcast world and like i'm curious as for less listeners out there right now we haven't really asked that question but like what what made you think like, you could do a radio show lady right. i didn't mean to i was <laughs> i was trying to get i was taking the exam so i had a bunch of little kids and i just i knew i was i don't know i guess i i kind of got ruined it's like what a coworker of mine once said like the most sexist thing ever he was like he was joking around but he's like pouring 
educating a woman is like pouring water in a shoe. Either the water runs out or you ruin the shoe. <laughs> and I was like, okay, whatever. I'm sure that's bad. But what actually happened is what I really wanted in my life is to have kids. And then I was so myself indoctrinated with the idea that it was like um, uh, work without worth to cook and clean and take care of your kids and really focus on that. It seems like an afterthought that you could outsource. That's really how, I mean, I went to school till I was 30. So you should just how. be a lawyer or a CEO. That's what you had carved yeah. out. You had your Juris Doctorate and you got your MBA yeah. and yeah. no kids in that picture at all from that educational standpoint. You're supposed to be right. corporate woman and you'll be CEO or take over the but firm one day. I only did all that because my mother had nine kids and it set up a dynamic in the home where she could absolutely not leave. She had no financial independence. They didn't have enough money. And she wasn't necessarily, I mean, I love both my parents, but she wasn't really treated very well because she had no standing. And I was like, I'm going to hedge my bets. I'm going to go to school and I'm either going to be able to support myself or I'm going to find somebody who is willing to have an absolute arm's length transaction here where I am going to sacrifice my revenue stream to bring that kind of quality into raising your kids. And I found that, but I did find for myself that like I was, I, I felt like it wasn't enough. It wasn't good enough. And I really regret it. And I absolutely throw myself into it now and have for some years, but like just it was a long time that I just didn't understand what was really important. I'm like, it's always been the same. They kill the antelope. You clean the cave. Like it's the fucking same. Somebody has to do one or the other. And it just helps when you're you've got, you can actually feed the baby with your body that you're the one who stays home. Like, it's just not that complicated. So I'm not, I'm just being facetious. There's a lot of really valuable things to do with the world. And I'm open to anybody doing anything they want, basically with the exception of unethical. No, but you bring up a good point liberty. though. It's like, it's a full-time job to be a parent, whether the man it's absolutely, or the woman, it's more than a full-time job. It's a more job. than a full-time yeah. job. That's yeah, it's exactly more right. than I can and handle. The, the idea of economy yeah. comes from you know, the first specialization of labor in the whole Well, Tony, they doubled their taxes so with getting women in the workforce, and then yeah. Gloria Steinem and the CIA. And it disconnects the kids from the culture. Yes. So mm, I was, yes. so I, while I, I thought something I could do to kind of prepare myself for going back to work, which was not, shouldn't have been my priority, was to um, get these, take these CFA exams, this uh, chartered financial um analyst so I could like go work in a hedge fund or something. I thought if I were old, I probably am not going to become an investment banker again, but I could probably get away with being a, like a manager of money. So my mind was on fire and I was just always thinking, always thinking. And I stumbled upon because it's just, they're really hard tests and they're very stimulating. And I um, stumbled upon Hans Hermann Hoppe at that time. And it's oh, kind yeah, of like, yeah. you know, an adjuvant, like my mind was so fast that when Hoppe landed in it, it just freaking sprouted. And, uh, and for those I who are familiar, he's an Austrian school economist and theorist. And yes. He's, he's more, you know, he's sort of in the, the light of sort of a Rothbard, but I think he's still around yes. these days. If I yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. He's, he's much, yeah. But go ahead. He's an anarchist and, and I mm -hmm. and I love him. Yep. And um and he's an anarchist first, but he's like, if you can't have anarchy, monarchy. And I was like, oh my gosh, I thought of that. You know, it's like that's what I was thinking. So anyway, so I was so on fire. And then um in all of this, so then I immediately like with I had already given up on limiting government, limited government as a self fulfill as a utopian fantasy. Mm -hmm. And, and I was kind of depressed about that. But when I realized that he was saying like Hayek's thing where a society is self-ordering, then I was like, oh, wow, like the government's just a mistake. It's just a mistake. Like you don't need it. 
And um, it's at this time, it's self-ordering based on market principles, basically market. It's self-ordering. Yeah. It's just it's based on if you know if, human action. Yeah, human value, action is goal. mostly yeah. is more productive when it's creative, not destructive. Right. So if you're well, this is just me talking, but when it's if, not forced, when it's voluntary, not forced. Too. And yeah. it, no, but like. Thing. It's not marauding mobs are never going to be able to create the kind of wealth that a creating a creative, diligent person or community is going to. So so as a creative, diligent person, I mean, I think you are going to be able to defend your borders against the marauding mobs, mobs and you're going to cooperate because inside those those walls, uh, it's better. It's it's more prosperous. It's cleaner. It's all of that. And if all right, so some guy builds a store and another guy builds a house. Who's going to build the the road like the guys, the guy who owns the store or the house, they're going to get together and they're going to build the road. And how are you going to get around without getting robbed? Like you're going to just, you know, give somebody a couple of bucks to walk with you like the Knights Templar, like that's what they did. And they took, you know, so society is self-ordering. But I had all these thoughts that were really a mile an hour or a million miles an hour. And I was at a wedding and basically the only other English speaker at the wedding was a radio producer. So she just loved my ideas. And when she brought me into the station to meet the program director, like they thought I was just totally off the wall. Like they thought, I think, <laughs> I think maybe I was like a novelty act and they just thought it was so hilariously cute that I was a woman. And I just, just thought it was so funny. And actually he had used to work with art, art belt. So he like oh, liked these kind of, okay. you know, wacky ideas. And uh, and he loved me and he immediately gave me an um, on air audition. And then I had a show Saturday nights, like the very best was like when I did midnights on Saturday. But then I kind of moved up the ladder and then I just had an afternoon show um, like, I don't know, it was three hours. It was long, 12 to three, something like that, three to six um, every Saturday for years. And uh, that's how they, it was WSB, which is a big radio station. And that's how they groomed their weekday guys. And I was willing to like keep the back seat. I didn't want a big show because I have kids and it was a perfect thing. I was like, I could just do this for 10 years and maybe at the end I get a real job. But then eight and a half years in was last year's 2020 and um, Apollo run by a friend of Jeffrey Epstein's uh, bought the station from Cox, which was a family company. And also a questionable name. Yeah. I, well, I wouldn't defend them normally because it's big media thing, but it was, I got taken off the air the day that they stopped owning me, the station. So it wasn't an improvement. It was anyway. And, and my program director retired and it just happened to Cox be the day. Like, it's Cox Media. It's uh, media, not Cox a whole different. I was going to say yeah. it's a larger yeah. conglomerate. Okay. Yeah. So my um, co-host on my podcast, Finkley, was um, my producer at WSB, and he's like, "That last show of yours, you literally hit like 9/11, Epstein, um, uh, co uh, Eventua one, Boston <laughs> Marathon bombing. Like there was something. My my new my new executive producer was just like, oh, just bring it. Don't worry.' I was like, I don't." It's like, no, no, say whatever you want. It's like, I don't know about that. <laughs> anyway, so I don't know what, what what brought me down, but that, but we had kind of thought something like that was going to come because we knew the company was getting sold. And we started doing the podcast a couple of months before that. And it was a pretty easy segue because they were training me anyway to be 
like uh, have a daily show. So I had spent all these years just kind of listening to them about formatics and how to deliver stuff and really how to generate calls, um, which was a, a really great skill to have and a really nice thing to like talk to people who you could, people from all walks of life were listening for traffic and they, you'd piss them off and they would call. And then it was really great, <laughs> really good. And you could That's reach true. people who, who weren't looking for you, who kind of were pissed off that you were on their radio station. And then you could, so then you could really um, make a difference because you could reach people who really had never heard any of this stuff before. So it was really too bad, but it was very stressful. So I like this a lot better. And how has it become more relaxing and in stride for you being in total control of all your production and time and schedule? And It's great. And, and actually that's one of the things about Kaczynski, he sure had that power principle, right? Like autonomy is one of the four elements of the power principle. And I had said from the beginning, I was like, the only reason I can go on with this job for all these years is because I don't have to answer to anybody. That's pretty much it. That's it. That's what people are looking for. But what did you have to do for yourself as far as you mentioned the degrees, you mentioned the struggle, you mentioned like the false start, like on radio, because you can't really get to where you want to go on that path. You had to get on that path and you're over here now. Now, what do you do? And you make your own show. What are the like limitations and obstacles you're seeing in front of you now? Uh, well, first of all, I never, ever, I don't think I've ever quit anything in my life. Like I just don't quit. My motto is like, you'll have to carry me out on a stretcher. <laughs> that's, that's my motto. Or disqualify me. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So, um, but the obstacles I see now are it's, well, it's, I don't know if it's time management. I have a lot to do. And I really, I feel like I could spend an infinite amount of time uh, taking care of my kids and my home. And I could spend an infinite amount of time doing uh, the podcast. So I just don't, there's no way to reconcile that, but I could probably get a little more efficient in either of those. Yeah. Well, it's a, a day by day work in progress. Uh you know, you, you figure out a little bit better on how to expose yourself to the information you need to make decisions for your kids or for your business. And then just stick in those two realms because there's a lot of other distraction stuff. Oh, should I do I need to worry about the mu variant or whatever the new variant is? <laughs> but they skipped over new, actually, the NU one. Yeah. Um, NG. Right. Of course, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that was highly inconvenient to the, the lab release theory of Dazax. So. They're like, let's skip over. So they that. went with, oh my cron. Yeah, right, <laughs> I'm always yeah. like, oh my cron, the kids are sick. Oh my. And cron. then they're gonna make everybody omega, <laughs> omega men at the end. Oh of yeah. It. Don't worry, oh, they're God. gonna use constellation names when they run out of the Greek uh, alphabet. So yeah, Cassiopeia is coming up next. It looks like a big W. <laughs> Did of I jab, tell you jabs about on your arms? <laughs> how they changed the nomenclature for that, like last May, to make it really confusing, but sound way more ominous. Because it, it, there are four kinds of coronavirus, alpha, beta, gamma, delta, but all of these coronavirus are beta coronavirus. Beta coronavirus are the ones that human beings get. And they used to just have numerical codes underneath. And they just, I think in the beginning, they wanted it to seem like one of the worst, the, the scarier ones that were part of animal you know, illness. Well, they're like, we could use the name SARS. That's scary. MERS. No, that's a scary virus. 38% people die, but no one knows what it is. So they're not scared of it yet. So let's keep SARS-CoV-2. Is that good? All right, let's, let's roll it out. <laughs> yeah. If you follow their paper trails, there were decisions being made on this thing before the American people knew 
anything on this. And that shows inside job at the very least. Made that it happen on thing. Made it happen on purpose. Let it happen on purpose. Have at it. But it's not accidental. And that means it's on purpose in some way, shape or form. And people should act as if yeah, protect your I, immune system that uh, I was on slow news day this morning. And they showed me that Milliken clip from October 29th, 2019, which you guys were talking about as I entered and that Rick Bright and Fauci were saying that, uh, you know, the flu is just it's tainted. We got to have something else because I always wondered why they didn't go with the flu, why they went with a coronavirus instead. And they explain it there. But that Rick Bright, I was telling these guys, got stepped down because he mm-hmm. for a few reasons. But one was that he said that Merck pill was so dangerous that um, little mouse babies or whatever were born missing pieces of their skulls. So I would just caution people to read rick bright's statements about that mark pill and if i yeah he, he didn't know he wasn't supposed pill. to say anything about that <laughs> that class of pills yeah maybe he thought he was doing them a favor to push people to the vaccine <laughs> right <laughs> that's yeah, yeah right there that's true yeah. uh, from my understanding it's a protease inhibitor too which is a similar mechanism of action to uh, ivermectin protease inhibitor is essentially oh. protease enzyme is essentially breaks down the Proteins. The protein in order to combine to the receptor binding domain. So it's like the, to inhibit like that the enzyme. ACE2 receptor. Correct. Yeah, you got it. And so, yeah. And it's interesting. We because all they have chose become the doctors in the past. Yes, years. yes. Yeah, you have had to. to. Right, yeah. I was like, I'm sitting yeah. here listening. I'm like, I can't believe I hadn't. I don't know that. <laughs> well, it's a, the protease <laughs> oh inhibitor. So I read a lot about this stuff. <laughs> I, I thank Peter McCullough for that because he's the one who did oh, a lot yeah. of that information. Yeah. But, you know, the, he, he mentioned there's one mechanism of action with the new Merck drug. I think Pfizer has one as well coming out, which is it's a protease inhibitor similar to ivermectin. Ivermectin has three different points on which it works there or three different mechanisms of action, whereas these, this Merck pill and this Pfizer pill coming out have one mechanism of action very similar to the protease enzyme in, uh, inhibition or inhibitor. And um, but he said he was worried about the safety profile or ivermectin. We know about the safety profile. Uh, it's been around now for well over what a couple of decades now. Won a Nobel Prize for use in humans, not not only in animals, but actually in humans. And uh, we know about uh, its toxicology, its its safety, and it's been used effectively. It's been prescribed over a billion times for human use. And so you know, here we're coming out on, with another emergency use authorization medication. Uh, in a pill form that has a similar mechanism of action but has a very sketchy safety profile because they're trying to rush it through and make it work in some sort of patented fashion by which they can then charge 40 times the amount of what it costs to produce the drug. Um, It's just them playing games. They're learning from that EpiPen guy. They're like, that guy's model. (laughs) Let's kick ass. Let's do that. It's, uh, It's all about what's been out there long enough. Like that is how you, how you know that, the safety profile because mm-hmm. if something oh, yeah. affects one in a million people and you give it to seven billion people that's what is it like seven thousand how many how many would that be so, yeah it's a thousand million 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 so well, they like could have used a million H, people they could have used hcq and ivermectin as off off label uses and that would have been absolutely routine except for these companies saying no, if you do that, we can't get our vaccine out there so we can't get the eua associated with yeah they needed the eua in order to do the rest of all this stuff. And they lied to get the EUA. They lied and people died. Now, it's not that complicated. But those but, trials are nothing compared to when something's out in the population. Oh, yeah. Right. Oh, oh yeah. absolutely. No, the trials I think are HC, small. Hydroxychloroquine has been around since the 70s. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure. So they have a long track record. 
on that as well. Even the monoclonal. But these new things, they're they're trendy. They're more popular. They're mandated. (laughs) Got to take it. Take it. They're big money. And you know what's hilarious is that the little um, communists, the little uh, bougie commies running around with their TikTok politics are don't understand like they shame each other for not being vaccinated. I'm like, are you a communist or are you pro? Like, are you a fascist? Like you got next on TikTok gulag rock. We're going to learn <laughs> more about these people who are anti-vaxxers. Hey, is it me or does a freedom tower look like a big syringe? Is it just coming clear to me? Oh my or is gosh. That like- oh my gosh. Hey, he took us from the two towers and gave us the big syringe. I think I had a funny a shard too, I guess. A very disappointing um, Twitter feed where they showed it was a German a German rancher took a bunch of sheep and made it in the form of a needle. You know, I just I don't know if they're just Oh, I did see that. Yeah, I did I, see I, that. I yeah, yeah, trying yeah. To find no, I think it wasn't German. I thought it was Irish. I thought it was an Irish, Irish advertisement where they used sheep to represent the people getting vaccinated. I was like, is that intentional? Cause that's funny as shit right there. <laughs> Don't know if that's they right. got it or if they got one over on the people that were paying them for the ad, oh, here you know, is. sheep, it says German here on the New York post. So it's uh, sheep goats join. Let me just put this on here. There we go. So that's what I mean. The irony. Yeah. Oh yeah. my gosh. How absurd. Can it get? Yeah. But it's also like a freedom tower on its side. <laughs> and the freedom plunger tower. is the sub basement. It's just a sub basement down there. <laughs> yeah, Don't worry. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. There's no relation to the towers being lost and your freedom being lost. <laughs> no, nothing to see there at all. How dare you question history? Try to draw con- connections between disparate events. What are you, an artist? Stop trying to draw conclusions. <laughs> they actually you, have. What a, are you a, reading for? So I'm not a waitress. A, a watchdog that reports, I think daily or weekly, a one-page report on disinformation. And I think they send it out to like pharmacists and stuff and tell them like, this is what people are thinking. Be ready. And they, and they, and it's a lot of it is from people taking real data and drawing undesired conclusions um, and using visual graphics to represent them, which is very powerful. And that it's a, it's like a public health crisis. There's nothing false about it. LD, can we get a t-shirt that says qualified to think? <laughs> nice. I'm, I'm certified, certified. Nice. To think. Oh, I should have worn my, I am part of the control group. T-shirt. Oh, I got, what do I got? From LD. I got one of LDs on uh, support the British. Nice. Oh, God bless the <laughs> opium monopoly. That's what it says. There it is. Union Jack. God bless the opium Perfect. monopoly. Perfect. There you go, LD. Where's your promo for your site? <laughs> He's like, I'm not on my computer. I can't find the page. Freedom oh, autonomy. That freedom. Freedom United Revolt. Freedom Freedom United Three words. Dot com. Freedom. Yeah, I'll try right. to bring it up here. I'm trying to do a thousand things at once, and some of these things are breaking. But he is too. He's trying to good. use my studio back there. He's like trying to find buttons. <laughs> Tony's like oh, getting yeah, his right, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Every now and then it's like, uh, you know, you just, uh, you know, uh, if it was NASCAR and I'm the driver, all of a sudden I'm the guy in the pit and Tony's driving the car and LD's like, happened. we're all just doing jobs that we don't normally do, except I'm doing my job tonight. So just them. <laughs> just awkward. Just I'm fine. I'm comfortable. I'm having a great time. <laughs> he's, he's enjoying Everything this. works when I push my buttons over here. We're good. Yeah. So put it together, but it's an incredible. What do you think is going to happen in 2022, Monica? I'm 
I was thinking they were going to do like a double down on the prolonging the agony, but I feel like at this point they might would have to spray a whole new microbe on us. I think this. I might thought that just, Omicron was. I think I. Oh yeah, maybe because you don't lose your taste or smell, but I'm starting to think that they're just they let it out and they're and that nature's running its course and it's really kind of impossible to keep people sick constantly so i think we might be pulling out of it we might be pulling out of the dive i'm white pill but i'm not that naive they, they're not gonna do that they're <laughs> well gonna i mean milk. i think that they're the, gonna try the to get mandates before people before the jig is up they're gonna try to get mandates because mandates will be forever They'll have control and they can put anything in your body anytime they want in the future with the precedents they're setting now. So I think they're Sometimes interested in setting like precedents. They, they go really far and then they pull back. And I, I, the mandates, maybe, you know, maybe, but something about it all along felt like it was just a bridge too far, that it was always like a psyop. That was two years ago, lady. Come but on. we still don't Come have on. the actual mandates, right? Like nobody's at my house holding me down. I heard Supreme yeah. Court arguments there, you know, so they're getting pretty close to being able to be like, can we do this? Can we enforce yeah. this? Because most of the people who are not pro gene therapy are very intelligent people. I, I'm not saying that because that's my position. I'm saying it's PhDs. It's a lot of people of color. There's a lot of smart people understanding history and what these people have done over time. And they're the ones who aren't on board. The people who lap up CNN like it's their breakfast cereal. Those are the people with problems right now. And they're going to be future customers of that pharma complex for life. And yeah, yeah. Trump Trump yeah. promoted all this because he did take their lobbying money because he's like, oh, why not take Pfizer's money? Because there was nothing on his radar that would be like, they'll never do it. Right. So well, I don't, I don't I mean, believe so in there's Trump. The, there's, I think Trump yeah. was a complete made up. Yeah, I agree there 100%. I I just want to throw uh, this here. Despite Sotomayor's absurd lack of COVID-19 knowledge, U.S. Supreme Court seems skeptical. I just said COVID. That's why my voice is a little bit messed up. But skeptical of the Biden vaccine mandates. Um, Fauci said I can get COVID from Zoom calls. Is that true? I haven't read through this, so I was going to go through this later. (laughs) Get AIDS from a cereal box. You get COVID from a a Zoom call. Yeah, right. And get AIDS from a damn cereal box. Well, you might be able to get COVID from a Zoom call, but you also might not necessarily get it from people's face holes. Like, I don't know how it's transmitted. I got it. I'm pretty sure I got it from somebody who is vaccinated. Like, freshly i got it i thought it was transmitted by a-hole as well that's exactly what happened and you know what's interesting is like again this is just about a federal mandate it doesn't mean the states like they're just ruling on a federal mandate whether or not the federal government has is within the purview to mandate the private sector of i guess a hundred or more employees which is a totally arbitrary cutoff by the way of um you know uh whether or not they can mandate vaccination in regards to SARS-CoV-2 and COVID-19. And so it doesn't, I, at least open the door to what state legislatures can still do. That's what concerns me because there's still a bill, A416, that's in New York yeah, that would give that. And there's a Washington yeah. state one as well that James, shout out to James Jordan yes. and Liberty Radio. But January he, 12th, mm-hmm. call to action on the Washington thing. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's, an, and I have that on the show card as well, but I'll, I'll bring that up a little later. But it's, that's scary because they're kind of dividing and conquering us in between state lines. And obviously the, the separation of, of powers within the, the United States Constitution has done a great job of being able to expose those states such as like maybe Texas and Florida and some of the Midwestern states that have done very well with seemingly very little um, 
government intervention. And yet we can see like New York and Michigan and, you know, California and these other states that have done terribly and yet had the most intervention as far as government hegemony. And it's 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 a terrifying proposition because one thing on one level, it's like it's brilliant because it showcases how in a conspicuous fashion between different states, we can now take data and take those data and juxtapose it and say, okay, wow, like you can see how different governing policies led to different outcomes. And then we can also compare this to Europe, by the way. Sweden would be a, a good example here, or Uttar Pradesh, that northern region, and that's almost as the population of America and India as well, which has gone a very different route, you know, very low caseload. And they've seemingly, there's speculation they've allowed for uh, vitamin D, ivermectin, ZPAC, these like little helper packages that uh, are pretty ubiquitous. Early treatment. There. Early treatment, it essentially. Only, it only occurs in treatment. India. We don't yeah. have that here. Right. But if we no. if we ask our masters real nice, they'll give us an aspirin. They may they may do it in two stages. This I, I'm not surprised. I f- would worry about, and I don't think we're in uh, we're safe from them actually making laws that allow it. But I wonder if they are ready to have those laws in place, but not use them this time. So like after World War II, I believe Britain had a law in place that um, if they decided you were an essential worker, you were not allowed to quit that job. And I don't think they ever used it, but they had it on the books for a long time. And I wonder if that's that's the real danger here is that the precedent isn't, they can't set the precedent and implement it on a population that doesn't have that kind of, um, you know, archetype ready they have to they implement it now in time of crisis and then they say see we're not really using it because we're you can trust us and we're, we'd only do it if it was like extreme but this thing's going away now so but yeah but then it's there I mean, but then it's there yeah but then it's there so right, like i'm not right. saying that i'm not mm-hmm. naive enough to think that we are returning to any kind of liberty at all but my white pill is just that i just i live in la like my white pill is that i can go to the fucking salon <laughs> you know, that's that's what I'm thinking. 2022, my you know, Santa might bring me for 2022. Go to the salon and be unvaccinated, and go to the supermarket and be unvaccinated. And these yeah. sorts of things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, which is you know, not uh, there's certain states. Yeah, it's war mentality. Is it's there, like a war is mentality. A I'm like, I just passport? I'll do anything. Just stop it. Is there a vaccine uh, passport in California? Think... No. Okay, I didn't think no, so. No, but either. people, you have to show it. You have to show the thing. You have to show mm-hmm. the card. Okay. If you want to do anything, I don't papers, do anything. please. Do you, do you ever ask them to say it in a German accent? <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's, I, it's I, LA. I'm sure there's a lot of character actors out there. Even if try. you make it crack, like people get fucking pissed at you. The Nazis <laughs> were like that too. Yeah, That's I got what an I Uber. But like yeah, the Nazis I, didn't. Hey, you know, as we were getting on the trains making jokes about the Nazis, they didn't like that either. Yeah, to take exactly. note history. The Uber guy was like, he was complaining about the mask or whatever. And I was just like, and these fucking vaccines. And I, and I could tell him, him thinking, like, can I just pull over and get her out of the car? Like, she's unvaccinated. Mm. <laughs> it's like, oh, mm. my God. And it totally stops transmission. Wink, wink. I mean, these are. Yeah, it's like, I know. It's yeah, so it stops. Absurd. They didn't even claim that. I can't believe They don't even claim that. Oh, no, it's on the CDC website. So it doesn't stop transmission. I mean, yeah, it's, and it's in all the transmission. It does stop transmission. Mm-hmm. It stops transmission of your fertility to the next generation. I heard. <laughs> yeah. Studies on I mean, that. I, I heard someone that, laugh but... at that. Who said that? Who laughed at the other day? Was it like Dana Bash or Crystal Ball or somebody laughed uh, because they're asked about uh, speaking of fertility which... re- repercussions and they laughed like, oh, yeah, like that's a thing. Oh, I think it was somebody uh, it actually is a recently. thing because there's... and then yeah. yeah, here I'm going to show they said you. It, they, the CDC came out and said like it does 
change your cycle by a day, mm. but it doesn't matter. Mm. It's like, okay. But when I said it's changed your cycle by a day, they were just like, you're a fucking nut. Well, here's, there's this here, vaccinated <laughs> women lying. Hey, you, can, you can say whoever you say whatever you want. But I don't cuss or swear, but I do use vulgarity. She just did. It makes Come me feel on. better when I cuss or swear. Apparently, more honest yeah, people I was just using swear. Speak with Parhesia. But this is funny. Vac- I mean, not funny, absurd, but you know, Vaccinated. vaccinated women lying about vax status as potential mates consider infertility risk. Nice. This comes from, uh, I guess, the COVID world blog. But the New York male tested. He and other males have encountered females who initially claimed to be unvaccinated, only later to reveal their true vaccinated status. So the women that's are reportedly sensitive excellent. to men's concerns. Of the COVID so it's like vaccine. disappearing up into its own asshole. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. It's so absurd. Like women are... You know, I have an anecdote in my own life, a very healthy couple of friends of mine. I'm 35. They're 34. They had a perfect first pregnancy and the second one. The only difference was the jab and uh, stillborn. And so the stillborn rates seem to be exploding. This is such a story that I know is, uh, this was asked in the Canadian Parliament as far as like what's going on. And there's been a lot of and you mentioned that I think it was a, there's a couple studies now. I have one about menstruation on here as well. But there is one on a Denmark I could have sworn had on a couple of weeks ago um, saying the same thing. If it wasn't Denmark as another European nation that was show that there are, it has real time changes to uh, a woman's menstrual cycle. Uh, they talked about heavy bleeding as well and other issues going uh, along with uh, menstruation. So this is it's a serious concern. We also know, according to Robert Malone, that uh, the luciferase enzyme, which is just what makes the the lightning bug or whatever uh yeah, ass yeah, light exactly. up yeah they they put this in the so the synthetic nanolipid particle put this in animals put this in mice and they see where does it travel to in the body well it traveled to the reproductive organs uh travel to you know the eggs or in this case the gonads i mean it could be both the testicles or you know well, uh, i'm pretty sure that luciferase is a ingredient in the current gene therapy so can they track that too and what well, were their findings it's interesting because it's saying the lipid nanoparticle is like it's so that's essentially collecting in places such as the re- reproductive organs or the heart, and then it's delivering the payload, which would be this mRNA, which encodes for the spike protein, which is like the howitzer that causes all the damage in the first right. place. So the COVID causes that damage too. Mm-hmm. Like that's right. impossible. That's My thing. TV that's told right. me it doesn't that's leave right. the arm. <laughs> that's what I'm bummed about. Stop is reading that books. I get I got COVID, and I'm like, wow. So because I ha- having had it, I feel 100 that it was artificial bioweapon. Oh, me too. I just had it, and it was the strangest no disease. I ever oh, had. so yeah. still it's still like that because I was thinking mm-hmm. Omicron. Oh my Cron no. might just be a cold. No, it's but if it's uh, still no, weird. Tony probably had Delta though. I could so have had I have Delta. That. So now I have Delta. that shit in my body. Like I did not escape it. And and everybody, you know, even the people who didn't get vaccinated and didn't get COVID are starting to get it. Like every it is gonna be in I everybody. got it from my double vaccinated parents. Me I too. went over to their house. I got it from and, a vaccinated person. Yeah. I mean it's and I remember going over to the house and like it's a veritable vaccine shedding factory and because they're coughing yeah. and they're wheezing and I'm coming over the FLCCC protocols. I have all the supplements, the Ivermectin, like the whole nine yards. I'm laying out what to do. And they're coughing and seizing over me and doing all this stuff. And I took as much prophylactic uh, precaution as I could, but it still wasn't good enough. Of course, incubates for two what days. What made you feel better? <clears throat> I hit it really intensely with early treatment. I mean, I I, I did a very intense uh, vitamin, mineral, nutraceutical protocol. Quadruple, it's kind of a kitchen sink type thing. Yeah, kind of a alongside a very high dose of, of ivermectin. I did a double dose. You like did I, ivermectin. I did ivermectin. See, that yeah. would have worked. I mm-hmm. did all the supplements mm-hmm. and everything, and I only started feeling better when I started. Um, addressing the lung issue. I was drinking quinine mm-hmm. and um, 
and uh, lungwort tea. Okay, that was yeah. the only thing. That's when I started to feel better. Like I just, that was, it was just like little razor blades and the, but this taste and smell took forever. And I was yeah. sick for a long time. Like up until this was a year ago, I got it. And up until October, wow, I was starting to think like I was an, like a not well person. Like this was it. Like you I, had long COVID. Yes. Yeah, and I asked yeah. McCullough, actually, I said, is, is long COVID a thing? And he's like, absolutely. You know, it's not a hundred percent. There are people that share, yeah. I run a town hall on Tuesday nights and they're sharing their experiences. And one of them said, uh, so out the Phoenix and James, they do Liberty radio on Monday nights at seven o'clock, but he's, um, Phoenix in this case said to me, it's been eight months and my taste and smell is still completely, dist- you know, he, he's still struggling with that. And it's coming back slowly, but to affect yeah. the nervous system in that way, like that's strange. Yeah, yeah. That's it's very weird. And strange. McCullough it could said- also be uh, low zinc, because I think that there's some research showing that when COVID hits you, it, it like re But I was eating all that zinc. stuff. Yeah, I was and- eating all that stuff. Okay. Like crazy. Yeah, yeah, but, um. McCullough said the only thing that has that real long tail is Lyme disease. And that, that too is also came a, from a lab. bioweapon. Yeah. Yeah. Bioweapon. Yeah. Yeah. Lab two, five, seven, two, five, seven. I keep saying two, five, one, but two, five, seven off, yeah, right off of Connecticut. Right. Yeah. yeah Lyme Connecticut. Lyme, Connecticut. <laughs> oh, these people crazy world. Can't make huh? this shit up. <laughs> but we're crazy. That's they would in the never weaponize record, insects. by the way, the Lyme thing. Let me read you the DARPA documents on weaponizing insects from Whitney Webb. No, you know, they, they had, never do that. it's part of Laboratory 251, if I remember correctly, they had a, a tick say, like part of the animals they were working in the insects were ticks, um, mm. which is interesting. Um, They're going to drop on uh, Cuba. Or 257. Yeah. yeah. Wow. But, yeah, th- those ticks were actually part of lab two five seven and what they were studying there and then all of a sudden there's an outbreak wow what a coincidence yeah and they yeah i I never believe like what what you guys are talking about at the beginning of the show what um sharon lerner was talking about i i don't believe in unintended consequences i don't believe in government incompetence like that that didn't accidentally escape from a lab the same day that they did a, a a scenario on it in new york an event event to a one yeah. like it's definitely not like that's the problem with the intercept is like they allow you, remember, you to think of that they 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 act like they're telling you everything and they're really holding back the in it's intentional this is yeah. proof of a conspiracy to keep people <laughs> guessing to fill in those blanks do you remember peter power of visor consultants do you know that name all right world trade center no sorry not world trade center seven 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 bombing in in london uh, a subway, a bus, and some other incident, right? Peter Power, and the clip is out there, worked for a place called Visor, V-I-S-O-R, Consultants. And they happened to give this guy airtime that morning because he was present, right? And what he said was something like this. We were on the scene conducting an exercise and then the actual thing that we were practicing for <laughs> happened at the places where we were practicing. So we went from slow time to quick time thinking and jumped into action. And he, he just totally let the whole cat out of the bag and it was gone. It was not going back in the bag. And then people started to be like, what else is going on that these people run off? Oh, 9-11 had 14 to 20 operations going that morning with Boston hijackings. Boston Marathon bombing. All yeah, those Boston things. Boston Marathon. Yeah, that's right. And my question yeah. is like, how did the Arabs do that? Or how did the, you know, uh, who the brothers from the Boston bombing? What was there? The Sarnayevs. Okay. When I had up this uh, thought in the history blueprint earlier, I almost said it, but I'm like, I don't have context to show you. 
But uh, let me just go back a couple of screens because there was a, a foundation involved with the Sarnayevs. Jamestown. Uh, Henry Jackson Society. Oh, right here. I did a lot yeah. of work on the Sarnayevs and I don't I don't remember. Yeah. That. The Henry Jackson Society had uh, who was the guy that was involved with the not Pearl. There's another guy. Dear Love. No, Woolsey. No, maybe it was Dear Love. It was one of these guys. These could both dirty birds. Yeah, but um, Dear Love is former MI6 director. So when like people from Henry Jackson Society had direct contact with uh, the Boston Bombers, uh, this might be one of the videos that I was studying on. Anyway, they're too close. They're too close to the actual. The, no, the like, uncle. Yeah. The uncle was yeah, married. Ruslan. Uncle Ruslan. Yeah, he was married to the daughter of Graham Fuller. His, his Graham Fuller right. was the CIA chief of Afghan of uh, Kabul, Afghanistan, and his daughter, Samantha Fuller Sarnayev, mm-hmm. was uh, where Ruslan Sarney lived when he worked for USAID doing the exact stuff that Tamerlan was doing in Chechnya, I think, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, they had gone in yeah, and they out. Were CIA, they were just outed and they were gotten rid of. <laughs> I mean, that's just what that was. Were, and then we watched and them hunt the, the guys. kid, though, who's yeah. definitely dead. I, I called that. I said, you'll never see a picture of that kid again because he died immediately. Um, was in school to become a dentist. I mean, yeah. that was. Well, in the backpack, pictures didn't matter. There was a whole bunch no, of things. No, they, I did so much dude, to the point about where that whole thing. Um, to, Ibrahim Todashev, who was the guy in Florida who got shot like six times to the body and once to the crown of the head, his wife called me from Russia. And uh, I did an interview with her, Renee something. And um, I even asked her, I was like, so the Sarnayev, like when that kid, uh, Jahar Sarnayev went to court, like that wasn't really him, right? And she's like, no, I think it was him. So I don't know, but that's the point at which I, I, I mean, I, I, and a couple of times I said stuff that was reflected. This was weird. Like, so I would say that kind of thing. And I'd say, you'll never see a picture of him again. And then there'd be a picture of him come out a few days mm. later. So there's only two times I think I was ever like listened to when I was on WSB and that was one of them. And uh, they're like, we need to get an updated yeah. picture out there. Yeah, exactly. Yes, exactly. And I, then I started feeling bad that I ever say stuff like that. But I mean, no, I, I was rarely listened to, but they must just have people listen to everything all the time. They do. And uh, there's a lot of those incidents in American history that people kind of just overlook or forget about. But once you start looking into them and they start adding up, like if you've ever done work into looking Oklahoma City bombing, what was that about? Or what was Waco about? You ever watch Waco rules of engagement oh, and watch God. the clear footage of them watching the people inside on infrared, yeah. right? Forward looking infrared and they, they can see and they got the tanks and they're, you know, and Biden said they lit themselves on fire. Yeah. And the yeah. OKC that um, Noble Lie was a good documentary on that. Yeah. Terrence Yakey was uh, the cop who committed suicide and he was uh, like, there, there was, was a cop whole... like that in Charlie Hepto too. Yeah. yeah. Went, went to his office to write up what he had found out and decided to shoot himself in the head on his desk. Yeah. Well, Gary Webb, who was talking about cracking uh, the CIA and he shot himself two shots. Of the head. I went into um, Hastings. So I forget about it. Yeah. yeah. The author of this book, Anthony LePay. I went to see him one time because he wrote this book called True Lies. It's all about uh, 9-11 and Bush and Flight 93 and these types of things, right? So I went and talked to him and he's he was friends with Gary Webb. 
And he told me Gary Webb shot himself twice. Twice. In, in <laughs> Wow. And I shouldn't see any problem with that. And That's I shouldn't ask tricky. people questions about that. And then he took a he took a call from a guy named Saul in Israel while we were there. And so <laughs> while I have a recording of that meeting, I feel like I was in a room that was bugged. And they also had a recording of the meeting as well. And his mom was a famous communist kind of agitator. So there are people out there among us who like, you know, put some stuff out, but they come from a long history of collectivism and overthrow and chaos and not the good type of anarchy did uh, you ever hear Gaddafi's son this is also a callback to earlier in the show mm -hmm. Gaddafi's son called dennis kucinich did you ever hear the leaked tape of kucinich mm, yeah so no. Gaddafi's son called dennis kucinich and another thing that you That's might not have heard was a lot of leaked stuff about Gaddafi saying look i will completely uh resign i will step down just let just find somebody to replace me because this place will descend into chaos and Hillary wouldn't even take his call, Gaddafi's call. He, she was held. That I do chaos. remember a little bit. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. but the son called Kucinich and said, this is all lies. I know America must know that we're not terrorists. Those are terrorists from other countries. They're cutting people's heads off. This is insane. And what was not only interesting was that call, but what was really interesting to me is that Kucinich, they asked Kucinich because it was from Kucinich's end that it was being recorded. And they asked him, like, did you record your calls? He said, I don't know who made that record. That hmm. is fascinating. I mean, the throwback to what you're saying here, and this week, this is from March 11th, 2011. This is the original research community that Richard Grove and his wife had set up together called Tragedy Hope. Um, I remember that. Yeah, old school, right? This old, the NING, the Ning platform, very very clunky but you know we may do with it and uh yeah it looks this good. is episode 208 of media monarchy and he wow. goes, cheers as cia plunges wow. libya into chaos and, you know before the chaos erupted libya had a lower incarceration rate than the czech republic yeah. they ranked 61st libya had the lowest infant mortality rate of all of africa libya had the highest life ex life expectancy of all of africa so forth and so the, libya had the highest gdp and purchasing power the government took care to ensure blah 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 Libya had the highest human development index that's what i was trying to allude to earlier with the um the met the metrics that the um i want to say the imf or who uses and probably the imf in this case to rank or maybe the economists so forth and so on uh libya power percentage of people live below the poverty line blah blah lower percentage of people live below the poverty a lot of these links now are yeah. broken because they're 10 years old but, yeah 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 but, I know uh, yeah so it's just interesting here's when you through this it's just like you go it's just line after line this is all the stuff that um james evan plato you know detailed on yeah. this 208 of media monarchy yeah and you could you could sort of what was interesting going back through is you can see all the sort of research that we we're doing all of these links are now broken youtube links from 10 yes i used to do that too and yeah. not only did i get taken down from wordpress but the uh even when I tracked down some of those old resources, they're gone. For Boston Marathon bombing, I uploaded a lot of it to my computer. It's probably not there anymore, but there were a lot of uh, eyewitness reports of mm -hmm. what really happened. And but Did you know Leanna Wen was one of the individuals interviewed? The, and Leanna Wen's like the CNN correspondent for COVID now, but she was also one of the ones interviewed on the Boston Mar Boston bombing. Oh, like, yes, right I happened. saw her. Uh, yes, yes. Yeah. Now, wait a second. She works for Planned Parenthood. Why is she qualified to talk on the Boston bombing? Um, That's interesting. Yeah, and very but strange, before we right? get away from his son, I wanted to point out mm -hmm. Muammar Gaddafi's son, uh, Saif. Yeah. OK, uh, he studied 
at uh, okay. London School of Economics right, under, with Rothschilds under, under Rhodes Scholar Joseph Nye, and the Rothschilds mm-hmm. are the you know primary financial kind they, they, of they finance. I, no, I think he was LSE buddies with the, the Rothschilds. He was good friends with the Rothschilds. Yeah, and and, and LSE London School of Economics and the yep. Economists are Rothschild concoctions. Yeah. So LSE over here criticized Gaddafi for his links, uh, or you know the the regime in India or in Libya, right? So. LSE criticized for links with Gaddafi regime. So there's BBC stories saying Gaddafi has connections with this group, right? And then the Monitor Group out of Boston also uh, consulted on these types of things uh, that precipitated into the Benghazi attack on September 11th, 2012. Where do I know that date from? September 11th. Is that the 1973 operation? Uh, You know, was it? Not Ajax. What's the one where they killed... Uh, Ajax was the Allende. Shah. Was when they put the Shah. Right, in. that was 1953. Uh, which Pino is the Shah, one? Allende. What was the name yeah. of that? I forget. I'm getting old. Is that Camelot? <clears throat> anyway, so I, I guess this date's important in history. This, this date in Libya. No, but um, yeah, it's interesting because the people that killed his dad, he like get, he's still getting educated and works for him apparently. I could pick this brain forever, and I might have to. But I have I'm going to have to hop because I have to do my own show first thing in the morning. And uh, but how do I get that brain? I can give you uh, a link. You can have access like it's just uh, I, I can give you a web door to it and you can get in and do a search for basically anything that's in there. On it, these topics. Is it, am I going to be able to yeah. intuit how to use it? You click. It's parent child cousin relationships. And you'll see <laughs> it's point cousin, and shit. Point yeah, it's and very, shit. very easy. Yeah. The, wow. Mm-hmm. Here's the web thought. I'll drop it in Discord and they maybe. Where do you find the time to do all this, Richard? Sunday night, Tony. Yeah. <laughs> well, honestly, um, they, we Rich spent. I mean, when I met him, let me put myself on camera. I'm doing too many things all at once. My brain's all scattered. When I met them and I lived with them for a little bit, sort of off and on, uh, we spent. Rich had spent a good many years after being a whistleblower himself and going down the rabbit hole and trying to figure out. I mean, I walked into a library that. You see all the the little notes he has in there and the highlights and he spent he yeah. was very pedantic and diligent and his uh and granular and his a little his, bit like rain man yeah he really was nice. it was absurd yeah. to a, a level but that's what's needed and i remember it's time his, but yeah, you have time. to really spend the time and which is spent, why you kind of have to make a living of it because you can't do it as a side and game. it was hard to make a living that's the thing they spent so you know well over a decade doing yeah. this whereas you know living sort of on a very limited means um yeah and it was very that's what it took though i remember his wife once saying yeah, like this is what it takes to understand the world you live in and she she was panning <sighs> to all the books and all the time and i spent i know exactly what we went through it was very difficult emotionally tiring uh, physically tiring um compromising to their ability to just enjoy some of the basic you know yes uh, uh, well it just almost seems know. like there should be a group of people who are well funded that are supposed to take care of these things and it shouldn't <laughs> fall to a former whistleblower who happens to be like, okay, I got time and aptitude to solve and this problem. And myself, a dude it. who just right. tripped on mushrooms right. and was like a little too concerned yeah. about, you know, I gained some conscientiousness from it. And so it shouldn't fall on dudes like us or other individuals, you know, James Corbett, James Evan Plot. I mean, there's been so many. Now there's the Jay Dyers. I mean, there's so many people we could point to. Alex Jones is one of the sort of innovator and I guess, a, yeah. Know, to do that whole thing but he had some great stuff ben livingston mm-hmm. charlotte eiserbite oh my god yeah yeah 
Sort of those would be yeah. There's so many of them. There's we stand on the shoulders of giants. Yeah, John Taylor Gatto, obviously. Which yeah, Rich could really see the value in that at a time where I didn't even know who the man was. John Taylor Gatto. So that's that's when I became a fan of Rich. So, but thank you for joining us. Yeah, it's been super super fun. Yeah, absolutely, really really enjoyable. And um, sometime. Yeah, I don't know how you guys do a six hours straight. That's crazy. (laughs) You must be a clean liver. So <laughs> that's have that kind of energy. Um, wow, it was super fun, guys. I'm going to say goodbye, but we'll next time it's my turn. See you on my show. Thank you so much, Monica. Sure. Have a Thanks, wonderful guys. evening. Love you guys. Bye, Stay Tony. Bye, LD. Sure will. Take care. Right, Thank peace. you so much. Have a great night. All right. So that was a, a nice deep dive into uh, a multitude and multiplicity of topics that was uh, heretofore expected but it was more pleasant than I expected. So that was fantastic. What did you think, Tony? You hadn't really gotten the chance to talk with Monica before, but I'm she sure. She's an incredible heard. energy. That's, I, I just, I love her energy. Um, she speaks with parhesia and diffidence and she asks good questions, but it's just, it's that energy. Uh, it's very sort of, she has a sort of charismatic, sort of uh, magnetic sort of personality. I can see why she got into um, radio and why she was successful. Yeah, you can see why her. somebody would give her a radio yeah, show. Exactly. Definitely. Yeah, hundred percent. She has that sort of charisma that's needed in order to be able to galvanize uh, interest in a public to give call in and be a part of like that sort of community and that sort of thing. So shout well, out. Well, the other thing is to do live it. radio, you have to be thinking like there's ten steps ahead and you're mm-hmm. thinking ten or fifteen steps ahead and the people calling in they're two steps behind. So there's a big gap there and you have to be able to to fill that and it's an active. Uh, form of consciousness so it takes a it's special so mentality yeah. she seems to have 10 thoughts at the ready at any given time so she's like this is no challenge well so it's a, it's it. part of rhetorical skills something i teach and, and i was taught in parochial school oh, or yeah. something and then classical rhetoric can you can you speak on any topic even if you don't necessarily know what you're talking about that's something yeah, you I've can't learned. graduate law school without being able to to Talk, do that yeah you know, exactly that Got public it. speaking the the mock trial the sort of uh things that people might do in high school yes to be able to get through law school you have to do it real real good yes exactly you, know? you can't just like be phoning it in no one you know no well, these are many of the skills like you that. teach in your autonomy course i mean the, a well, lot of it has some to do of them. some of them i mean i mean insofar as public speaking and the ability to get over that sort of fear apprehension that one would have in regards to being just talking in front of someone that you're not used to a complete stranger or maybe a a manager at work or something of that nature and being able to, you know, speak with confidence and parhesia and uh, with the ability to, you know, cite what you're good at and, and improve your life therefrom. So I also teach the equal and opposite skill, which is how to be a a curious, intentful listener that too. You can actually get to that part where you can have the time speaking and speak intelligently about things. Right. Not from a, an assumption point of view, but I knew what questions to ask to come up with my conclusion, which is more of a, a lawyer type of uh, thought process. That's what you have to Goes do. Goes from to A to B with a point. Yeah. There's a connection there. So, yeah. All right. So let's, uh, there's one left, one last clip out of, or whoa, we got to play Jackson report out of this section, right? Yep. Uh, we can just see yeah, the Jackson report. Uh, that whole stuff, it doesn't really matter. It was a sort of like, yeah, I don't need the Theranos. Theranos, not good. Neither is Pfizer or Moderna. But yeah, let's go to uh, breaking mass psychosis. We could use some breaking of that mass psychosis with Jeffrey Jackson and uh, Del Bigtree. I didn't get to see it yet, so I'm going to be with you reviewing this clip. Yeah, but while we're bringing it up, 
just talk about some stuff because they're they're I don't know what's been going on with their website, but I've been having to use different browsers. Been having some struggling struggle lately. Might they be under attack? Getting might someone trying up. to be making their stuff not flow so freely to the internet? <laughs> yeah, they it's been an interesting little ride. Here, I got it up now, but it's uh, okay. Yeah, I forgot I was talking to you I, and so, tell, telling you to play the clip. So no, we're good. I also but, do a lot. And this is Mark McDonald, by the way. So let me put this on here. Uh, oh, is he the doctor that was on the Infowars with the cowboy hat? No. No. Maybe. I'm gonna have I thought his name was McDonald. On the second screen, I think, for those that are on watching on on Zoom. And if you're watching on Zoom and there's any struggle, I know there is some struggle with seeing the videos. Uh, you might just have to jump to a different streaming platform tonight until I work out those difficulties. Again, this is only one night. Uh, we'll work out some of these next time I have to host, but uh, LD's traveling to see some family and in studio. People at home are like, who's on Zoom? We're all watching a live stream. Well, we have like a studio audience. We have live studio audience every show. Before we even stream, they're getting a full show yeah, <laughs> watching us sure. You know, try to get the bit. show on the road. And then they have an after show aspect. So that's members of the Grand Theft Auto. But Mark McDonald is one of the, that's the psychiatrist at LA that came up with the mass delusion psychosis. Oh, okay. I got you. He's the other part of uh, the Belgian guy. You got it. You got it. All right, cool. Thank you for setting that context. Mm -hmm. That was worth doing. And Jackson Port's like right after this. Let me put this over here. Can you still see that, Rich? Can you see that video? Okay, good. And let me just pull up the time. Back in our hands. Take care. We'll talk yeah. to you again soon. Thanks, Stell. It looks a little over. All right. Well, to get deeper into that insanity that does surround. What's wrong with it? It looks a little oversized. Not uh, that it little, matters yeah, that it much. It's oversized because of the. But that could just be on Zoom. That's a Zoom issue. So people on Zoom. As long as it's okay for the, the live stream. Yeah, we're going to. It's time for. I'm going to do the. Uh, people on Zoom are not going to be able to see the clips tonight until I figure out what's going on there. Dun, dun, dun. So. That's this gonna be the way it's gonna be. Jump okay. ship, everybody. Go to yeah. Rockfin. There's Rockfin. There's Rockfin. Twitch, D Live, Periscope, Twitch. Odyssey. We have a thousand different places we're streaming from. Just for tonight, uh, I do apologize. We like to keep the audience spread out so no one knows exactly how many listeners we have. <laughs> See, instead of trying to get you guys all to go to one place and get on one list, we keep it spread out, make it easy for you. There you go. And hard for them. Okay, here we go. Without further ado, Jeffrey Jackson Report. The Jackson Report. I just said that. Well, happy New Year, Jeffrey. Uh, here we go. Another year. We're still here, rocking it out. You've been amazing. You know, how was your holiday? You, you it was rest. awesome. All right. Good. Yeah, it was awesome. Lots of rest. Um, no fear. All right. Good. <laughs> no mass formation Excellent. psychosis. No delusion. So anybody out there watching the news, uh, they're probably in fear. And why is that? It's because the news lately, the past couple of weeks, is looking like this. Take a look. All right. We begin tonight with the latest wave of COVID infections, making it feel, yes, like December of 2020. The country is in the midst of an Omicron tidal wave. The average number of new COVID cases, nearly 300,000 a day. Americans wondering whether family gatherings will affect the spike in cases fueled by the Omicron variant. And the CDC is now saying the Omicron variant is responsible for nearly 60% of all COVID cases across the country as of Christmas Day. COVID cases are rising extraordinarily quickly, even in people who are vaccinated. Dr. Fauci today said COVID Omicron will become the dominant 
variant very soon. There are some encouraging signs. Many people with this new Omicron variant get asymptomatic infections. While new COVID-19 cases shot up 60% in the last week, hospitalizations rose just 14%. And the average number of daily deaths actually dropped by 7%. If you have tried to get a test lately, you already know it is very hard to get one right now. Again, today, long lines stretching through streets in major cities all across the country. Look at this, Miami. Today, once again, jammed with cars at a testing site. And in New York City, people sharing videos showing long lines at testing sites. And chaos at testing centers. With tests sold out at many pharmacies. We've obviously got to do better. There certainly is. I mean, you know, this is one circumstance where, you know, we talk about the media being sort of sensational and they're putting a lot of fear around it. But I'll be honest with you. Um, and I've been asking about for me, I do feel like Omicron is, is not like anything I've seen as far as the amount of people uh, that got sick over the holidays. I would say almost almost everyone in my family uh, that had not previously got sick seemed to have come down with it, you know, put made through. Uh, but it does feel like it's everywhere. I mean, um, yeah. I don't remember it feeling like this up until this moment. Omicron does seem to be a little bit different in that uh, it's sweeping certainly America and I would guess as it appears the world. Yeah, and there's a lot of new information that's come out. So let's let's check that out right now. Let's go over it. First of all, this is mainstream headlines right out of Reuters from the WHO. World Health Organization says more evidence that Omicron causes milder symptoms. So they're saying there's studies and evidence emerging that the Omicron variant is only affecting the upper respiratory tract compared to the other variants that were going deeper with their pathology. And, you know, we, you get the people running to the ventilators at the beginning of the pandemic, we, we all remember, sadly. So that's a good sign because it's staying out of the deep lung tissue pathology. Uh, okay. But here's, let's look, look at a study. We have some of the first studies that are really digging into the Omicron versus the Delta. And this okay. is a study right here, comparison of outcomes from COVID infection in pediatric and adult patients before and after the emergence of Omicron. They looked at five, almost five, uh, almost 600,000 first time SARS-CoV-2 infected patients nationwide. Uh, they looked at a nationwide database from multiple surveillance sites in the US. And this is what they found. So they write, uh, and these are the comparisons. They write the three-day risk in the emergent Omicron cohort outcomes were consistently less than half of those in the Delta cohort, emergency department visits were 4.55%. This is the Omicron versus 15.22% uh, in the Delta. Hospitalizations, 1.75% in the Omicron versus 3.95% in the Delta. ICU admissions, 0.26% in the Omicron versus 0.78% in the uh, Delta. And then finally, the mechanical ventilation. God forbid we're still doing this to people. Luckily, it's 0.07% in the Omicron compared to it was 0.43% uh, in the Delta. So to summarize, really a lot of numbers there, 70% 70, 70 decrease in emergency department visits, 55% yeah. decrease in hospitalizations wow. for the Omicron variant, 66% decrease in ICU admissions, and 83% decrease in mechanical ventilation so that's wow. really really good news yeah super good news absolutely right. and I mean, so even so even though it's sweeping it's it's much more like a cold and uh and not really like uh even a flu i mean that those numbers are really low 
Yeah, and more good news from this study. Those authors go, go on to say this as well, talking about the wide range of uh, population. They say in children under five years old, the overall risk of emergency department visits and hospitalization in the emergent Omicron cohort were 3.89% and 0.96% respectively, significantly lower than the 21.01% and 2.65% in the matched Delta cohort. And then the, the kicker right here, similar trends were observed for other pediatric groups ages 5 to 11, 12 to 17 years, adults 18 to 64, and older adults over 65. So basically everyone is experiencing this uh, less less of these larger issues that are really associated with this with this COVID virus that we're seeing. Right. Fantastic. Now, in the U in the, yes, absolutely. In the UK, we can go over to there. There was a report that was put together with their numbers, the Office of National yeah. Statistics, and so on and so forth. And here's the headlines coming out of there. Over 70s, those are 70-year-old people, 10 times less likely to die from COVID than last year. This is from Professor Anthony Brooks. He's an expert in genetics uh, and health data at the University of Leicester. He helped compile research based on uh, Office of National Statistics, government and NHS infection reports. And he says, COVID no longer posed a significant threat to, quote, the vast majority of people, end quote. He, he continues, we will not be in anything like the same place in January 2022 as we were in January 2021. Infected individuals are at dramatically uh, less risk of becoming seriously ill or dying than a year ago, he said. And here's the kicker. He added, over the last month, the risk has been dropping further thanks to Omicron now accounting for about 95% of cases in England. Omicron is around fourfold less dangerous. It's like nature's vaccine. So That's we an have an amazing statement, in fact, and we've had that conversation. I'm not sure if I said it yeah. on one of the previous shows when we were talking about it, but what we have been, you know, thinking to ourselves is, you know, we've mentioned, I think it should be on the table, whether this is man-made again or natural. Mm -hmm. uh, but if it's natural, you know, I, I think there's even scientists that have called this perhaps God's vaccine. But it really does feel, as I've been watching this, no matter what, whether there's some benevolent person out there, maybe they're saving their own butts, they released this, I don't know. But it does feel like, you know, or the thought that I have is, is it possible that a milder virus like this that is sweeping across everybody, in fact, it's getting everybody that doesn't matter, one shot, two shot, three shot vaccines, mm -hmm. uh, it seems to get right through that. And for us, we know that you're really hurting your immune system, you're, you're, you're blocking the ability for your immune system to have a, a, a decent recognition of future variants. I wonder if Omicron could even reset those individuals. Is this, my, my thinking is, is this sort of that last exit to Brooklyn, that last opportunity to jump off this crazy bandwagon, let this virus run its course, of course, always protecting, I'm never gonna say just blanketly, just let it run its course, but to say that for those that are still at high risk, you know, even though this is much lower risk, let's protect them. But honestly, of all the times I've been ridiculed early on when I said, for those of us that are healthy, we need to get out and catch this cold. In this case, I don't think you have to do anything. It's going to find you whether you're wearing three masks, triple vaxxed. It doesn't matter. This thing is coming your way. The mistake, it seems to me, would be to add a booster after it. I've met people that say, yo, I just got that Omicron, but I'm finally testing negative. I got to go get my booster shot. I'm thinking, what in the hell is wrong with this person? You have like the Ferrari of immunity now. You've been through it. You've built up, you know, memory, you know, B cells and T cells and antibodies. You're ready to go. You have a Ferrari. You're going to trade that in now for a Pinto and go back to vaccinated, you know, immunity. And for everyone that's watched all of our shows on what that vaccine actually does, the specific antibodies. But man, does this feel like a get out of jail free card for all sides? 
for all sides, yeah. for Fauci and all of them. Go ahead. Take it as a victory. Let this thing sweep. Stop this vaccine program. Let's listen to Geert van den Bosch. My concern is that if we don't use this opportunity to jump off this crazy train, that the next, the, you know, that that next moment will be like that dark cloud that covers the sun. And we thought we were through it. And then what happens if you continue to pressure this virus? It obviously right. figured out in some way how to be more infectious. What if it becomes more deadly? We're really lucky right now. It feels like wherever this comes from, it really could reset. And as that guy said, it's like a natural vaccine. We should really, I think, celebrate this. And God, it'd be a great time for like all of those great Barrington scientists that were really believed in, you know, sort of controlled, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, acceptance of this virus and let it sort of run its course, but protect those that need to be protected. Scott Atlas, right. part of that group, too. Uh, man, I, I really I pray to God we come to our senses before we do something really stupid like continue to vaccinate. Yeah. And speaking of that, running parallel with this Omicron variant and all, all of its uh, points, there are some this information that's been known for coming on two years now about the vaccine. So there's probably the hardest push for vaccination we've ever seen across the world yeah. because of the lockdowns and how the unvaccinated are being treated from Australia to France to Italy. So the Heart Group, this is a, a UK group of independent doctors and scientists. They wrote an article and they compiled all this research. Uh, this, it stands for Health Advisory and Recovery Team. And they titled it The Worrying Phenomenon Known Since uh, known about since 2020. And what they're looking at, they concluded, they looked at nine studies and they concluded this. In summary, the evidence of an increased infection rate in the first two weeks after vaccination is well established. There remains debate around what causes the higher rates immediately after vaccination, but the fact that this occurs is not disputed. How much of a higher infection rate? Just a couple of those studies. Here's some percentages. A Brazilian study, 69% higher rate in uh, vaccinated healthcare workers compared to unvaccinated healthcare workers uh, for the first 13 days after the shot. We have a Danish paper, 40% increase in the first two weeks among uh, vaccinated home care residents. And even Pfizer's own data showed a 40% increase in what they call suspected COVID in vaccinated versus the placebo uh, in the original in the original data that they submitted. Now, what's interesting about well, this I mean, is- I love how they say that it's accepted. We've been saying that. We've been showing data that we've been showing these data drops where we see it appears that you, you know, lose your immune protection, at least for those first couple of weeks. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I love that they're saying that it's widely accepted. I, I'm certainly uh, I'm listening. I hear it on the high wire. I don't know that it's that widely accepted at CNN, MSNBC and Fox. Uh, right, right. But um, it's great that somebody's finally admitting that this is the case. And the issue is, like you talked about with uh, Professor Norman Fenton a couple weeks ago, those first 14 uh, days, those first two weeks are typically omitted from the science, but uh, most of the science, but a lot of the science also adds those, uh, those, those numbers to the unvaccinated group. Right. So it's kind of an unfair counting. But as this vaccination push is happening, I think it's important to really understand that this is the data. So we're, as we're seeing these cases explode along with the vaccination rates, we have to parse that, that out and see exactly what, what's happening there. But as we're talking about the vaccinations, some big news just happened this week uh, from the FDA and now also yesterday, the ACIP committee. And that was uh, the approval of boosters for the EUA. They extended this. This was uh, the headline at the highwire.com news page. FDA bypasses advisors, approves Pfizer boosters for children as young as 12. That These the va uh, vaccines and related biological ah. products advisory committee. That's VERPAC. <laughs> Man. They, they, yep. They, they, they uh, skipped VERPAC and they just went right for it. 
And, you know, we've covered this before. It's not the first time they've skipped no. that committee and ignored them. But here's here's what's interesting about this. It's starting to gain some focus and it's starting to gain some attention from the wider scientific community about how wrong this is. So here's John Hopkins, uh, professor, surgical oncologist, Marty McCari. And he took to Twitter and just blazed it out there. He says, uh, dear President Biden, FDA is bypassing its scientific advisors to authorize boosters for all kids 12 to 15 next week. This is unconscionable, undermines the integrity of the FDA's standard process. Please require FDA to put this authorized before the VRPAC. Uh, advisory committee for a vote. Well, that didn't happen. So he went back and said this, it is a slap in the face to science for US FDA to circumvent the standard convening of the expert advisory board. FDA is quietly doing this because their experts previously voted it down, voicing concern about medical harms. That's at uh, President of the United States and Dr. Janet Woodcock. Rand Paul even got in the mix, jumping onto that Twitter thread, thread and he, he had this to say about it. This is a Kentucky Senator. He said, so government is ignoring its own rules to push booster vaccines on kids for a disease that is less deadly in children than the seasonal flu. And then finally, we have, uh, this is a hematologist, oncologist, health researcher, Vinay Prasad. He was on Twitter and he said this, deciding to boost millions of kids with zero efficacy data with no idea the risk benefit is favorable is something I never thought I would see from the FDA. Would not have happened if Gruber Cruz still worked there. What does he mean by that? This is the scientist, uh, Dr. Marion Gruber, director of the FDA's vaccine office mm. and her deputy, uh, uh, Philip Cruz, and they stepped away from the FDA. And at the time, the, the headlines look like this. Scientists who quit FDA criticized plan for widespread COVID vaccine boosters. And after that happened, it was smooth sailing, it looked like. <laughs> but wow. what, is, uh, what is Dr. Prasad saying in that tweet there? Let's look at the FDA's basically science by press release. This is what they gave us to get, since they didn't have that expert committee. Uh, and this is the headline there, the expanse, expanding the use of the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine. And it says here, the FDA reviewed real-world data from Israel, including safety data from more than 6,300 individuals, 12, 15 years of age, who received the booster dose. So that's what they're basing it on. Then they go on to say, astonishingly, the data shows there are no new safety concerns following a booster in this population. There were no new cases of myocarditis, pericarditis reported to date in these individuals. Well, that's really interesting. And what that led was yesterday, the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices um, and also CDC head uh, Walensky signed off on this. And here's the headline, CDC approves use of Pfizer COVID boosters for ages 12 to 15. You, you know what now, just stands out to me as I see that you just did that, that previous slide where they say, and there wasn't a, a you know, raise in the risk of myocarditis and pericarditis. I mean, how many people do we hear in hospitals when their child is now in the hospital with a swollen heart uh, which may be a permanent issue that could lead to their, you know, early demise, say, I had no idea that this was a side effect of this issue. Right. And here it is clear. The FDA knows it is such an important issue that it goes out of its way to bring it up. Say, it's not worse than it already was in the other vaccines we gave you, so just step right up and get it. But it shows you it's on their minds. It shows you that it's there. This is not something that, you know, anti-vaxxers are making up. They know for a fact, and everyone watching this, maybe watching this for the first time, I want you to know this. If you're one of those people that's now joining us because your child had a swollen heart and you thought that that was just crazy talk by anti-vaxxers, now you know the FDA accepts this as a casualty. They are perfectly okay with every one of those children out there that are getting a swollen heart, maybe even dying with heart issues, uh, whether it's on a soccer team or on a football 
football field or a baseball field or playing tennis, they accept that. They are looking at that. They're staring it right in the face and saying, yeah, we don't care. Get it out there. Right. And we're talking about heart inflammation, myocarditis, pericarditis. And there is a gigantic study that just came out that was pretty much not reported in the mainstream whatsoever. And we're going to cover it here. This was out of Kaiser Permanente Northwest, one of the largest healthcare organizations in the United States. And it's risk of myopericarditis following COVID-19 mRNA vaccination in a large integrated health system. They looked at, at people, a cohort from December 2020 to October 2021. And understand, this is what the conclusion was. They say, uh, we identified additional valid cases of myopericarditis following an mRNA vaccination that would be missed by the VSD's search algorithm. The VSD is a vaccine safety data link, which depends on select hospital discharge diagnos diagnosis codes. The true incidence of myopericarditis is markedly higher than the incidence reported to US advisory committees. So understand what these authors did. The VSD just looks at these um these icd codes that's the code they right. use for billing and that's all they do and they say well that's the, what the code is and this is what we have but these authors search the text the actual text the doctors wrote down uh during the visit search all of the information all of those notes and they okay. also search the billing code so sometimes someone because the cdc only has certain centers that they s surveil from so if you get the shot at one of those centers and then your kid goes not to the center but to a local doctor because his heart swells up sometimes that gets lost in the billing codes and that doesn't get caught on the vsd sure. so these authors went and checked all of those things and this is what they found this is the image about the the rates here the chart so you can see here uh the biggest number there 537.1 if you track that down males second dose per million so that's 537.1 per million so uh, in of, 18 of to of, uh, yes, of, cases of myocarditis, myocarditis. Okay, wow. Correct. Yes, in ages 18 to 24, and the second biggest one is ages 12 to 17, uh, and that's male second dose. That's 377.4 per million. Now, those numbers, we're looking at those and thinking, okay, what's going on here? What are they? Is the CDC really missing this? Well, we pulled some reports from the CDC, okay. and this was a report. Uh, this was their MMWR report from June. And remember, June 2021. This is when they had to pause because myocarditis became a big issue, and they actually had to have a meeting. ASAP had to have a meeting on myocarditis to see if the benefits outweighed the risk. Well, let's look at they, what the numbers they found here. They write in this report the highest reporting rates were among males. Same age group, um, parsing it up, age 12 to 17 years and those age 18 to 24 years, 62.8 and 50.5 reported myocarditis cases per million second doses of mRNA COVID vaccine administered respectively. So you're talking 62, basically 50 versus 537 per million and 377 per million. I think we brought up and a then, graph. Let's see that graph so that people can see the comparison between what the CDC had said was the actual issue versus what is now being revised by uh, this new study. So there you have it, the estimated by the CDC. Remember, that's when they vote. They voted based on those numbers, said, yeah, we're willing to accept 62.8 people per million and 50.5 per million. But what they're really accepting, because they don't do decent data collection and didn't really care enough, is that that number appears to be much higher. What is that, five times higher uh, at least, maybe you know, 10 times higher? A thousand percent, thousand percent increase to 377 per million 
in the 12 to 17 range and 18 to 24 in the 500 to 37 range. And, and by the way, people, this is Kaiser Benente. These are five. These are numbers of pro-vaccine people, pro-vaccine doctors just deciding to actually do a decent investigation. So that is shocking. I mean, it's shocking mm -hmm. how far off the CDC, which is who we trust, our government regulatory agency that is supposed to be blocking us from getting a dangerous product from the pharmaceutical industry that's bragging about making tens of billions of dollars from it, and they don't even have their numbers uh, straight and are way, way off the mark. Just to add a continued point to this, uh, I pulled another slide here. This is from October 2021, so even further along the line. And their numbers are basically still low. We're still in the double digits here. Um, Pfizer's looking at 69.1 uh, there with the second dose wow. from ages yeah. 16 to 17. Um, 18 to 24 is 38.6. So it's just going lower and lower and lower. So this is, this is what we're looking at here from the latest from the CDC. But let's go back to the fda so they used israeli data that's what they essentially based this entire uh, right. booster emergency use authorization on so how much data did they use what did they look at is it safe here's the actual slide from the presentation you can see here is they extended it in 12 to 15 year olds so in males remember males second yeah. dose is where that myocarditis is really getting hit hard you can see here zero Post-dose post three, that uh, one, two, three, fourth column in males 12 to 15, zero. And if you go one more, one more uh, column over, there was only 3,178 kids that they used for that cohort, for that group of people that they were investigating. Right. Now, let's go back to that Kaiser Permanente data. And that right. Kaiser Permanente data, if you break that down, you know, it's in per million. So that's kind of hard to understand what that really means. But if you do the math on that, it's basically one in 1,860 1, uh, cases of myocarditis in males aged uh, 18 to 24. Which and is one high. In I mean, that's high. I mean, when we hear millions, when we hear the millions, it's, it's hard to wrap your head around it. But does mm -hmm. anybody want to take a risk of a heart disease in your child at, in the thousands? One out of 1,800 cases that get the vaccine are going to have a heart issue. These aren't millions. This isn't hundreds of thousands of people, folks. This is this is how close you are. In a group of 1,800 kids, the chances is that one of them is going to have a heart condition. But go ahead. I'm sure that's not the point that you were making, but that is, I think that is well in the realm of, you know, I always think like if I laid, you know, 1,800 cookies out at your average, you know, elementary school or high school that has that many kids and said, one of these is going to poison you and give you a heart condition, you go ahead and have a cookie. The rest of you be fine. I don't think anyone's going to touch you know, those cookies. If it was one in a million cookies, you might take the, the, the roulette shot there, right? But one in yeah, 1,800, yeah. that is a super low and terrifying number. It, and it is. And if you look at the Israeli data, we're looking at basically based this uh, booster authorization for the third dose on 3,178 kids. So any epidemiologists out there, any scientists, any researcher worth their weight is, can you look at that and say that's a, that's a sufficiently powered study to figure no. out myocarditis rates. And that's, wow. that's real time data. That's not, that's not data. That's a that's great really point. Uh, it's one in 1,800. You don't even have enough to, for there to be potentially two cases you can see. Right. And obviously right. randomizing it, you would really need to see, you know, tens of thousands of, of, of kids at least so that you see that one in 800, one in 1,800 show up. They don't even have enough people there to see two cases. And then if they even did see them, they say, well, it's, it, you know, it was it was not statistically significant because it was such a low number. We can't extrapolate from that. So it's just crappy. It's just continued 
total crap science and, and wishful thinking. Right. Right. And you know what? Why is this why is this conversation important for so many reasons? But there's some headlines that have been happening this week and they're going really fast and they're going into next week as well. Schools are shutting back down. Schools are shutting back down and uh, they're closing because of this Omicron case surge we're seeing. Uh, and as we know, we covered so many times, we covered at the top of this segment that the, 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 the hospitalizations, the deaths, the mortalities, the ICU visits in kids are minuscule. And these teachers are closing these down. This is the headline, what it looked like. We're covering it, tracking it at the high wire. Uh, harms of school closings on kids ignored as teachers and teachers unions rushed to remote learning. Um, and this is all in the backdrop of what we know now. So this is the Toronto Sun calling, calling it inexcusable. This is an opinion piece, but these are in all the papers now. Closing schools at this point is inexcusable. Uh, this is Jennifer Grant. She writes, it's almost impossible to enumerate the harms of school closures. The, let's go to Chicago. That's one of the biggest uh, pops in the news recently. Chicago's teachers union voted to close their schools. Chicago uh, uh, schools cancel classes after teachers union votes to go virtual. So 73% of the teachers union members voted for remote instruction. Now, that's against a backdrop of this. This is the quote from the article. Roughly 100,000 students, and here it is, 91% of its more than 47,000 staff in the district are vaccinated according to the district. So you're telling me that these vaccinated teachers that are safe, you know, that's why they got the vaccine is to be safe, are going to put these kids with all the harms we know now of school closures on the chopping block because what? Because they're scared? And this isn't just in Chicago. This is going on everywhere. This is a chart from Verbino. This is, they're a data aggregator for K through 12 schools showing all the school closings. And the uh, you can see here, it's 4,781 schools moving away from in-person instruction. This is due to the pandemic response. Mm -hmm. And that's just in the first week of January. Now, uh, just to remind listeners and viewers, why is this important? There's been lots of studies out talking about the, the harms, but one of the biggest indicators is years of life loss. This is a, a article or a research paper in JAMA, estimation of US children's educational attainment in years of life loss associated with primary school closures during the coronavirus disease 2019 pandemic. Now they talk about a relative risk of annual mortality related to education attainment. And it says here, they say, summed across the population based on the RR, that's relative risk from US studies, an estimated 13.8 million years life loss may be associated with school closures. Now, if that's not enough, we have two of the most celebrated epidemiologist doctors, Johnny Ioannidis, uh, yeah. he's uh, the professor of medicine, Stanford University. And then we have Jay Bhattacharya, uh, Great Barrington Declaration, Declaration signer, uh, creator. They have a new study about lockdowns. Now these include the schools. And this is what the study looks like. Again, here, this should have received mainstream uh, attention it has not. We're gonna we're gonna do our best to spotlight it here. Assessing mandatory stay-at-home and business closure effects on the spread of COVID-19. And they write in the framework of this analysis, there is no evidence that more restrictive non-pharmaceutical interventions, lockdowns, contributed substantially to bending the curve of new cases in England, France, Germany, Iran, Italy, the Netherlands, Spain, or the United States in early 2020. This is. This is something that these teachers really should be paying attention to at this point. Yeah, I mean, it's absolutely outrageous. And, and we've shown the studies. The studies actually show the safest place for those teachers who think that they're at risk 
is inside of these schools, that the children are more of a filter. They don't seem to get infected. When they do, they don't seem to spread it. They don't spread it to the teachers. The numbers are super low. They're much yep. higher in your own home. They're much higher when you walk you know, through a gas station or a grocery store. All the other things that you are now going to do with your life other than teach our children are going to put you at a much higher risk for catching the Omicron variant, which has you know, got almost a, a minuscule death rate. So they're literally putting themselves at risk and destroying our children's lives, life years lost in the millions. Um, it's, it's, again, I mean, this is that sort of, right, mass delusional psychosis that we're all having to witness uh, right before our right. very eyes. And we're supposed to be looking at data-driven information. And the, the, the cases in kids are already extremely low. And that's with our, our, our counting. But as we reported on the high wire previously, the counts are off. And yeah. believe it or not, we have Dr. Anthony Fauci. He just went on the media this past week. And he admitted something. It's been an elephant in the room. And he comes out and says it. Take a look. If you look at the children who are hospitalized, many of them are hospitalized with COVID as opposed to because of COVID. And what we mean by that, if a child goes in the hospital, they automatically get tested for COVID and they get counted as a COVID hospitalized individual. When in fact, they may go in for a broken leg or appendicitis or something like that. So it's overcounting the number of children who are quote hospitalized with COVID as opposed to because of COVID. It's crazy when, you know, like a whole year later, you hear like Dr. Doom saying exactly what we said a year ago, you know, and all of these things, you're miscounting this. Having COVID is not, you know, it's not why the kid's in there. It's not why people are dying. When the adults, it's cancer, it's, it's heart disease. Right. In this case, broken legs and stuff, just because they happen to have COVID shouldn't be being, you know, listed as why they're in the hospital or being hospitalized. It seems obvious. Right. Yeah, we've been sold a lie on our kids, and that's yeah. the bottom line there. But what's interesting now, it's not just Fauci. We have people that previously were all in on the school lockdowns. We're all in on keeping the kids home. They're starting to sound like people that would appear on the high wire here and talk about actual facts. Listen to Mayor of Chicago, Lori Lightfoot. She's going to bat for the parents. Believe it or not, check it out. Wow. I have to tell you, it feels like Groundhog Day, that we are here again at this hour, almost 8 p.m., after everything that we've gone through over the last two years with the CTU leadership. Unfortunately, tonight, CTU leadership is compelling its membership to make a decision that will harm hundreds of thousands of Chicago families who rely upon CPS for their daily needs, for their education, for their nutrition, for their safety. That's real harm. And we can't overlook that. I remember very clearly when the previous administration said, uh, open the schools, we got to open the schools, was attacked by Lori Lightfoot and all of those and, and all of mainstream media. Now, all of a sudden, uh, looks like her tune is changing as we start to wake up uh, from this nightmare we're in and say, oh, my God. And, and when you think about Chicago, can you imagine, you know, the, these urban schools, you put some of these kids back on the street and don't have, you know, with, mm -hmm. you know, nowhere to go crime is already just through the roof and kids you know that uh don't have somewhere to go or be focused or focus their energy what is going to happen there 
Yeah, not not only Chicago, but a lot of these kids in these schools rely on the school's program for nutrition, yeah. for their food, for their meals as well. So it's just a complete disaster. And we even have the big guy, uh, Joe Biden, talking about he's singing a similar tune. Listen to this. We have no reason to think at this point that Omicron is worse for children than previous variants. We know that our kids can be safe when in school, by the way. That's why I believe schools should remain open. You know, they have what they need because of the American Rescue Plan, where the first month we were in office, or second month, that I signed in March, we provided the states with $130 billion, with a B, billion dollars to specifically keep our students safe and schools open. It's hmm. it's so annoying because honestly, you idiots caused this problem. It's like it's like watching Frankenstein complain that you know Dr. Frankenstein that his creation, this monster he built, is you know wreaking havoc. They created the fear. They built this thing. They made everybody feel like they can't go out. They shut down the schools. They scared the teachers. They filled the television with baloney and increased yeah. this 0.27% death risk into something that's going to kill us all. And now it's backfiring on them, and they recognize it. You know, as as we look at all this, you know, breaking down, when we see how mild Omicron is, it really reminded me of, you know, what I said in the beginning of this. In the very beginning, my biggest concern and our biggest concern as we talked about this is we got to set standards here. We were talking about it. At that moment, we didn't know what the death rate of COVID was, but we were saying We've got to say what line, what level, you know, what is the number, the percentage risk to a disease that warrants shutting down schools, destroying kids' lives, destroying economies, shutting down restaurants. If we don't come up with that line, we're going to be forever locked down. In fact, here, I guess we have it. Here's me all the way back, and I believe it's March of 2020, nearly two years ago, expressing what I thought would be the biggest concern if we didn't set a standard in the middle of all this. Here it is. Number one, in the United States of America where I live, and every one of you that is watching this around the world should ask this of your own government officials and your state officials. But what we need to ask is, what is the death rate that warrants quarantining a population and stopping them from being able to work and go on with ordinary life? We have never done it before for the flu, which is said to have a death rate of about 0.13%. And then question number two, once we know what that rate is and we know what that number is, if once our testing does come online and the models start to show us all around the world in our own testing of all the people showing the mild cases and the asymptomatic cases, and we watch this death rate dropping down as we know it naturally will, once it drops below that threshold that our governments have set, will we remove this quarantine and say, false alarm, everybody, sorry. We took obvious precautions which were necessary, but now that we've recognized that this death rate is well below a threshold that we have set, we are going back to our normal lives. Because if we don't know what this number is, we're on the verge of being in perpetual quarantine from here forward. I mean, that's our concern, mm. right? I said, and we kept, I kept demanding, will someone at the press corps 
ask, you know, Tony Fauci, what is the acceptable death rate and what's not acceptable? We know for a fact that the flu death rate tends to be on average around 0.13% of those that are infected. I said it then at 0.13%. We've been saying from the beginning, multiple studies, including the very last one just a few months ago by Johnny Yanides looking at the death rates all across the world, you know, that came up with and that death rate is still right about thinking that there's 0.27%. It's been holding strong this entire time for two years. The entire death rate, including all the elderly and the young. And let's bring up the tweet that came out of this study or the, the information that came out of this study because we know that's everybody. But look at the age 0 to 19 that's now going to be forced or, or asked to get a, a third booster shot. Their death rate is 0.0027%. It's only the elderly all the way up there over the age of 70 with other comorbid comorbidities that are pushing us to the point. Two seven percent. And here's my point as you, as you laid out all this information, Jeffrey. Mm -hmm. Omicron, as you've now shown by that study, is, is at least half as deadly, if not 70 or 80 percent based on the numbers and the age groups you're looking at. So we now know if Delta was and all these other previous more deadly versions of the variants were at 0.27 percent, we are literally now dropped below the flu number of 0.13 percent. I'm guessing if we did the math, we would find that the Omicron that is now the dominant strain around the world mm -hmm. is somewhere in the 0.1, maybe even 0.09 percent for all of the most uh, in danger for everybody on this planet. Yet we are shutting down schools again. We are watching New York right. shut down restaurants, destroy businesses, California. And this was the problem. By not setting a standard, we are now going to be masking everywhere we go for what would have been literally called the common cold two years ago. It is clear to me Omicron has about the death rate of the common cold, less than the flu, when we never mask for those things. We never said you can't get on a plane. We never, you know, shut you down. We never kept you from traveling, never shut down your businesses. This is this is the insanity. And we've got to point it out. I know we're going to work really hard this year to continue to beat this drum. We need standards set. We need these people to admit what is an acceptable death rate and what is not, because these are just numbers. It's really easy to figure out the math now. We're so far along in this. We know the truth. We all know the truth. Anybody with a brain can read the truth. Now we got to start waking people out of this, this coma and this mass delusion. Yeah, well said, Dell. I mean, and remember for the kids, this is, uh, it was kind of a, a, not a big deal for the kids. And those yeah. were the cook numbers we were right. going on. Those were the numbers that Fauci was saying, well, whoopsie, those are kind of cooked. They're not really that bad. So right. you, I remember when you had that conversation and hearing those words again that you just replayed uh, from so long ago, yeah. it really is such a juxtaposition compared to where we're at right now as we're fighting to keep these schools open. It's sad, it's surreal, and it's got to be reversed. And hopefully we can do our part to do that here. All right, Jeffrey, keep up the great work. Thank you. Awesome. Happy New Year. Here we go. We're back on All the right. horse. All right. I'll see you next week. Thanks. See if we can get this figured out here. Oh, my spotlight. That's not good. Got to put my camera on until someone speaks. Uh, okay. So that was Del Pigtree uh, and also Jeffrey Jackson of the Jackson Report. I'm going to do a bunch of things at once. I think I fixed Zoom. So people on Zoom should be able to hear and see the videos now. So I do apologize for that. You know, one of the interesting things I just have to point out. So they create the monster called progressive education, outcome-based education. And then they have a bunch of lower income families and children that are in need of the state-sponsored education. And now those 
school boards are voting not to provide the state-sponsored education. So there's multiple Frankensteins here. There's not just one Frankenstein in the form of the lockdown. There's also the Frankenstein in the form of the uh, of the progressive outcome-based education model that has been employed, of course, uh, in America and around the world. So, I mean, that's just to point that out. I just wanted to make that conspicuous because obviously that's also state indoctrination. And so it's no surprise that someone like a Lori Lightfoot, this, uh, the mayor of Chicago, or President Biden comes out and says, hey, we need to get these kids back in school. This is kind of important. Of course they do. They need to indoctrinate the kids. Not only do they need to potentially damage their heart and the reproductive organs, but they also need to make sure their minds are completely destroyed as well. And for that matter, their hearts and their souls, which will go along or all. But Tony, they have a point zero 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 two seven percent chance of being at risk here. So give them the experimental gene therapy. Correct. Yeah. 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 It's an unfortunate and uh, well, not correct. It's absurd. And it's uh, against any sort of logical analysis. I mean, breaking down the numbers, what they use like 3,600 males from a study that was essentially real time reporting, you know, so that hasn't even given it time for the potential for, unfortunately, for something as tragic as myocarditis or pericarditis to manifest before they say, oh yeah, we'll just use Israel's data. It's being collected real time, very small sample size. And it's not even enough time to really have the potential for that to manifest as a serious condition. But you're not and supposed we'll to look ahead. at that. You're supposed to look at the third booster where they didn't have any adverse reactions or myocarditis. Well, that's based so on the same the data, one. that real-time reporting data. I mean, it's, just, it's absurd. It, the whole thing. It is. It the is inferences absurd, they draw. We've also reached a point in American history where people bought into all of what you just said. So that's right. That's a function of the outcome-based education model right there. And the fact that they were able to rebrand the cold and the flu as like this dangerous thing. Well, they mixed the bioweapon in there too. But uh, they, they're they're far ahead of what the public is on to so far. Yeah. They're not far ahead of us. We're, we're pretty close on their tail. We can see them up ahead. But the rest of these people seem to have to wait a year or two to get these breakthroughs. I know my brother-in-law was here earlier, and he was looking for that clip of Fauci that was just played on the show. And I said, we're pr probably going to play it on the show tonight because he said he said it, and then he disappeared from everywhere. I was like, well, we probably one? have it in the show. The one where he said that most of the cases of the kids are over-exaggerated oh, because if you go into the hospital with a broken arm and test positive as COVID, it's going to, you know, hyperbolize yeah. the numbers. Right. And in fact, I was talking with a, a colleague of ours, Brett Vinant, tonight, and he sent me an article. Let's see what this is about. This is from The Guardian. Okay, this is a, a different, this is an article, I guess, about uh, one of the ex-head of the vaccine task force talking about they can't live with mass jabs. But he also was, he presented an article to me essentially talking about what we'd covered months ago, very interestingly enough, about, um, and something Crowder did a whole, a, a whole segment on in the show, about how when you go to the hospital for anything else, you have to get tested. And mm -hmm. if you get tested and you test positive, if you're hospitalized, even if it's not for COVID or for, for whatever you went to the hospital for, your county right. is being hospitalized for COVID. It's a way to. Right. And that's what Jeannie Burks said back in the day when they, she was on those press conferences that we were taking a very liberal approach to counting these cases, which they then use the numbers on screen to scare people with. So it all makes sense, but not from the Mrs. sense Scar. they're telling you the story. That's the problem. <laughs> it all makes perfect sense, just not from the angle they're showing it to you. Little that's Deborah all. Burks. And her scarfs, very colorful. Take a look at behind stage. Yeah, look seriously. At what's over the stage? What's stage right and stage left? 
if you're in the audience and people you even you know, know there's a stage on, because a lot of people question even the basic fundamental aspects of objective reality but you know who am I to those people such? don't their opinions don't count once the electricity stops coming yeah yeah they're so, calling on 995 in virginia now if they know how to uh skin a buck and run a trot line there's a different outcome for them but i'm not too worried about the people who deny objective reality i agree <laughs> i agree not with you. well that's what happens well, when you get they're taking care of themselves abstraction now almost uh now we're so does the darwin award abstraction so yeah yeah darwin. Clearing them out. All right. So that covers Jackson Report. We do have another clip from that same episode. I can't sue the CDC for oh, COVID vaccine that, data. It's an interesting, but not a. Yeah, we don't have to play it. But uh, yeah, they use their money over there to take on big government with lawsuits and FOIA requests and these sort of things. And it's uh, usually pretty successful on their part. Let's dip into the mandates and lockdown section. Let's check in here. I haven't even twirled that down yet. Well, we mentioned this at the beginning of the show about uh, Macron's con comments. Um, oh, uh, the former Rothschild bank employee now running France because he married his teacher. You got it. That guy? That guy. Okay. <laughs> Macron's comments were insane. I'm not surprised, but let's have uh, PJW tell us all about it. Loud music incoming. These okay. comments wouldn't look out of place if they were made by some maniacal harebrained third world dictator. But no, they were made by the president of France. The headlines were all about how Macron plans to quote, piss off the unvaccinated. But his other remarks were even more odious. First off, many news outlets have translated the quote as Macron wanting to quote, annoy the unjabbed. But as France local highlights, the verb he used, a murder, actually means to cover in shit. Quote, and we will continue to do this until the end, said Macron. What's the end look like? Mass incarceration? Worse. Quote, when my freedom threatens that of others, I become irresponsible. An irresponsible person is no longer a citizen. No longer a citizen. That's how authority figures treat literal terrorists. Imagine any other world leader talking about any other minority of people in this manner. There'd be global outrage, warnings of potential crimes against humanity, international intervention. Yet the unjabbed have been so vehemently dehumanized, there's barely a whimper of official condemnation. Macron's comments are similar in their vulgarity to those espoused by Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Quote, they don't believe in science progress and are very often misogynistic and racist. This leads us as a leader and as a country to make a choice. Do we tolerate these people? It's not hyperbole to say that this is exactly how people in 1930s Germany were talked about. Whatever you think of their behavior or their beliefs, no one can now deny the unvaccinated are a persecuted minority, demonized by the media, ostracized by society, oppressed by the state. If that's not persecution, I don't know what is. When governments are dictating what legal products unvaccinated people are banned from buying, as is now the case in Canada, that's a precursor to garish tyranny on a scale we haven't seen in generations. Bear in mind Macron made these comments to build a case for passing a new law. The law would, when entering a cafe, restaurant, cinema, and numerous other venues, eliminate the option of providing a negative negative test or proving natural immunity. So whereas the vaccinated can still spread the virus, you can there on the spot 
prove you don't have the virus, prove you can't spread it, and yet because you didn't comply, you're still banned. In every country where they've been tried, including France, vaccine passports have completely failed to stop the spread. But this is no longer about stopping the spread of a virus, is it? It's about enforcing unthinking, gelded, mass obedience. It's about creating a permanently segregated medical apartheid society, where the unjabbed are made to live little better than animals. Prominent figures from across the political spectrum denounced Macron. Right-wing populist Marine Le Pen called his comments vulgar and scandalous. Far-left candidate Jean-Luc Mélenchon labelled the remarks appalling, adding that they won't convince anyone to get vaccinated. In fact, Macron's comments were so foul, they might only succeed in stopping the law from being passed, with the French parliament having already been suspended once in response to the controversy. Macron wants to piss off the French. They don't normally take too kindly to that, do they? But where are the yellow vests? Where are the blockades? The French riot over comparative minutiae. And yet, are they going to remain silent on this? The French presidential election takes place in just three months' time. In a just and sane world, Macron's re-election chances would be toast. But the fact is, we don't live in a just and sane world. That's sad. I mean, it's sad for a number of reasons. First off, French, uh, France was occupied by the Nazis, so they should have like a cultural memory of what totalitarian despots look like and sound like. Um, and I'm not surprised hearing that from Justin Trudeau because he likewise, uh, it's a nepotistic game the power game his dad was uh, a crony of uh, uh who was maurice strong momo mm -hmm. strong who worked for the rothschild organization that brought around this whole agenda 21 global warming type of thing correct. that we're seeing today and he had ties to big oil if i remember correct which is ironic being tied to maurice yeah strong, pierre trudeau yeah, pierre. was justin's dad it's so interesting how fathers and sons can become presidents but they're not kings everybody the bush dynasty Except if you're the Gaddafi trudeau family, dynasty right? no that's bad that's, that's bad yeah. actually uh if you put the words of Gaddafi next to the family. words of macron and you blindfold people in the future they would never be able to tell you who the totalitarian despot was that's right. or maybe they would be able to tell you because they could see clearly and they're not emotionally caught up on it but uh yeah there's uh definitely a difference right macron is uh he's not Gaddafi'd. So their point point right there. Yeah. He must be doing what the globalists want. Yeah. He's not being Qaddafi'd. And by Qaddafi'd, I mean sodomized with a bayonet and public view on YouTube type thing. Yeah. They haven't done that to Macron. But the history of France with the Gantian, maybe in the future is 2022 to look forward to. We'll see how the yellow vests treat it. It's a lot of freedom being lost all over the place. What are we going to do about a it? A lot of freedom being lost. Um, a lot of freedom never really existed in a lot of these other countries. That's the thing. They never really had rights to free speech. That's right. They never out. They haven't had a, a ten, first 10 amendments. Well, even Canada doesn't have free speech. The they don't have the right to free speech. They still live rights. under the Queen's Empire. Commonwealth. Sorry. <laughs> there you go. Correct. Commonwealth. I mean, Australia is the same way. I mean, you know, we've, we've detailed that Commonwealth. Sure. Yeah, the crown colonies and the Commonwealth and law. What a joke. Anyways, I'm just going to get bitter and cynical. And there's a crown virus running around out there. <laughs> Eerily similar corona. to a corona. You know, the crown and corona. the corona and they're in the sun. You can draw. 
Don't look too bright to, to the sun, Tony. Mythology and Helios and Mithra. And Nothing Apollo. going on there. Definitely no secret Indra. societies. <laughs> no. All right. So Macron, he said some stupid shit. Not surprising. Uh, oh, yeah. This came what else we got? Mass formation. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Let's play this one because I, I, I was really impressed by Robbie Suave's comments at the end. So I'm going to let you guys hang on that. You wait to hear what he says at the end. See, see why Rico. I thought it was so, why he's so brilliant. Rico Suave. Oh, All right. So let's go to Kim Iverson over there at the hill holding it down. Let's see if she knows what's on the radar. Kim, what's on your radar? Well, the term mass formation psychosis trended over the weekend with so many searches, it broke the internet. When people went to search for the term on Google, a couple of strange things happened. Some people saw this odd disclaimer from Google saying the results were changing quickly and that it would take time for results to be added by reliable sources. What does this even mean? I thought when you Googled something, it would bring up sites relating to the topic. Why would Google need time to add results by quote unquote reliable sources? Sounds like they're censoring search results. Well, a few hours later, when people searched for the term, a bunch of sites began to pop up claiming it was a new far right buzzword or one attributed to anti-vaxxers. Well, it's very difficult to find any information using Google. So I had to turn to DuckDuckGo in order to find any relevant information. So what is mass formation psychosis? Well, the term came recently from the Joe Rogan, Dr. Robert Malone interview that aired this past Friday, but was also heard and explained in more detail during Dr. Peter McAuliffe's interview with Rogan. We're in what's called a mass formation psychosis. This is very important. I give credit to Dr. Matthias Desmet in the University of Ghent in Belgium, and recently Dr. Mark McDonald, psychiatrist from LA. Mark McDonald's got a new book out, The United States of Fear, describing how the mass psychosis developed. What your listeners need to know is a mass psychosis is when there is a groupthink that develops that's so strong that it leads to something horrific. And the examples are these mass suicides that occur in these religious cults. The example is Nazi Germany, when people walk into gas chambers and were gassed. These horrific things. And, and four elements here. It's very important, Joe. First, there must be a period of prolonged isolation, lockdowns. Number two, there must be a, a, a withdrawal of things taken away from people that they used to enjoy. That's happened. Number three, there must be constant, incessant, free-floating anxiety all this new cycle, all the, the deaths and the hospitalizations, more, more variant mutant strains, everything, people could becoming scared over and over again. And the last thing, number four, the capper. The capper is there must be a single solution offered by an entity in authority. And this case is clear. Worldwide, the solution was vaccination. Everybody must take the vaccination. It's not a U.S. program. It's not a European program. It's everywhere. And you know what, Joe? It doesn't matter what vaccine it is. It could be uh, Chinavac, Coronavac, it could be Novavax, it could be Pfizer, Moderna, J&J. &J. It's interesting that it doesn't even matter what vaccine it is. It's just take a vaccine, take any vaccine. And so what mass psychosis says is number four, the solution, there's no limit to the absurdity of the solution. 
So Dr. McCullough attributes the idea to Dr. Matthias Desmet, a professor of clinical psychology at Ghent University in Belgium, one of the top universities in the world. The four conditions that lead up to mass formation psychosis result in people who are radically intolerant and people who are irrational in their solutions. So in regards to this pandemic, we're seeing this intolerance of the unvaccinated, where many people who consider themselves very open-minded or even quote-unquote woke are saying things they believe, are saying that they believe the unvaccinated should be removed from society in some way. So the most common way to remove the unvaccinated so far has been through requiring vaccine passports to enter restaurants, bars, movie theaters, malls, and other venues, requiring vaccine passports to work or even travel. So this is all done in an attempt to not only encourage people to get vaccinated, but also to reduce risk, which people believe is attributable to the unvaccinated. So there are a lot of people in society right now who I would consider to be radically intolerant of unvaccinated people and will go to great lengths to stay away from them. And many people, like myself, believe their solutions are irrational. The virus seems to be spreading through vaccinated and unvaccinated populations alike, so segregating based on vaccination status doesn't make any sense to me. But let's talk about the four conditions that lead up to this point and other examples throughout history. The first condition is some sort of social isolation. So the social isolation can be a group that is isolated from society, like cults living out in the middle of nowhere, groups that are isolated from each other through segregation or apartheid, or groups within a society that don't intermingle, like cultural, ethnic, or religiously different groups. So the first condition is some sort of social isolation from others. Now, lockdowns and not having any social interaction with one another could also count in this category. The second condition is some sort of despair, loss of enjoyment, perceived negative change in lifestyle. Obviously, this entire pandemic has created a massive loss of enjoyment and severely shifted lifestyles for many. In the example of a religious cult, they think this earth life is undesirable and blame infidels or sinners or even just the human condition. In the example of segregated societies or societies that persecute different people, be they a different race, ethnicity, religion, or in the case of this pandemic, medically different, people feel a loss of something in their lives and blame these others for that loss. But basically, the second condition is life isn't so great and these others are to blame. The third condition is being in a constant state of fear, anxiety, or anger. And I think this one speaks for itself. When a person is in a constant state of fear, anxiety, fear or anxiety, they'll do anything to relieve that fear and anxiety. And the fourth condition is a leader or group of leaders who come along and say they have the solution to the fear and anxiety and can make things better. They offer a solution and the people become fixated and follow through with that solution, be it mass suicide, apartheid, genocide, forced religious conversions. These are the most extreme, but they're probably smaller, less obvious examples. I would say mass incarcerations of black men in America is probably another example of this. Blacks and whites stayed largely segregated within society. There was a perceived erosion of safety in the community. Fear, anxiety, and anger resulted. And the leadership, Clinton and Biden, in this case, came along with the solution of locking people up. Now, Trump's wall is another possible example. Americans are isolated from people south of our border. There has been, a, there's been some despair and a feeling of loss of the good life. Fear, anxiety, and anger resulted. And the solution was to build a wall. And people became fixated on this solution. 
So the question is, do we think we're living in a mass formation psychosis under Fauci's leadership, where the only solution is vaccination and only vaccination will save us from this pandemic? Are people following nonsensical guidance blindly? Well, I want to play this clip for you of Fauci on CNN's State of the Union. Tell me if this guidance makes sense. How should vaccinated and boosted people behave? Can they go into a restaurant, eat safely indoors right now? You know, when you're having such a, I call it a tsunami of infections, Dana, we are seeing people who are vaccinated and boosted who are getting breakthrough infections. So when you're in a situation where you have so many infections going out, the thing that you want to say is that if you want to do things like that, better do them in a setting where you know the people around you are vaccinated and boosted. So Fauci says fully vaccinated people are getting the virus. So only be around fully vaccinated people <laughs> rather than push back on this nonsense. Dana Bash just goes along with it. Doesn't see, doesn't this seem like an example of what could be considered mass formation psychosis? So I'll ask you guys. I mean, a lot of this stuff is just no longer really making sense. We're still following Fauci's guidance. I'm kind of wondering why. Uh, but it, it does seem like about a third of the population is maybe, maybe, just maybe under this mass formation psychosis. What do you think? I, well, I agree. I mean, I agree with you about, I don't like Dr. Fauci. I don't agree with his recommendations. I don't think the unvaccinated should be stigmatized. I don't think they should be, there should be mandates, lockdowns, all of that we agree on. But I don't, this does not sound rigorously defined enough, this mass formation psychosis. It sounds like Right. I, I mean, I agree that many of my fellow Americans and many of the people we're taking orders from, like, are wrong. Or, but I don't know that it's, it's a. Do you know? It's not a. Think, it's not a malady. They're just wrong. I don't. It's not. I don't think well, it's. I don't think it's. I don't think it's. I don't think it is an epidemic. It's just, or except right. in some kind of metaphoric sense. But if the leader, yeah, right, the leader might be wrong. But if people are blindly following the leader without questioning. Wouldn't that be the psychosis? Well, it, it's, it it's so it's, it's so wild that uh, look to calling calling people that you disagree with in the country crazy. I think it's just very comforting to no people one said because crazy, it allows Ryan. you to then not have to grapple uh, with. Not only that's that, a straw man but, argument. I'm really disappointed. Yeah, and I, I, I like actually I'm more on Robbie Suave's side than I am Ryan Grimm's. But side. even Robbie, like to his like. It is well-defined. How much more well-defined do you she gave I was going to say, I, the, the follow-up question is, what would well-defined look like? This professor from Ghent and this other guy from uh, California that wrote this paper. Well, and, she went uh, over all the conditions you know, and very specific examples of how, you know, religious cults and leaders and so forth. But anyways. There was one example they didn't use, though. And I'm, it's so conspicuous. I'm wondering why they didn't use it. Because there was this country that had, like, lost a whole lot of opportunity and freedom. And then there's this crazy guy they started following and all those things in that description fit that group of people from World War Two era. But no one no and one brought that up them. as an it's example. Also Italy in that era as well. well also Soviet Union Soviet shortly Union. after Soviet that Union era, worse that than era. both of those combined. Right, worse, absolutely. So. Right. But they're OK because Uncle Joe Stalin was doing business with the Americans yeah, more right. yeah. fruitfully long term. AIC stuff. Yeah. Cold yeah, War was huge profit. You wouldn't have these defense companies today without the Cold War. <laughs> you know, you wouldn't have standing army today without the Cold War. All that. Everyone would have gone home and national security wouldn't have been a thing. 
but uh yeah they kicked off something and it's still going on so it's interesting uh i'd like to learn more about that but apparently there's not a whole lot that yeah, it needs to be better fleshed be... out they said <laughs> do we want to continue this or we can stop it here it's uh... they're like in the middle of the hurricane they're like does a hurricane exist just wait for it you'll get it cool. you'll get it i mean it's this is classic they have to sort of sugarcoat it a little bit you know well grim's like, like i don't want to lose my job i just got here after <laughs> Sagar left <laughs> That's how they brought you know? Kim in, right? I mean, it's funny. Because and that's when they brought that... Robin. That, yeah, because the Robin, show used yeah. to be Sagar and Crystal Crystal Ball, and they did their thing, and what's on your radar, Sagar? But apparently the copyright for that phrase must be owned by both teams because they still use it now. I think they use the same music, too. Anyway, yeah, side issues. I don't, I to check that they're out. open mics and, and background music. But, um, yeah, I think Kim's on to something that at least it needs to be open for discussion. And Ryan's positioning of, well, I don't think calling one group of people crazy. Well, well dude, no one called crazy. Right. Mass formation psychosis. It has happened among unwitting people who follow uh, TV screens, for instance. Correct. These Listening are to what they're hearing and not checking it. Back in the day, you could be controlled by newspaper and radio. Same thing in Hitler's Germany. So uh, I think and we know about the effect precedents of... that are dangerous enough to merit substantial comments and research on that topic. Correct. Yeah. And we know about the history of PR and propaganda, you know, about the history of uh, operant conditioning. Like they've been working on understanding the human nature, human psychology, human behavior. And so, I mean, to sorry, I should put myself on the screen here. We shouldn't be surprised when, you know, a top university in Europe, University of Ghent in Belgium and uh, a, a, a psychologist from in that department comes out and says, well, no, there's observations throughout history. We can actually draw upon evidence in history that shows these. If you look at these basic conditions, it creates a situation whereby which people will fall in lockstep with whatever the leader dictates will get them out of their perceived paranoia, anxiety and frustration. And so, of course, that's not that, that's not that out there. It's not that difficult to understand. And we know about what pop propaganda can do to an individual. We know about psychological subversion, like uh, Rwanda. So, yep, that's right. Exactly. When the Dutch made up a story, they left, and next thing you know, you have dun, dun, enmity. Dun. I mean, it's that cheap simple. real estate. It's really that simple. All they're doing is making up a fake story. They're gaslighting those in, those individual populations with that story. And then the, the people who tell a lie enough, they tend to believe it. Unfortunately, the next thing you know. People run wild with it. So, I mean, it's it's just absurd. Yeah, the public's conditioned to believe the gaslighting and not to believe the debunking of the gaslighting. That's that's how strong the psychological conditioning. And this goes back to Bernays and Lipton and that's the guys really that point. were pioneering. That's my point. It's the Bernays and, and Jacques Lou and yes. his propaganda. Yes. And uh, Noam Chomsky, manufacturing consent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, with yeah. Edward Herman. So it's yeah. a lot more there's, than just it's like there's a large body of evidence on this topic. There's don't talk shit on it. Yeah. Right. Uh, right. But it's not well defined, Rich. It's not you well can play defined. dumb, but it just comes across as ignorant. How about that? <laughs> Jeez. Oh, Sorry if you hear a, a book. cat in the background. What the fuck is this thing doing? Look at you trying to get those cat points. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's played the found meow ratings. They found a golf ball. Listen, yeah. meow. Don't be doing that. And it's uh, if only I could get that one to fall into a mass formation psychosis. Cast them off. <laughs> I'm joking, of course. As opposed to what Jeffrey Tubin has, which is some sort of masturbation. Psychosis. Uh, <laughs> so he still got hired. Ah, Zoom humor. Well, the Zoom CNN. humor. He's Never a quits. legal correspondent. 
Still is, I believe. Yeah, he still is. CNN, you know the type of people they hire over at CNN. You've seen them popping off from Project Veritas in the past couple weeks. <laughs> How many producers are like in Epstein's fan club? Yeah. You know? Good point. Yeah. It's yeah, not a place you want to be getting your news or, or your views or, or your yeah. kids around by any stretch of the imagination. That's Definitely not. not. Okay. Somebody bad. might. No, I'm That's not going to say I'm not going there. I'm not going there. Okay. So um, it's very tempting. Skelter and Don Lamont and those guys. I could. I could go. No. Don Lemont? Hey, they made it through the interview process for a reason. They got to vet people around that place. Otherwise, loose lips sink CNN ships. <laughs> Twitter silences. Robert Malone. Is this uh, Jimmy Dore's take on this since last week? Yeah, it's pretty much. This is all like a mini section. We call it the whole mass formation. It's like there's a bunch of different perspectives. You Damage know? control. Reuters and AP proclaim, hey, there's no evidence of mass formation psychosis, everybody. Go back to uh, sleep. Yeah, we can uh, go back to sleep. I can bring that up here. Give me two seconds because it is uh, they it, it's just funny because they extricate from so many different sources what the fact checkers are all well, have fact checked about this. So let's see what we got here. Oh, well, <sighs> we don't need. Yeah, here we it is. Reuters, to. there's no yeah. evidence of pandemic mass formation psychosis, according to Reuters and the Associated Press. What you need to know, Dr. Robin, a scientist oh, who once researched, he researched, he didn't the help Rothschild the belt, he just researched. Press release <laughs> factories. Wait, according to the Rothschild press release factories, there's nothing to see here. Nothing this just in. Here. Yeah, pretty right. The phrase does not appear in the American Psychological Association, the APA law, because we know they're very trustworthy. Well, and they are and the, the kings of made up words. They make yeah. up words all the time. It's, the DSM is a dictionary of nothing but made up terms for psychological, quote unquote, disorders, air quotes. Tony Dic likes to take pictures of his hangnails. Let's give him a psychological disorder, you know, whatever the mm -hmm, thing right. is. They just make stuff up. They, uh, they have meetings. I've seen the meetings. They sit around. They make some stuff up. They're like, let's call it this. They put it in the book, and now it's a thing they can charge for. Yeah. It's all about money from their side. And uh, State of Mind's raw footage, there was uh, one of the guys was a director of American Psychological Association. He's telling you exactly how, mm -hmm. how it goes on. No, I mean, he's absolutely right. I mean, that's exactly right. I mean, they, much of it's driven, what a surprise, by money, prestige, status, fame. Stop that. And God. Yeah, they but want it's money and power. But the DSM is something, I mean, obviously, if they're going to create a condition and they potentially have a therapeutic in the form of a drug or a new psychological technique they can utilize or some sort of behavioral conditioning technique they can employ in schools and they can sell that, you know, well, of course, now there's a new condition for it. What a surprise. Well, what happens when they they change their ideas, though, Tony? Because I know I have a Merck manual over here and in that Merck manual. Uh, there's a, uh, a listing of diagnostics for psychological disorders. And there are a number of things listed on that page that are now taught in schools to children. So is it a psychological disorder in the 70s <laughs> and it's all rainbow fine now? Or is there a contradiction here? Or are they changing the definitions all the time as they see fit and therefore they're all kind of meaningless in that book? Yeah. Well, because I don't know. Well, like, how does that work? Well, I mean, there's so many issues here. There's the they extend the definition to include more behavioral conditions that are outside the purview of the original behavioral issue that might be much more well defined and much more mm. specific to something that might might actually be a, a real condition of some type. Something might be genetically derived or some sort of nutritional malady or something of that. 
or deficiency. But instead, they extend the definition of you. If people want to learn about this, they can uh, first join the GTW community and then uh, hop on the town hall. Um, I have a pilot course coming up on teaching informal fallacies and definition. We're going to go over these two topics. That's two of the four general topics that make up uh, formal logic or Aristotelian logic. And uh, you can learn about how, the, in other words, they're making the definitions not commensurate, but too broad way way too broad and what does that do rich what is that let me get this straight they have how many drugs to help treat behavioral conditions now and they're going to superintendents at schools and teachers and being like hmm you know if you can just they just these... buy them off they just buy them off yeah. they just cut checks to the people that own the stuff and then they install their software through uh the mouth yeah that's correct people. that's absolutely correct so i mean schools are just not dispensaries for pharmaceutical companies for the most part at this point they have been yeah for we a have long a, time, we have but... a we have a client at autonomy unlimited and she runs a private school for the past 25 years and she had pharmaceutical reps come into her office and offer to cut checks from anywhere for the students so it's like a thousand dollars per head five thousand dollars a head or ten thousand dollars a head correct and a thousand dollars you got to get their name on a list five thousand dollars you got to get them on a trial prescription and ten thousand dollars they're going to take the prescription regularly and they'll cut a check for the school right there, half a million dollars. She went in, got the other kids from the school. All the kids that go to the school there, they're in that school because they were tried to, someone tried to forcibly drug them in the public school system and their parents put them in private school. So she said to the kids, hey, these people want to pay money to drug you guys. What do you think? And they ran them out of there with like pitchforks. Yeah. Not interested. Take Correct. your offer someplace else and shove it. They were not treated too kindly, but a lot of other schools take the money. I, I know another, uh, an autonomy student who owns a couple businesses. And one of those businesses was a, a charitable organization that did like anti-drug education for high school kids. Right. Mm -hmm. So they go and they do these events and it's a big thing and they're doing, uh, like acrobatic BMX X games type stuff. Right. Yep. So this group of people comes up and they said, look, um, we'd like to give you $2 million. And he's like, what do I got to do? He's like, you got to send all these kids like uh, into the, you like come in and sign with us. And it's the recruiters for the army and the military type thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And he, my buddy's well off. So he's like, no way am I going to sell these kids out and associate with you guys. Keep your money. And they laughed because they're like, watch how long. And so like 10 minutes later, they had cut a deal with another entertainment sponsor there. That's going to do exactly like that thing's going to happen. No matter Are what. you going to take the money or not? But right. he didn't want that bad karma that comes with the money. But too many other people don't know how to get money. And they're too easily saying, yes, bring those kids. Uh, we'll sign right here and on your military posters and they'll be primed and groomed for that future. And he also noticed that it's only certain kids that are being preyed upon kids that don't have other legit opportunities and or don't feel as though they have legitimate opportunities. Right, they right, think right, they right, right. That's right. the key. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. And there's a lot of kids in my high school like that, that had behavioral issues and, you know, didn't do well in school and they felt purposeful, purposeless and meaningless, the meaninglessness in life. You know, the issue that Peterson's been addressing with young males, particularly. And, um, you know, all of a sudden, many of them, most of them, in fact, ended up in recruitment circles for the Army, Marines, Navy, so forth and so on. Uh, and it was I remember one I can picture him in my head right now because we were in this computer class together. And this kid was he was sort of just like a class clown. He had no direction. He didn't do well. And all of a sudden he got 
you could you could you could tell a change in his disposition because for some reason all of a sudden he was recruited by i think it was the marines and he felt a sense of purpose a sense of meaning and now all of a sudden he was mm-hmm. acting differently just because yeah. someone was grooming him to be like no yeah. no you're you can be a part of something this you're now part of some yeah. bigger organization it's like a religion almost yeah. it's called like actually funny story tony i was bringing up smedley butler earlier mm. today in the mm-hmm. q a i was bringing out wars racket war's and racket. i said I have you know he was the most highly yeah. decorated soldier in american history yeah. and i was corrected by phoenix he said no he wasn't a soldier he was a marine aha like, oh, yeah. culpa. sorry buddy sorry <laughs> well you know gotta give a right shout you're out right of- you're absolutely right he was yeah. a badass marine not Which a they're the, they're sending they're the front line you know i mean they're sending before anyone else the army's more logistical well he kept all those robber barons safe in those countries <laughs> made it safe to do business in cuba and haiti and honduras at least and he Nicaragua. realized it and wrote a book on it so i made it safe for united fruit and the rockefellers to do united business fruit. down there yeah, that. yeah i yeah. know yeah yeah, yeah. alan does yeah oh yeah you know and real quick this shout out to uh brett Benan and school sucks project his his awakening happened because he was a school teacher and he had drug reps come to him as a as a history teacher in some sort of private school up in new, new england area and say hey we would like you to start giving x y and z medications based on their parents you know signing off on and he's like why are you grooming me on these new uh you know uh these new drugs like i'm just a teacher but they're the ones dispensing the drugs so they need to be aware you're a teacher it. with a tackle box full of drugs now kid Make well, sure these go in their pie hole I mean, on a regular basis. And all of a sudden he's like part, you know, yeah. uh, medical representative and part school tutor, teacher type situation. Correct. And, you know, and my... he's remarking on what's the need to have all these kids medicated. Yes. What, what has changed between the time when like you and I went to school uh, years apart? Like when I went to school, I don't know. There was nobody who had autism. There was nobody That's on like SSRIs no or any of these other things, man. Yeah. Like there were some Ritalin troubled kids, but like you that. could see why they're troubled. Their dads beat them. There's all sorts of crazy Correct. stuff going on in their lives. But now it's like if you don't have the if you squirming in your seat, you need a pill. If you have attention, oh, you have deficit syndrome. They Radiation. they like pathologize the normal i don't like sitting in a chair all day around people i wouldn't normally voluntarily associate with when you're listening to to someone tell me how it is who doesn't know how it is right yeah all the best years of my life yeah maybe when you're very young and active and have energy and you're growing like it's just it's so antithetical to a child's development tony you just have oppositional defiance disorder bro (laughs) there you go I mean, even when my mom became a nurse yeah. practitioner, she all of a sudden was starting to be wine and dined by pharmaceutical companies, touting some new drugs. Everyone should read Authoritarian Sociopathy and get your handles on the uh, the Milgram experiment, the Stanford Prison experiment. Got the somniferous it's a little bit, very thin little pamphlet. You can read about it real quick, but you'll see what's going on out there. That book's 10 years old at least. Well said so it's not new all right so let's go to the actual evidence let's get some uh more more information on this uh mass formation psychosis with dr mark mcdonald from the high wire interview i think that'd be a good place because he's talking about matthias desmet's paper and that's where we're actually going to get more granular understanding as robbie suave astutely observed we we need to learn more about this and uh maybe it is better fleshed out already and we just need to read the stuff so uh you want to play that clip though? Sure. Yep. Let me bring that up here. Um, 
yeah, highlight it. They uh for whatever reason the high wire the past couple of weeks it's been a little bit gnarly with their loading, but we're getting there. So everybody's going. having trouble with their web delivery services because the new world order runs most of the web. Here we go. Surprise, surprise, surprise. Cyber polygon style. Well, Klaus Schwab's people <laughs> are on it. <laughs> of course. Brand new player that has stepped up to this poker table to decide to tell the truth. This is uh, none other than Joe Rogan with I think the largest podcast audience in the world. Uh, I wanna say he's in the hundreds of millions of, of uh, followers. And this is someone that we've reached out to multiple times. I can tell you over this entire pandemic, I know for a fact, I've talked to Robert Kennedy Jr. who's reached out and said, you know, you've interviewed Dr. Peter Hotez, why don't you interview me? We've done the same thing. We've presented, we send information over to Joe Rogan. And he was not interested in a very long time into getting involved in this. He, we all know he took a giant contract at Spotify and you know blew that up and, and good on him. I mean, look, I've been watching his interviews. They're super fascinating. It was really frustrating that he wasn't diving into a topic where there was so much information and he seemed like such a logical guy. But then as we reported and we all watched, Suddenly he came under attack because when COVID became real to him, he had to decide what he was going to do once he was infected. And yes, there was enough information out there that he decided to take ivermectin, got attacked by CNN and all of these networks saying that he was taking horse deworming medication. We talked about how the fact that Sanjay Gupta, he got him onto the show and reamed him for lying about the fact that he was taking veterinary medicine when in fact he was taking a human prescription of a drug that had won the Nobel Prize in 2015. And then the headline said he was an anti-vaxxer, something we were very sure in our communications in trying to reach out to him were not true. But this is what happens all over the world to those specialists, those scientists, those journalists that dare to ask just really obvious questions and find, you mean by simply asking a question or using a drug that when I looked at all the studies around the world was having great effect, I decided to use it on myself. I didn't force it on anyone. It's simply what I decided to do with my own body. Now I'm an anti-vaxxer. Joe, welcome to the team. Welcome to what happens to anybody that asks an honest question. I love that because really what it's doing is it's growing our movement. They decided they would try to use a pejorative to isolate all of us, but all they're doing is taking everybody that was maybe in a middle ground zone and pushing them onto our team. And now more and more people are recognizing, wait a minute, if I'm being considered an anti-vaxxer, I'm going to have to reevaluate all those people I've been judging through the years. Well, of course, what I'm leading up to is perhaps I think the biggest story that is breaking right now and it's all because Joe Rogan has decided to get into this conversation and he brought on two previous guests of the High Wire, other world-renowned scientists that we know and love, our friends Peter McCullough, uh, who has been on multiple times and the inventor of the mRNA vaccine technology, Dr. Robert Malone. Two heroes amongst many that you just saw that have appeared on the High Wire. Well, they were finally asked to appear on Joe Rogan's podcast. And because of that, the internet has been broken. Here is that story. Let's take a look at the headlines really quick and what it's done. YouTube takes down anti-vax Joe Rogan interview with Dr. Robert Malone, which likened vaccines to mass psychosis. Calls ring out for Fauci to debate virologist after Rogan podcast appearance. Uh, those are huge moves and we are starting to see this starting to get into the mainstream. Perhaps Joe Rogan is that bridge into the mainstream. He's certainly a bridge into the youth and the college students and the people that are questioning this. 
But as I said, simply bringing on two scientists that are now being censored. Now Joe Rogan's getting kicked off of YouTube. At least these videos are. He's now recognizing what it takes to break the Internet. Here's what happened. Well, the term mass formation psychosis trended over the weekend with so many searches, it broke the Internet. When people went to search for the term on Google, a couple of strange things happened. Some people saw this odd disclaimer from Google saying the results were changing quickly and that it would take time for results to be added by reliable sources. What does this even mean? I thought when you Googled something, it would bring up sites relating to the topic. Why would Google need time to add results by quote unquote reliable sources? Sounds like they're censoring search results. Well, a few hours later, when people searched for the term, a bunch of sites began to pop up claiming it was a new far right buzzword or one attributed to anti-vaxxers. So what is mass formation psychosis? Well, the term came recently from the Joe Rogan, Dr. Robert Malone interview that aired this past Friday. And this leads into this whole issue of mass formation psychosis. There's good modeling studies that probably half a million excess deaths have happened in the United States through the intentional blockade of early treatment by the U.S. government. But was also heard and explained in more detail during Dr. Peter McAuliffe's interview with Rogan. We're in what's called a mass formation psychosis. This is very important. I give credit to Dr. Matthias Desmet in the University of Ghent in Belgium, and recently Dr. Mark McDonald, psychiatrist from LA. Mark McDonald's got a new book out, The United States of Fear, describing how the mass psychosis developed. What your listeners need to know is a mass psychosis is when there is a groupthink that develops that's so strong that it leads to something horrific. And the examples are these mass suicides that occur in these religious cults. The example is Nazi Germany, when people walk into gas chambers and were gas. these horrific things. And, and four elements here, it's very important, Joe. First, there must be a period of prolonged isolation, lockdowns. Number two, there must be a, a, a withdrawal of things taken away from people that they used to enjoy. That's happened. Number three, there must be constant, incessant, free-floating anxiety. Number four, there must be a single solution offered by an entity in authority. The solution was vaccination. Years ago, we were told by one of our presidents that we really don't have anything to fear except for fear itself. But now we're told that fear is good. Fear is necessary. In fact, fear is, is a virtue. Well, it's the term that broke the Internet, and, uh, and the book all about this is The United States of Fear. I'm joined right now by the author, Dr. Mark McDonald. Um, first of all, let's sort of get some things straight. I mean, obviously, this term is now all over the Internet. Everyone's talking about it, but it's not exactly the right term, right? This term, mass formation psychosis. Is that, is that the correct term of what we're even talking about? It's a bit of a mishmash between two terms that were, let's just use the word invented, okay. in parallel between me, a psychiatrist in Los Angeles, and a psychologist named Matthias Desmet in Belgium. We both arrived at the same conclusions, but we use different language. His term is mass formation. My okay. term is mass delusional psychosis. And McCullough and Malone's term is both combined together, okay. which is fine, but they mean all the same thing. Okay, and what is that actually? In fact, in your book, and by the way, I just want to say, like reading this book, um, I've read several books. Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s book on uh, the, the real Anthony Fauci, and then Scott Atlas's book about uh, working in the White House, and both of them 
filled me with such anxiety and, 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 and frustrations. I wanted to put my fist through a wall. I really have to say for everybody out there that is a clear thinking person, find like you're in some like weird dystopian novel. This book really, I found it settling because you gave, you know, credibility and understanding and reality to those of us to really understand we are not the crazy ones and what we're seeing truly is crazy. But to, to describe that craziness just a little bit, let's just take this excerpt from the book where you get into the actual term mass formation psychosis. Many parents were refusing to bring their children to see me, frightened they or their children would catch a fatal disease simply by coming to my office. One told me his eight-year-old son had put his fist through a plate glass window at home, unable to tolerate being confined to a two-room apartment 24 hours a day for months on end. Another patient began wetting the bed, yet another attacked her brother with a kitchen knife later that summer and speaking with colleagues around the country at conferences and sharing clinical experiences with them through group email, I discovered that this was happening everywhere. This was self-evident, yet a large segment of society continued to voluntarily sequester at home, wear masks outdoors, and perform other superstitious and scientifically baseless rituals like wiping down Amazon deliveries with bleach. I knew one man whose wife insisted on taking off her clothes whenever she returned home and throwing them in the dryer for sterilization. That is insanity. Previously normal appearing individuals had clearly lost their minds. Worse, these behaviors were not limited to a handful of people. I read reports of extreme changes in thoughts and actions from all over the country, primarily from large urban centers. Much of the nation has had disconnected from basic reality. I began to call this condition a mass delusional psychosis. So how did you come to that term and what is involved in that description? Well, I started using the term mass delusional psychosis way back in May of 2020. And I spoke about it in Washington, D.C. at a conference in June of 2020. What I meant by that and what I still mean by that today is an entire group, an entire population, which is the American people, all at the same time, losing their rational faculties, being unable to think, acting as a herd, that's what I mean by mass delusional psychosis. How is that achieved? I mean, is there a historical reference to, I mean, obviously there's been references to Nazi Germany, things like that, where you sort of have populations start moving in mass against what would sort of be the moral uh, standard that we'd been used to. Um, is this something that is only forced by, you know, larger organized groups on purpose? Um, well, this is where it gets interesting, Dell. Yeah. My argument, which I make in the book, is that the fuel for this mass delusional psychosis, it doesn't just show up. The fuel is fear. We cannot become massly delusionally psychotic without first being scared. The fear has been the driver behind this pandemic from the very beginning. Without fear, it all falls apart. Scientifically, medically, we won this battle at the very beginning. We've known how to treat this disease. We've known how to help people. We've known how to keep people safe from probably week two, week three. But we have collapsed as a country physically, psychologically, economically, not because of a virus, but because of fear. And it's the fear that has been driving and driven by government, by corporations and by media, all colluding together to perpetuate the mass delusional psychosis, meaning the irrationality, because it benefits them. 
because the end stage, the end goal, the end point of this is the same as it is for every totalitarian regime throughout the 20th century, dependency on government. Once people are dependent on government, then they don't depend on their families, they don't depend on their churches, they don't depend on their communities. They look up, but they don't look to God, they look to government. That, in my view, is the end game. And so how did you see this? When did you decide to write the book? I mean, you're living in Los Angeles, correct? Los Angeles, California. Correct. And where from, you know, I uh, consider myself a refugee. I left California just two years, two and a half years ago now uh, to be in Texas. But still, my heart is there. So many of my friends are there. When I visit, it's a whole other level of insanity from what we're experiencing here in Texas. But at what point did you, was it sort of the people coming into your practice? What was making you think there is something going on and it's on a mass scale versus when in your job as a psychiatrist, you're probably used to people having their own, you know, hangups, issues, phobias, whatever it is. When did you start re re realizing there's a similarity across a larger body of people? I realized it when I started leaving my home in the morning and hearing the door close behind me and feeling the same sense of confusion and disbelief that I felt when I would walk into the locked units in the psychiatric hospital when I was a resident. And the door would close behind me and I would see the people moving around the room and I would remind myself, anyone inside this locked facility that doesn't have a badge is probably crazy. When I started to feel the same way walking around outside, outdoors in Los Angeles, every single person that I see walking by himself, by herself, wearing a is probably crazy. That's when I felt that something was up. I felt like this is not just one crazy homeless person talking to himself under an overpass or a drug user urinating uh, by the side of the school park. This is everyone. This is right. educated people. This is not just derelicts, people that you dismiss as being crazy. This is a population-wide illness, which is spreading throughout the entire city. Yeah, you had this great quote from the book, because I think it really brings it in the difference between sort of a delusion and just a disagreement, right? Uh, you say in the book uh, this, all delusions, though, are by definition irrational. This is what makes them pathologic. The harm they bring to the individual holds them comes from a diminished capacity to live with reality. They are also impervious to reason. Otherwise, they would simply be wrong-headed opinions that change once confronted with reality. Now, I know almost, I think my entire audience reading that knows exactly what we're talking about, but what's crazy about it is if I just took that quote and showed it to those people that are walking in the world that are crazy, they would say, yeah, that's exactly what they feel about us, right? They think we're crazy, that we are not, you know, recognizing the obvious incredible danger that this virus brings and the risk that we're all at. And if we're not wearing our masks, we're putting everybody at risk. They do believe that. And it's largely because of media. The media that they listen to every morning, they wake up and they listen to CNN, they read the New York Times, and what do they see every day and what have they seen every day for the last 18, now 20 months? Cases, hospitalizations, and deaths from a virus. That's all they hear, all day long. And if they hear yeah. anything else, it's all the people that are denying that 
are all right-wing conservative Trump-supporting crazy people. Right. And this is the propaganda. This is the hypnosis that many Americans have been under now for the last two years. They are no longer able to take in information which is truthful and objective. And you couple that with the fear where they wake up scared every day, people who are afraid, they don't want to go out and slay the bear, go to work. They want to be protected. They're like infants and they're turning towards a higher power to protect them. And it used to be mommy and daddy. Well, now it's the government. The people who are not fearful, the people like you and I, we don't rely on those powers to keep us safe. We rely on ourselves, our families, our communities, our churches. That's what separates us. They are dependent and they are fearful and they cannot listen or hear any alternative arguments. This is why I've been saying from day one, this is not a data war. I completely agree with Dr. McCall and Dr. Malone on the data. We are in sync there. However, they have been speaking this for almost two years and it's not making any headway. What made headway in the last 48 hours? The term mass formation psychosis, which is not a scientific data term. It's a term about psychology. It's about fear and craziness. This is what broke the internet. It wasn't data points about the failures of vaccines. It wasn't data points about the uh, risk of healthy people to a virus is essentially nil. Nobody cares about that because they're scared. But when they notice, when Americans who are scared hear the term mass formation psychosis or mass delusional psychosis, they think, whoa, that's interesting. That kind of describes me or my neighbor. There's something I'm curious to know more about that. And it's curiosity that has to precede the dropping of fear. People who are curious but fearful, they have a shot. But when I talk to people who are brainwashed, who are scared, who have no curiosity about the other side, no curiosity about what it means to be mentally ill, what it means to be paranoid, Mm -hmm. there's nothing you can do for them. No data point is going to change their mind. So is that, you know, if I was, you know, and you probably already answered this, but I remember watching a film years and years ago called Jacob's Ladder, and it was one of the most terrifying movies I've ever seen because it's just about being inside of a guy who's losing his mind and doesn't know reality from not. And it really is scary to think you're losing your mind yet. And and part of the problem is, would you know it? How do you know you're not the one from those quotes? How do we know we're not the ones that are crazy and they're right? Because we have, it's almost a, it's almost a 50, 50 divide. It feels like certainly here in the United States of America, I'm going to assume based on the fact that we're very similar as a species around the world, that there's 50% of us that are saying the other side is crazy. Is there a way to sort of a litmus test that you can have for yourself that would say, no, I'm still saying. And for those, if you put both groups into a room right now and said, I just read you the quote, here's a delusion. Here's the difference between being wrong headed or wrong minded uh, and delusional. What is the litmus test we run ourselves through as we check in to say, no, I'm still good. A lot of people ask me this question in a different format. They'll say, there's so much information out there that that conflicts. There's so many differing views. How do you know who to trust? Because you want to be the right person. You want to follow the right people. You don't want to be the crazy person following all the nonsense. The one that's arguing that incantations and talismans are the way to get out of this. You want to follow the science. That's what we all say. Even the people that disagree with us that are scared say they're following the science. It's a very fair question. This is how I answer it. Don't follow me. 
Don't follow a guru. Don't follow someone who says he has a monopoly on truth. Just do the following. Ask yourself, the people that you followed, the people that you believe, the people that you trusted from the beginning, from March of 2020, have they been right or have they been wrong? That's how you show and prove that someone is telling you the truth. It's through patterns. Mm -hmm. It's not through projecting into the future whether someone is going to be right. And I can tell you that if you look back from the beginning, from March, April, May, and you look at the people like me, like Robert Malone, like Peter McCullough, mm -hmm. people that have been speaking out, providing you with information from the very beginning, they have been right. They have been proven right time and time again. And even more importantly, when they've been wrong, they have owned up to it. Right. The other side has never done that. Just think about Anthony Fauci. How much of what he said has been proven to be wrong? How many times has he changed his mind and how many times has he actually owned up to it and apologized? Never. Right. I think that's a very, very good way for any individual person who wants to be intellectually honest to see if he's on the right side or the wrong side. Don't trust me. Look backwards. You know, this is, uh, again, this book is just really helpful for all of you out there that, you know, I think we're, we're moving into this new year, 2022. And if, if I'm speaking, you know, for a lot of people out there, I have a little bit of anxiety right now. I have anxiety because I have to do this show. I'm going to have to keep saying Anthony Fauci's name and I want it to go away. You know, I'm going to be having to talk about, you know, President Biden pushing policies, uh, schools shutting down and children not being allowed in schools, watching people forcibly, you know, putting masks on children, forcibly vaccinating children for an illness that, as you clearly state, you're, you're, it's full of science here also. We know this doesn't affect children. And so there's this inner rage that I think those of us that are saying you know, carrying a certain amount of rage can't be healthy either or sane. And so what would be your advice for those of us that are finding such incredible frustration staring into the eyes of these people that are just totally brainwashed, not really home, and then they're condescending towards us as though we're the ones that, you know, aren't listening to the, the science and the reason can you give us, you know, some sort of way forward in this year? Because I think we've still got a ways to go to get to the end of us, even though it's crumbling down around them. And every day they're having to backtrack or change their tune and all of that. And we've had a lot of fun uh, with this, you know, entire experience on the high wire, like you being able to point out how many times we've been right along the way. But it's still... I think there's a lot of people that are getting to the point where they just want to reach out and strangle, you know, their friend, their loved one that is just not even home anymore. What do we do for ourselves to stay sane? This is something that I faced in Los Angeles, as you know, is one of the epicenters of insanity in the United States today, along with San Francisco and Portland and New York. It's pretty bad out here. About 80% of Los Angelinos are still walking around outdoors with masks on, whether they're biking, exercising, driving, pushing baby carriages, they're still wearing masks. They are not getting better here. They are yeah. still very, very sick, almost insane. And I felt alone. I felt isolated. I felt that there was no one around me that was thinking rationally. So I did this. I decided that I would actively surround myself with like-minded people. I would build a community of people here in Los Angeles that I would actually spend time with face to face, 
in groups and one-on-one. -on -one. That made all the difference. If you are in the camp of the rational and the non-fearful, you cannot isolate yourself. You cannot sit in front of a Zoom screen or a news broadcast all day long because you know that those people are scared and they're going to make you sick. You have to. You have to find other people that are like you. If you live in a very isolated area, it might have to be somewhat remote. You might have to form a telegram group or a signal group or some form of online community. I get it. It's not ideal, but it's better than sitting at home by yourself. Mm -hmm. But in most places, there are other people like you. And if you start to speak out, if you start to take a risk, then you will come across other people that will be attracted to you because you are one of the sane ones. And that has happened to me more than every, I'd say the last 10 years of my life, the last 18 months, I have come across more people locally and throughout the country who are like-minded and who share my views and who are sane and rational than I have in, in all the years prior. And it's because I have spoken out, I have stepped up, I have taken a risk to express my views. I've lost people in my life, but they weren't people that I actually miss losing. Uh, as, I, as I heard from Mickey Willis recently when I was filming Plandemic out in Austin, in, out in your neck of the woods, yeah. I didn't lose a single friend in putting together my Plandemic series because the people that left me were not my friends. Right. And the recompense of wonderful people since then has been enormous. Trust me, this is true. It has been true in my life as well. I believe that you can attract great people by being honest and sincere and stepping up and fighting the fear. I have not been depressed or sad for the last year because I've done that and it's made all the difference. I talk about it in more detail in my book in the last chapter, but I think this is the very, very most important first step to do. Find like-minded people, form a community. It will inoculate you against the craziness. That's really great advice, and it's so true. It's something we've talked about, and I think it's one of the beautiful side effects of this insane time we're in is that it's really, truly helping us recognize what is, you know, who are our true friends, what really is our inner family and circle, and community is huge. I had that experience. I was, you know, back visiting my family back in Boulder, Colorado, and I decided uh, at the last minute to give a talk. There was no advertising, but my father's a minister, so let me take the church. I want to talk about vaccines in Boulder. Boulder's like an epicenter of insanity, like, you know, California. I think they're bragging that there's somewhere around 85 to 90% vaccinated. And, you know, I didn't even visit a year ago because I just couldn't handle seeing my hometown in that condition. But I'll say without any advertising, I walked in there and the place was packed. I mean, to the walls, I think the room holds 700 people, standing room only, in the edges of the doorways. And one of the beautiful things about it was everyone came up to me afterwards and said, thank you so much for having this moment. I didn't realize like they were meeting their neighbors saying, I didn't know my next door neighbor believed the same thing I did. And here we are, we ran into each other here. And it's part of the problem. They have us so afraid to speak our truth that we're not being heard by someone that may be 10 feet away that is in our community, is in our family. It's why we've got to speak out. We've got to start standing in our truth. We are the sane ones. They are crazy. And, and so many stories of families that got together where the crazy wears off when they're around you long enough. If they're around sane people, they start, you know, the mask starts coming down and eventually you get a hug three days into the family vacation because they're recognizing I remember what it was once like to be sane. We've got a long road ahead of us to dig our way out of this. It's an incredible book, Mark. It really is a fantastic read. It's an easy read, but it brings sanity back to this conversation. I want to thank you for doing it, and I, I hope we get to have you on the show again soon. 
All right. This has been great. I really appreciate it and enjoy it. Thank you. All right. You bet. Dr. Mark McDonald, keep up the good work. Uh, how do we follow you? How do we follow the work that you're doing and maybe speaking engagements you might yeah. have around the country? So I just started a Substack in anticipation of my firing from Twitter and Facebook, as uh, most have gone that way recently, <laughs> yeah. including Robert Malone, which is called Dissident MD, D-I-S-S-I-D-E-N-T, Dissident MD. Okay. Uh, which is also my website, which you have up now as well, dissidentmd.com, uh, where I post, obviously, this book, as well as some of my op-eds and recent uh, publications that I put on, on my Substack account. This is where you go to find out what I'm writing. I also right. do a lot of posts, at least until I'm canceled, on my Twitter and my Facebook page, which are M. McDonald, MD, and Mark McDonald, MD, respectively. But I get censored and shut down frequently, so I really would... Um, encourage people to go to dissidentmd.com or the substatus where I'm going to start to post regularly every week. And also I'm going to start putting information about my book in process, which is going to cover recovery from fear, an entire book on how to recover from fear. Because I see year 2022 as the year where we recover from fear. No more mass delusional psychosis, We're recovering from fear. And I want to lead that charge. All right. Sounds good. Well, we want to help you with that charge. So important to get our lives, our sanity, this planet back in our hands. Take care. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Stel. All right. Incredible interview Del Bigtree did there with uh, McDonald. It's just his work. First of all, I, you know, I just have to say this. I thought towards the end there was really powerful. One of the reasons why I started a GTW town hall was to be able to link with like minds or people who recognize that we're under a, a not only a state of psychosis, but a larger mechanism of control that this is transcends a virus. It transcends a disease. And there's some sort of larger, more pernicious goal in mind. And obviously we know about the World Economic Forum, the Davos Group. And we know what sort of agenda 2030 and we, we know about climate change and the climate hegemony and what they're trying to foist on the public using utilizing all these different fearful narratives. Right. And so I thought it was really important to hear him say something that I, you know, took up the mantle for in, in creating a sort of um, a, a town hall somewhere where we could subscribers who participate in this sort of community could come together. We're only asking for, I think, 10 bucks a month is the, the low package just so you can come and we can all share different perspectives, share our experiences, share our fears, our delusions, our our, our triumphs and um, our philosophies, our research. And it's been one of the greatest successes I could have ever imagined. At the same time, it's been very stressful because a 48 hour turnaround Tuesday night, 7 o'clock p.m. can be a little intense after doing a six to seven hour podcast on Sunday nights. But I would never trade anything for for that experience it's absolutely been wonderful and the people have been frequenting it have been incredibly intelligent and uh, erudite in their research and um oh, that's a good a word erudite it's true though it's it, very high intellectual aptitude type of conversation where even someone like me can tune in and get my mind blown on a regular basis and i'm like and these are coming from people listening to the show so it's a convection current of causality that's going on and it does give people that insulation, like when they go through those four stages of mass psychosis, uh, mass formation psychosis, if you can eliminate a couple of those layers, you're not going to be subject to it. 
And when you think about why am I not subject to this? It's like, I don't have those layers in my life. I'm not watching CNN waking up in fear with no hope of what's going on. Back in the beginning of this, when there was a lot of uncertainty, I started letting my fingers do the walking. All of a sudden, zinc is an ionophore to open up the cells and yeah. you know these sort of things. That's liberating. I was looking for knowledge because in the absence of leadership from our leaders, I was like, okay, everyone, everybody for themselves, let's start digging into PubMed and see what's known about these things. And what are the mechanisms of how it works and how do you get around it? And, and that's rational behavior because we didn't know yes, early on. This, that was one of the behavior first... of a gene line that has survived this far legitimately, <laughs> not because of nepotism. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Well, what's interesting is I, I tell people and I've used this uh, description before in the town hall. I was one of the first people to put on a mask and I was one of the first people to take it off. Me too. I had no idea too. what they had released. Uh, and I was, you know, I was, let's just put the, what's the word I'm looking for. But um, I, I saw, yeah, exactly. Uh, I saw a bioweapon a lot yeah, sooner I was thinking in the schedule than most people were. Yes. And I remember going in is it was like early February. Most people in America, I don't think we're even aware of it till like March until it was a thing. Right. Right. I remember like going in February with a mask and buying stuff and people were looking at me and I'm like, don't worry, buddy. You'll you'll figure it out at some point. Shit's going on. And um, but and, and part of that prep list was at that point. It was at that point, I had been told a really scary story, too. We had a, a business offer come to us in like February before mm -hmm. it was a thing everywhere else. Joshua and I talked to this guy and he was from Microsoft. He worked on whatever Azure project or something over there. Mm, and he Microsoft's basically said, stuff, yeah. he told us this scary story and he's like, look, here's how it's going to unfold. Uh, restaurants are going to shut down. They're not going to open back up. Um, you're going to have to, he was pitching us on going to restaurants in hazmat suits and masks during the beginning of the pandemic uh, and telling them that they're going to have to reappropriate kitchen space uh, get rid of their indoor seating. Everything's going to turn into delivery. Everything's going to go into these lockdowns. This whole crazy story, dude. Right. So we were like, we don't want any part of this. This is a crazy story. We would prefer to believe that all this stuff's not going to happen. Right. And I'm not saying his story is legit, but a lot of the things that he was pointing at ended up unfolding pretty much just like he said. So I don't know who he was working with or who he's around or what stories he heard working at Microsoft for Billy Bob Gates. Mm -hmm. But it was an earlier version of the story that was like, uh, so at that point, yeah, I was already masked up and I was like, Jesus, we're going to need, um, you need the gas masks with the Corona filter particle, the Corona particle filters. Like uh, if you go online and you look, they actually had at the time that the pandemic came out, they had filters, Corona particle filters because I have them for the masks and I had to make sure I had enough masks for me and the children who might be aside, uh, you know, because Lucas's cousins live next door and stuff. So if we had to egress in a pandemic situation where it's like Ebola and you it's really Ebola, don't want to transmissible like a coronavirus, right? that's yeah. what they were telling us at the beginning is we the, had no you idea. saw the things coming we out of, well, the things coming out of Wuhan, the psychological warfare that was like circulating at and that then point, Italy, people dropping in France. Yeah. and welded in their houses and all yeah. that good stuff right yeah so i went from having that you know uh un unscheduled budget uh thing where you gotta prep in a situation where it's like this is you know not convenient and trying to source materials i remember at the time when i got those masks 
that they were like out of stock everywhere. And I thought really it was going to have to go through and not have any type of equipment for the future. And the ones that came online were coming out of Italy at the time when COVID was super bad in Italy. Yeah. Like, no, not looking to get anything shipped from Italy right now. <laughs> and, but I do, I could, I could show you after we play a clip, I'll find one of the, uh, the masks in the Corona particle filters and it, it filters out down to 0.0001 microns or whatever the, the standard is. And uh, they're legit like, uh, uh, you know, yeah, they're designed filters for those for, types of masks. Yeah, for coronavirus. Yeah, that's what they're designed 100 for. 100 nanometers or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, um, which is interesting, right? That it takes that level of filtration. And because like, I forget what we played earlier, but they were talking about how N95 masks aren't very effective. Obviously, the cloth masks are just a joke. Um, but even N95 masks um, are not very effective because they're not really intended for disease transmission of a coronavirus that exists in a 100 nanometer scale. And, you know, they're, they're, they're designed for other particulates. They're, they, you have to find one that's specifically um, designed for coronavirus or for a specific, what you're really looking for is a specific scale of micron, to your point. And you had to find one of the scale of a yeah and then when you get into a piece of protective equipment like that i mean i'm a nerd so uh i i watch tutorials on how to don and doff such things and then you figure out like how screwed you are in the situation if you actually have to do use that equipment oh, like yeah. it's not a, it's not a good thing for humanity especially after everyone was just trained to don and doff their mask like this all day every day without thinking about it it's the most dangerous thing you could possibly have as far as training of the civilian personnel in donning and doffing masks is the mask policies, the nonsensical, idiotic mask policies that they've put into effect have greatly endangered the future of all people on this planet. Because when a real thing happens that you do have to wear a real mask for, you're going to have all these uh, repetitions, just like if you practice with a pistol in the wrong way. Yes, you're going to bring it. that to the game, just like you practice anything else poorly. You're going to bring that to the game. And that's what they're setting people up. Oh, for. yeah. This is and if you setup. look back at the this Spanish flu, setup. there was no Spanish flu pandemic of 1918. What they did was get a lot of people to wear dirty masks and they died from bacterial meningitis and pneumonia. And Fauci's NIH did the paper on this in 2004. And everybody knows this. Right. Cause of death, 1918 flu pandemic masks. Type the search in, find the paper see that they knew they were doing this to people, the kids, especially how many kids are touching their mask all day. That's a whole bunch of unnecessary touches to the face that otherwise would not normally be going fall on. on the ground, fall in the toilet, fall God knows where after they're playing with paint and, you know, running around and just, you know, kids are just naturally dirty. Yeah. So they're just being kids they are experiencing their world. It is what it is. I mean, that's in fact, one of the ways to develop their immune system by just taking in microbes from their environment just touching and doing all sorts of crazy stuff so it's just part of yeah. being a child and growing and and developing but look the the lockdowns didn't work no. the they had an opposite ventilators effect. the ventilators didn't work opposite effect the vaccines didn't work the boosters people. didn't work the mandates didn't work right. at all in reducing anyone's fear what does that tell you yeah, and they're fear trying, is the virus. They're trying to impose that even gr in greater amounts right now. Uh huh. That's what yeah. do you think it does to people when you say we're going to mandate you have to put this gene therapy in your body? You think it causes them peacefulness? Oh, thank you. No, those people already took it. So it's a terrorist tactic. Government by coercion 
terrorism. Yeah. It's in the Oxford English Dictionary. And now know? they have you to rationalize and justify their behavior, even if they recognize on some sort of subconscious level that they've done something that's been completely irrational. So then they yeah. have to go along with, no, 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 the this ad veracunium has this fallacy of authority. I have to believe that the authorities told me to do the right thing, you know, and like, you know, and like that of, of that sort of nature, which is ironic because then and then they have to demonize and ostracize those who refuse to engage in that sort of that that experimentation on the human population under an emergency use authorization. Yeah. And so, it's, you know, do you think it was terrorism when King George the third had his uh, troops quartering with American colonists, uh, wives and daughters. I think that's a form of terrorism, having the king's men having rights to your house and your property right. as if they were the king. Correct. Hmm. Right. Yeah. Maybe someone should resist that. Yeah, you would think. Um, Dump their opium into the ocean. Instead, they got people to rationalize irrational behavior. That's what we call rationalizations. Well, okay. So wheelhouse of mass formation psychosis is outcome-based education mm -hmm. as described in the underground history of american education oh look my my zoom froze up not my obs my zoom froze up yes. underground history of american education by john taylor gatto also dumbing us down also weapons of mass instruction also deliberate dumbing down of america by charlotte Showed Iserbeet. Uh, any number of books on these topics Hello, that shows the, the veracity the leipzig connection showing its connection back yeah. to uh, the unification of Germany and the German state. I was under von Bismarck, but even before that, and a number of secret societies that are fun to talk about. Yeah, exactly. That you know played an unfortunate I mean, role as in a the friend. idea of this uh, sort of this emerging. What's the word I'm looking for? But this this fire in the minds of men. Ominous continuity. Fire. Yeah, I got Ominous fire in the minds of men. I mean, it's the idea of this revolutionary faith that they that through these secret societies. That now the bourgeoisie, this this sort of merchant class, can now participate in the political spectrum of society. We can lessen the power of kings. We can lessen the power of uh, of church institutions, and now we get the ability to manifest our destiny. And of course, this happened in coffee shops. This happened in Freemasonic circles. Critique, uh, critique and crisis talks about that in detail. And I have it in my library. I'm not going to run and get this. Politics in progress. Politics, oh, actually. that's fantastic because that book that details the sort of importation of the ideas of pragmatism and Dewey's pragmatism in American politics. I mean, there's so many. Rich right now, for people who can't, I'm going to put it on screen I'm in a second here. about to slap the new yeah, world order upside its stupid head. <laughs> politics and project progress. That's a fantastic right? book. Yeah. Critique and there crisis. It is. Critique and crisis. The enlightenment it, and the pathogenesis. Genesis is beginning. And pathology is obviously some form of disease. Or I can reason for a Leipzig connection. Taladioni, yep. This uh, talks about Johann Casper Lavater of the Illuminati mm -hmm. training Pestalozzi. Pestalozzi. Right yes, there. there it is. Oh, look at that. I didn't even have to see it. Boom. Calling it from memory. Philo's reply to questions concerning his association with the Illuminati, because Philo was number two. Yes. His name was Baron Adolf von Knigge. he's a real dude he was number two in the illuminati under weishaupt these are his private letters you gotta love back he and named forth. himself philo so the illuminati right? named themselves after sort of like classical greek Greeks. gods yeah yeah there you go illuminati illuminati manifesto world revolution 1792 is when it's written by nicholas bonneville this is a great book right here it's uh, the second book chalk chalk full 
Real but wait, quick, go back more. to the second. Yeah, real quick, because someone in the chat says you're going so fast. What was the name of the second book? That's Critique and Crisis, I believe. You're going so fast. They're like, hold on, I'm writing them down. This is Daniel Mark Lewin in the chat. Thank you, by the way, for the support, everyone. Um, politics and progress. Politics and progress. Yeah. Then Critique and Crisis. Critique and Crisis with the second one. There we go. Leipzig Connection. And then I went to uh, Philo's Reply and then Bonneville. And what about but, is Melanson's work in there? Do you know? Oh, it's an Eric. This is Melanson's book here, and I got that I got one's a, a good book because it. it goes over the philosophy. Um, being when well, it's all artifacts. Yeah, but he also I like the fact I mean, look, that I'm a philosophy pictures guy. Of these, he goes into the type of philosophy these guys are operating under. These guys being utopian, sort of look, idealists. Here's, here's the use of the Phrygian cap. Yep. yep. Right. I mean, there's a whole bunch of uh, coverage in here and i've got notes as you can see and cecil Rhodes and the only reason they um, know there was a conspiracy is because of the crazy story of the messenger getting struck by lightning look, yeah, oh that. yeah 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 his name was uh xavier zwick yeah dude that's such a crazy story the man was struck by lightning in a storm when he was delivering amshel rothschild there and what's interesting yeah because one of the things books. is these these financiers were operating in the same circle so the the charge was that they infiltrated Freemasonic circles. Freemasonic circles alongside coffee houses were like key sort of male dominated circles where people got together to discuss politics, religion, philosophy. And he, they, they had their own brand of philosophy, the sort of cosmopolitan viewpoint of the world and this sort of like new revolutionary faith that they were bringing in. And they wanted to overthrow go the governments of those times would be your kingships. And so they yeah. wanted to overthrow those kingships. And the that papacy. And the, the papacy. papacy. Those are the two. You're right. right. Absolutely correct. Okay. Yeah. So you got it. What got me interested, because I, I didn't, I was incredulous. I was like, there's no Illuminati. It's not a thing. It's made up. Oh, they there's taught nothing that's to it. my parochial school. They said there was a so real I'm thinking, Illuminati. So I'm thinking about like, what are the things that told me in the past that it was like something that existed and needed to be studied, right? Mm -hmm. Let me bring it up here in the history blueprint real quick, but I'll tell you while I'm looking. There's a October 24th, 1792 letter from Reverend George Washington Snyder to George Washington. Oh, this is classic. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, let me just type in oh, Illuminati. And uh, so I was incredulous because that's that's my product. Pro uh, that's like my modus operandi. I'm incredulous. But then I'm like, but what if it's true? So let's go look, you know. And um, so like the 1911 Encyclopedia Britannica pre-censorship uh you know before they censored it for mass distribution there's like the elite set so that's the uh 11th edition in 1911 before the federal reserve right mm -hmm. you should dig into that and read what they have to say about the illuminati like this is an official well resource documented yes. right there's um uh letters on freemasonry by john quincy adams also uh has some has some talk of that the fire in the minds of men by Rhodes scholar and uh, congressional librarian james h billington that's an incredible work it is such an incredible book with yeah. impeccable references oh. that you know if you wanted to be ambassador to some country that's a book you read to learn history not the stuff you were told in in school or on tv right that those are real deal facts in that book yeah. so if you go to the actual uh illuminati let's see if i had it uh one tab back i had the I have a whole entry. folder just on literally the illuminati Here. in my archives uh founded you know may 1st 1776 yep. 
1830 because it had a terminus yeah. right and then it just like the east india company it didn't stop it just morphed the snakes the snakes shed its skin it's called rebranding it's called rebranding it's called uh not a vaccine it's, it's not a gene therapy it's a vaccine it's the yeah. same thing snakes sheds its skin it's a form of black word magic this is this is how these people operate, right? It's amazing how national so, governments started popping up around that time. Period. Here's George Washington's Illuminati letters, October twenty fourth, seventeen ninety. You have it on screen, or is you on? Are you on your? Yeah, I'm sorry. Screen? Oh, sorry, oh, yeah. sorry. Boom, boom. Let me go back a screen so you guys yeah. can see where I was at. Yeah, this goes. I was that first time, at. <laughs> I was at. Uh, <laughs> okay. okay, so I started there. Yeah, start here, yeah. And this this link used to have the 1911 encyclopedia, I think, until I started referencing it so heavily and then it disappeared off the Internet. What a coincidence. So Fire in the Minds of Men by James H. Billington. And he was the Rhodes Scholar and librarian of Congress who had this incredible history of the French Revolution, Revolution, American Revolution, communism. It's like the the origins of the revolutionary faith talks heavily about the illuminati all throughout that Think book about that the subtitle is called the origins of the revolutionary faith the origins yeah. of the revolutionary faith that overthrew right they're the ones who make the world tapes, yeah. Yeah. yeah or religious so hegemony. here's the thought for the order of the illuminati founded may 1st 1776 with a terminus around 1830 right and within this you have george washington's letters and george washington's letter to uh reverend George Washington Snyder regarding the Illuminati. So if you just go to the letters in general, I think there's two or three. Let's see. <clears throat> George Washington to Reverend George Washington Snyder, October 27th, 1798, which is three days after the October 24th entry. And then he also had uh, William Russell of the Skull and Bones, Yale opium smuggling people, right? Uh, 1798, this is, this is a predecessor and it's chance that he might not be the same opium smuggling Russell family, but William Russell was one of the founders of Skull and Bones in 1832, if uh, memory serves. So a predecessor, George Washington is writing to him about the Illuminati on September 28th, 1798. Uh, here's his other letter uh, on August 22nd. So George Washington Snyder, a reverend, on August 22nd, 1798, sends George Washington a letter. And in this letter, he's like, hey, bro, have you read this book on the Illuminati written by, who's the guy who wrote it? That particular one. It's in this article, okay? So um, George Washington writes back on October 24th. And basically going from memory, the quote is something to the effect of, you know, I've read the book and I'm aware of the Illuminati and their pernicious principles and I'm not part of it. Something to that effect. Yeah, so here's let me put my glasses on because these are the actual quotes. And I can read them into the record for you. If it clicks through, let me see if I can open uh, in a new tab here or something. Yeah, it's quick. Doing it live. Washington to William Russell, September 28th. And does it give me the text? Oh, son of a bitch. Being yeah, they more show, complicated. They show the actual. We're doing it live. Text. Two yeah, it shows you here. Seven times. Sir, many it, apologies are due to you for my not. Uh, but this one says, it was not my intention to doubt that the doctrines of the Illuminati, the principle of Jacobinism, had not, spread to, bring that up. had not spread to the United States. On the contrary, no more. No one is more truly convinced of this than I am. And then he talks about their pernicious principles. So it's in his own handwriting. 
It's in the Library of Congress. I said, this is a place to plant a flag. This, this thing exists. What else can I find out about it? And then you find uh, the Fire in the Minds of Men book, for example, another highly credible, reputable source on the history of these secret societies and the revolutionary faith that changes nations and does great resets all the time. Right? Yep. So from that, you can look into something like Skull and Bones. Oh, so the Illuminati is real. It existed at one point and it kind of went out of business and maybe morphed into something else. What about Skull and Bones? Is there anything to that? Right. And who were these people? Were they into opium and heroin smuggling? <laughs> were they into piracy in the old China trade? Like you guys have references just from this episode. Here's Russell and company. Is William Russell in here? Oh, my goodness. Samuel Russell, the whole Russell family is part of the Eastern establishment. Boston Brahmins. It's very strange. Uh, William, and, and William, the, Hunt, the Himalaya, William the, Huntington Russell, Skull and Bones. There he is. The American Hegelians, um, also connected. The right sort and of the left Hegelians. Right that left. comes That's from. A, I have a book that comes from my, Anthony Sutton's book. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a book just on the American Hegelians. That's separate from Anthony. But you're right. Anthony Sutton was where we got the reference for that. It's I mean, called the, How the Order Controls Education. Mm-hmm. It's right here. So you have these like philosoph- philosophic Boom. trends and these groups popping up amongst bourgeoisie there and well-to-do individuals. There you go. It's a big spider web with the skull and bones in the middle about the Interesting that they use the number society. 322. They take a lot of different symbolism from masonry and so forth. You know, Critique and Crisis goes over the Jacobin influence and the influence in the French Revolution. And we know British State Department, um, Lord Shelbourne, and uh, others' involvement in that. In whole, this book, yes, does right. it too. Okay. Yeah, well, that's where we. Yeah, right. We showcased or, that many, many, many months ago. Now, I like I like this subtitle so. better. <laughs> Britain's Opium War Against the World, because that's really what it's about. Yeah. This other book was marketed right. at the time because Kissinger, you know, because Kissinger Associates is the inheritor of the East India Company Opium Conglomerate, mm-hmm. and now study 9/11 and why he was going to run the commission. Case closed. I think at the read. time Kissinger was attacking the Lurush, Lurushian types, and they're like, "Okay, well, we'll give a subtitle, a little nod." Saturday Night Live, Lyndon Larouche. Do we have that clip? <laughs> I can try to find with it. John Lovitz and uh, Tony Danza. Mm-hmm, can we find that clip? I will find that clip. Oh, uh, we're playing another clip. <laughs> that is a challenge to you if you are watching this show live stream right now. I'm looking for the Saturday Night Live. Lyndon LaRouche theater clip with John Lovitz, Tony Danza from circa 1983, 84-ish. Like, and what they accused, basically, like, um, John Cusack, his sister. It's Joan, literally gaslighting. She's, she's back playing in the, the queen. She's playing the queen, and she's like a heroin dealer, a, an opium dealer. Mm-hmm. And Prince Charles is her unwitting son who's going around delivering, the, like, the drug money. And it's a funny skit and it, it it parallels reality. It mirrors reality in a way that uh, continues to be resonant today through uh, the current machinations of this multi-generational crime syndicate. Yeah, that's for damn sure. But it's only going to be on BitChute or someplace like this at this point. We'll find it. Because it's been... Might be an it was scarce to get back in the days before censorship. I, think I saved it. I mean, I downloaded most of that stuff. But I will have to go through a download folder that goes spans back to 2011, though. But I'll see if I can find it before the night is out. That's a good challenge for the audience. People are out <laughs> yeah, there scanning. Yeah, give me. It looks like someone already posted. Something. Whoever gets it first, what can we offer a prize? 
How can we moderate? This and, is all uh, Frank and it's Lyndon LaRouche. I don't think this is, this is not the one. But nice, nice. That's a good one, Dallas. No, yeah, that's, that's a good it. compliment. It's a good compliment. Though. I haven't bad. seen the Al Franken one, actually. So yeah. I'd be into checking it out. Yeah, it's called Lynn LaRouche Theater. And um, it used to be on LaRouche's site. That was the only place you could get it. It was like some Let me see if I can find out what you're talking about. Yeah, go ahead. And uh, the, the essence of Dope Inc., Britain's opium war against the world, is that... Um, the East India Company had developed a worldwide monopoly on opium and that their triangle trade, there were many triangle trades. So in America, we're taught about like molasses and cotton and slaves or something like that. Well, the other part of the story is cotton goes from American slaves in the South to Manchester textile mills in Britain to over to India, where they would trade those textiles for opium over to China, where they would subjugate China with a century of humiliation uh, addicting their their population, which caused two opium wars, one of which where the opium was dumped in by tens of thousands of chests of opium by the Chinese emperor by order, by edict. So these sort of things have gone on in history and have been outside the American awareness because we think Great Britain's our great ally. You know, hands across the ocean, we're friends again. You know, we, we buried the hatchet on that whole revolution thing back in the day and we're just allies. No, these people have wanted to get inside and take command and control of America since 1814 when they left with their tail between their legs at the New or Battle of New Orleans. And I was not surprised to hear Monica basically say the same thing. She's a well-educated, literate person with access to all, almost all the stuff that we have access to. It's a reasonable conclusion to think that the people that used to uh, run this place that were kind of sour grapes that they didn't get to control this place had plans and made uh, other allies to help undermine us. Oh, I found it. Oh, wait, uh, did I find nice. it? Nice. Did you find Season it? Season 11, episode Is 15. Is there a point? Oh, it's, it's, I found it's on our Internet Archive. My God, dude, this thing is hard to find. <laughs> what the hell happened? I was going to say, because we've played it in history so it doesn't repeat. We've played oh, it in a deep end. We God. played it in Casual Cafe. We played it on every show we've produced over the years. Yeah. At some point. It's a great clip. Uh, it's, it's, I clicked on it. Give me a second to see if it actually comes up here. It is. Dun, this dun, is the dun, whole Danza. Oh, uh, can we play Anderson's. it? Because it's. But it's if right you're watching now, on YouTube, prepare for YouTube to censor this shit. The only problem is it's the entire. So let me let me put it on another. Well, here, you got here. the whole SNL episode. It's we the have, whole. Please episode. don't do that. Although that's, SNL that's used to be funny back then. That's all they have. I was thinking that's like Pete Davidson SNL, but old SNL. It's occasionally yeah, funny. Yeah, there's occasionally funny. I agree. It is uh, here. It is working. Problem is, let I me see if I can find the section. God, it's, it's an hour long episode obviously it's Saturday Night Live so they don't they don't it's season 11 episode 15 Tony Danza this is from oh, April 19th 1986 here I'll put the uh, All right. so here's can people see that so here's the Saturday Night Live season 11 episode 15 Tony Danza Laura Anderson Live from New York, Randy Quaid, Robert Downey Jr., Anthony Michael Hall. Sketches include Vietnam Horror History, Nancy Reagan's Workout, Lyndon LaRouche Theater. So it'd be yes. the third sketch. So let me see if I can find the third sketch here. Here, I think. Is there it is. There yeah, it is. yeah, yeah. Okay, so let me go back here a little bit. The budget Kevin Spacey back then. 
Come on, you effing. Give me two seconds. Let me put it on a better no, browser. It's all right. We got time for this type of juicy artifact. Oh, just, it's not uh, working on my other browser. It is working. It's it, just being a little B. It came out of the censorship zone. We just brought it back to reality. Because Dope Inc. is uh, it's heavy duty. Yeah, Dope. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to find you a juicy uh, sample here. I'll go from a top card. Those are the more incendiary points. Here we go. No, oh. it's not gonna work. What we're gonna do? Mm-mm-mm-mm. See how this other browser gives me a little bit more leeway. Nope. <laughs> anyway, now I got my own hit series. Who's the boss? Uh-huh. <laughs> And I guess if it wasn't for you people, I wouldn't have it. So I'm taking this opportunity to say thanks. Maybe it's right after this small section. I'm um, afraid to push it forward. I guess I do. I'm going to tell you, we got a great show for you tonight. We got Laurie Anderson. We got Penn and Teller. I'm real happy to be here. Stick Is around. We'll be right you back. Two. Right. Uh, yeah, the yeah, 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 sure, sure, the pitch to you. Thank you, Vincent. That's very kind of you to help us out in this situation so we don't have to watch poorly written monologues. Here it is. Good evening. I'm Lyndon LaRouche, and welcome to Lyndon LaRouche Theater. As you remember from last week, the evil homosexual Henry Kissinger had conspired with the degenerate drug pusher Queen Elizabeth to traffic in narcotics to raise foreign exchange currency for the decaying British Empire. The satanic Kissinger, himself a Soviet agent, had in collusion with the sinister David Rockefeller and their accomplice, the self-important George Bush, arranged to lend billions to third world nations at usurious rates, all part of a treacherous plot to commit genocide on the African subcontinent, a plot hatched in the twisted mind of the most evil man of the 20th century, Walter Mondale. In tonight's episode, the royal cut, the flaccid, depraved Kissinger, is doing the bidding of the villainous and also unattractive Queen Elizabeth. This is the purest heroine ever, Henry. You must Thank David Rockefeller for me. I will. Now, here's the, here's the cash from the last run. It, it's all there. Yes, we've done enough business together, I trust you. Your homosexual lover is quite youthful, Henry. Yes, he, he has a beautifully battered face, don't you think? Keep your clammy hands off him. I told you he's mine. (laughs) 
you seen this ugly little man? He's so evil. <laughs> I find wickedness such a turn-on. Did you know? Henry plans to enslave the third world. Naturally, that was my idea. Well, the three of us, you, me, and Walter Manda. Henry, I want you and Adrian to take this heroin to America and distribute it to our Eastern friends. Perhaps you could get someone else to do it. Why, Henry, it's not like you to get cold feet. Well, frankly, it's just Linda Marushka. He's making things very hot for me right now. Henry wakes up screaming in a sweat every night, screaming Lelouch's name. I have to give him cold alcohol rubs to put him back to sleep. Oh. I can't believe LaRouche is still a menace. Didn't we pass on orders to NBC News via the Jesuits to make sure that he would be discredited? Yes, but it, it backfired. Lelouch is even more popular now with the common people. Uh, uh, the common people. Uh. Anyway, anyway, Beanie, you're going to have to find someone else to deliver this smack. But uh, who? Hello, Mum. Come to say goodbye. Diana and I are off to Palm Beach for the polo. Charles! Be a good lad and take this briefcase to Palm Beach. I'll have Vice President Bush meet you there to pick it up. All right, Mum. I've seen it. A tarantula. Oh, dear. Well, I shall be careful then. Cheerio, Mum. Boy, what a, what a moron. <laughs> what is it, the inbreeding or what? what is it? I thought he was kind of cute. In a weird sort of way. Mother, won't the tarantula suffocate? No, no, he'll be fine. They can live for months without food and water. Just go. Oh, very well then. Oh. Bye, Mum. Goodbye. Goodbye. Next week in part three, the diabolical Kissinger and the miscreant Queen Elizabeth. Engage KGB agents to assassinate me while continuing to sponsor attacks in the media which attempt to foster one of the most monstrous lies of the 20th century that I am insane. <laughs> Thank you. All right, thank you, Vincent, for finding that link, because uh, now you're you're gonna know better what you can think. First off, notice this syringe. Secondly, the Executive Intelligence Review is like uh, Larouche's research think tank, right? So it's mm -hmm. a group of editors that did the research for this book. Oh, did I lose the page? I did lose one of the pages, but I didn't lose this other page. Hold on. David Ogilvy, we talked about Ogilvy and propaganda earlier tonight, right? He was yeah. a special operations executive uh, in William Stevenson's wartime yeah. Washington, D.C. Bureau. Ogilvy 
subsequently founded the New York City Blue Ribbon Advertising Agency, Ogilvy and Mather, drawing upon his wartime black propaganda experience as well as his pre-war stint with the Gallup Polls organization. Interesting you bring that up. I have a whole thing no? from the... Sorry, go ahead. Okay, so there was that that one. And then the other one was over here. Remember when I said uh, Roberto Calvi uh, was handled by James Jesus Angleton's dad? Mm-hmm. Here's uh, page 104 talking about um, Banco Ambrosiano at the Inter Alpha Group, Roberto Calvi, and the Hong Kong dope financiers, right? So there's connectivity between the Dope Inc. group and Roberto Calvi, and who's, you know, connected to uh, that nice guy at the CIA, James Heases Angleton. But Rockefeller's trilateral commissioner, CFR president, former president uh, Richard Gardner, Worked at Inner Alpha in New York. Gardner personally chose, uh, cho- personally to close Chase Manhattan Chief. I'm sorry, Richard Gardner personally close to Chase Manhattan Chief Rockefeller. Drafted all the major financial documents of the Trilateral Commission. Right during the time that you've got um, the Vatican banking going on, and where was HSBC? There was one of these. I had a note that hey. HSBC in the corner, and that was the here it is right here. Um, Banco Ambrosiano, the Venetian Genovese financial uh, manipulations, and Roberto Calvi, right here, right? Um, HSBC, she was talking about Comey, who was on the board of directors of HSBC. So it's a very small coterie between intelligence and Angleton and Calvi. And, banking, uh, and, and Hong Kong, Shanghai mm-hmm. Banking Corporation, the Central Bank for Dope Incorporated. Oh, yeah. It ties directly and immediately to the five London clearing banks, the five London gold pool dealers and the big Canadian international banks. Right. This is the whole point of the book. The London network comes from the East India Company and ends up in HSBC and Kissinger Associates. That's why they had control over Hong Kong for so right long. There. And they pull out and they act like right. they still don't have control, but they do. But James Comey was on the board of HSBC after they got busted for drug dealing. And part of the punishment was Comey had to be on the board. (laughs) Right. And then (laughs) during that time, HSBC gave a hundred million to Hillary Clinton for her campaign. Nothing to see there though. Right. Nothing to see with the dark and and the Baron Edmund de Rothschild. Isn't this the same guy that was the global warming guy, Tony here on page 96. Didn't we talk about him a couple weeks ago yeah, with him speaking in his own first person about these things? Unsaid might have been left it, it better unsaid. Yeah, it might have been unsaid. Might have been left better unsaid. <laughs> these books are inconvenient truths. I have I to say this because he brought up the Gallup. Ignore poll. them. Can we ban these books? Can we create some sort of apartheid to keep these types of freedom books away from people? You know that can be done. In fact, I'm sure there are plenty of organizations we could call up right now that'd be more than willing to take all those books behind you and offer them to one giant and burn them. Yeah, and burn them is right. I just wanted to offer first this. they burn books and then they burn people. This is the true yeah. history that people <laughs> that are running down trajectory. right now. Like, it is a logical connection, end. a very logical deduction. Uh, therefrom, it doesn't take much to draw that inference. Okay, so Lyndon LaRouche, Schiller Institute. They have these things called the Fidelio Articles by Lyndon LaRouche Jr. You can check these out. Is this out. before or after it was the secret password and eyes wide shut? I know, right? All right. I know they had to use Fidelio. <laughs> I got such a kick out of this. It was before, actually. The reason yeah. why I bring this up, hold on real quick. So Kubrick's like, hey, I read LaRouche. Fidelio. So- <laughs> 
<laughs> you imagine oh that's, that's behind so... the scenes all those people that was just like a description as a visual reason... description of doping that whole movie okay and by the way prince charles he was taking that that briefcase to jeffrey epstein it's funny here is they did name it fidelio and here's one of the going back to winter of 92 the new dark age they're talking about the frankfurt school they're talking about the frankfurt school in 1992 hmm. like no one fucking knew about this stuff dun, back dun, then dun, at least dun, that's dun, the same now what's just, interesting about out. this is they talk about the the hold on if i can find this real quick they talk about the Eric gallup Furters. poll and the whole point of creating the idea of gallup poll and any sort of polling in general yeah. was to create mass consensus it's um, intelligence operation it's intelligence operation ogilvy and gallup yeah if where i can he find the section where they talk about that because it's I, in um because it's, it's in, in this the article where they talk about where they it. show how these organizations were intelligence ops. So it's like beyond question, her grandfather helped to create the atomic bomb, Jeanette uh, Conant. Let me see. James Bryant Conant. Yeah, let me put you on real quick while well, President of Harvard, I believe he was. Here's Frankfurt School for yeah, those James of you playing Frank, at home. That's correct. I can copy this link. Let's see if I can copy this link and send it to people watching live. Copy link, send it to the control room here. So here, while he does that, um, I don't think this is the exact quote, but I'll, we'll start with this. Creating public opinion, the authoritarian personality boogeyman in the OSS, the efforts of radio project conspirators manipulate the population, spawned the modern pseudoscience of public opinion polling in order to gain greater control over the methods they were developing. Today, public opinion polls like television news have been completely integrated in our society, a quote, quote unquote, scientific survey. What people are said to think about an issue can be produced in less than 24 hours. Some campaigns for high political office are com completely shaped by polls. In fact, blah, blah, blah. It goes on to speak about this. The idea of public opinion is not new, of course. Plato spoke against it in his Republic over two millennia ago. Alexis de Tocqueville uh, uh, wrote at length of its influence over America in the early 19th century. 19th mm -hmm. century, 1800s, but nobody thought to measure public opinion before the 20th century. Nobody before the 1930s thought to use those measurements for decision making. It is useful to pause and reflect on the whole concept. And so they go into the origins. So these psychoanalytic survey techniques became standard not only for the Frankfurt School, but mm. also throughout American social science departments. Now we're back into uh, foundations, their power and influence. Renee mm. Worms yeah. You know, but also the Reese America. Committee showed that these nonprofit and foundations have un-American activities. They're using, and they're using social uh, critical theory. In the 30s. Yes, in the 30s. Where did identity politics come from? Look, it's all right here. Those individuals, Marcuse and Lukacs. Adorno. Adorno. Theodore Adorno, of course. Yeah. Marcuso. Yeah. Um, OSS. Whole bunch of Horkheimer, you know. Anyways, it's it goes on. We could we could spend a year going over this stuff. But, so go ahead, take it away. Positivism. Pause. Oh yeah, I mean the analytic tradition of the twentieth century, nineteenth and twentieth century, mostly in the twentieth century. It's like it's basically scientists saying we agree with like the human and Kantian critique and some elements of Hegelianism. We agree there's no metaphysics, no objective reality, no truth. But like logic and reason is still somewhat useful. We still have to analyze evidence. So we'll call it the analytic tradition. We'll make everything just a range of probabilities, a range of relativity, relativities, really. And, uh, you know, we'll measure everything, including every every aspect to do with human psychology, human behavior. And, you know, we'll remove ethics from the concern. We'll remove uh, any sort of deeper idea of the human intrinsic value of the human individual. And we'll just science the fuck out of everything we'll make everything into a statistical probability 
Brilliant. And they'll have secret reports on Nazi Germany. <laughs> look, so. look, it, look who's on the cover of this. Jeez, Biden Christ. and Merkel. And Merkel yeah, Merk, yeah. Frankfurt School in the OSS. Well, no, there's no connection between intelligence agencies and these nonprofit kind of foundation. Change in the attitudes, values, behaviors, and beliefs. Because, you know, and if it was natural, they wouldn't need to exist, right? Let's just agree on that. And what's interesting about that book, right, is that, you know, I actually showed sections of that book, how they infiltrated specifically in the 20s, 30s, 40s, social science departments of universities. The Rockefeller and Carnegie Insta and then the Ford Foundations and uh, these institutions, they were specific about starting so or funding social science departments. Why would you fund a social science department? Remember when we were talking about Jeremy Bentham and the founder of social science and the founder of sort of uh, the uh, utilitarian, not, it's not utilitarianism, but it's sort of the beginnings of consequentialism. Um, so the ends justify the means, in other words. So I had just read a Bentham passage over here, but yeah. yeah. Bentham's another. We, 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 we covered all this stuff a couple months ago, but. We could honestly do like a sideshow at some point. Does ever? I thought this was the sideshow. Well, <laughs> you're saying this is the real thing? Jeez, man. Yeah, yeah, tell well, me what day this is. It is late. We can... I thought it was all sideshow tonight. It is all sideshow. Beside, show, beside the, the science. The Don't follow the something. science. Go beside the science. That's what I do. You designate the science. Oh, that might be a title for a future show. <laughs> It might be too, too cerebral, too <laughs> cerebral. All right. Uh, as far as other clips we need to play from this week, aside from telling people Not about really. Kissinger Associates and Dope Inc. Uh, let me, I have so many fucking things. Up if you think the pharma companies aren't in the infrastructure heretofore described, you're wrong. Where do you think they came from? Where do you think they came from, man? Exactly. These people used to bottle up heroin and stuff and sell it to you, Bayer heroin. And then they legitimize yeah. themselves through PR and propaganda. It's just called branding. And, and then they uh, took out their competition. They call it public relation. They took out their competition. They legitimized 20th their century. And now they're going to own everyone's immune system in perpetuity. I don't well, see anything. Look at what Skull and Bones did. I mean, they legitimize themselves, quote unquote, through Yale. So they like get a part of a university, the Ivy League, you know, the East Ivy India Towers. Company, the opium. Wait, the opium monopolies front company here in America. Right. Because Elihu mm -hmm. Yale worked for East India Company and was in the opium oh, trade. The, the and that's where all the money came AIC, from. And that's right? where the money came from for Skull and Bones, too, at Yale. Yeah. The German Death Secret Society meshed and in there with the the the, you know, Elihu Yale East India Company. Come on, man. Skull and Bones pirates. East India Company was, uh, and then they the, get the intellectuals the to cover for their ass, shipping opium yeah, and, and subjugating people, it, like they did with Adam Smith. So, looking at the show card, they're killing them with kindness and just a little bit of opium. You no, know, only a little, right? That's their plan. The, All right. So, um, other things uh, from this week that we must play in this time capsule. You know, it's almost impossible at this point to really highlight anything. I feel as though we Let's have do, to play. Uh, how um, about this one? I need that. Uh, <laughs> evidence of self-assembling nanocircuitry and vaccine, Greg Reese. We have no, Brett Weinstein talking about stuff. Oh, the vitamin D stuff, by the way, that Brett Weinstein 
interview did uh, with Lydia McGraw. I want oh, no, I want Lydia, the audience to see the hit piece really good. on the the Rogan Malone interview that Crystal and Sager put out. Because it was oh, basically yeah, was like so not bad. a whole lot to see here. They're just they're kind of like we watched it for you. Ooh, you know, because like Malone talked on Infowars, he talked about the Great Reset and stuff like that. So Klaus Schwab, he's crazy man. Basically, is what she's saying to her audience, who's dumb enough to maybe believe her. I you guess should that's see how much her, the demographic must be. But well, her dem- it's yeah, awful. The demographic, at least insofar as the people who comment on this video, very intelligent, yeah. and they really took her to task. Did anyone point out that Klaus Schwab wrote a book connecting COVID and the Great Reset on the cover? Crystal Did anyone point that out to her? Hasn't mentioned one negative side effect of COVID vaccines ever. Not once. Talk about being a hypocrite. She's not really addressing his point. His whole opinion is that the government is not focusing on early treatment. They're focusing on vaccine mandates. And, and demonizing any treatment me. that would compete with their experimental gene therapy. The chief complaint I'm hearing is that the conversation didn't weigh risk and benefits. So it actually does if you listen to the whole thing. May I ask her else? Have the vaccines been openly discussed or the risks have been highlighted without censorship concerns? Crystal is borderline hysterical on this one. So let's see. Yeah, this is a uh, this is tough to get through, but let's do it. So. And a lot of you guys want us to cover the story, and I do think it's really interesting. Yes. And very so we listened to the whole thing. Let's put that at the very top. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. okay, both of us. Dr. Robert Malone, yeah. who has become very prominent, especially in those who will call vaccine hesitant and mm-hmm. also anti-vaxxers, like outright anti-vaxxers. Um, he went on Joe Rogan's podcast for a lengthy interview. We both listened to all of it. The entire thing. So that yes. we could be educated on who this individual was, what exactly he was saying, what arguments he was making. He also then afterwards went on Infowars. Which, which Crystal listened to and I did not. Which yeah. I also listened to. Yeah. and. We'll get into a little bit more of the substance of what he's saying, et cetera. But it was interesting to me that clearly with Rogan, he knows Rogan is smart. He can be, you know, skeptical and inquisitive. He has a lot of. Hold on, I just have to say she went on. She he went on Infowars and was interviewed by an ex-mainstream media interview host out I think Ohio, who won awards for doing her her, her news segments, Christy Lee. So he was not interviewed by Alex Jones or Owen Schwerer. He was interviewed or interviewed by Christy Lee for an hour and a half. So just wanted to point, but she just says Infowars. So I just wanted to point, you know, there was, it's a little bit. Okay. Okay. This is is going to be a mess. No data to back it up. And so he, he brought like the sciencey version of himself mm-hmm. to Rogan on Infowars. He was full in like great reset, new world order, world economic forum. He really kind of let it all hang out there. So put that to the side and we'll get to more of that in a moment. The reason that a lot of people are now talking about this and paying attention is because YouTube took down all of the clips of the interview that Malone did with Rogan. This also, he did the interview, it was like a day after Twitter had banned his account. permanently. So Twitter and YouTube both censoring what Robert Malone is ultimately saying. Let's go ahead and throw the Daily Mail tear sheet up on the screen here. They say YouTube and Twitter delete Joe Rogan interview with scientists who helped invent mRNA vaccines. Dr. Robert Malone claimed U.S. is now like Nazi Germany with society hypnotized to believe in vaccines and extreme pandemic measures. Um, the quote that they're referring to there, which was part of, you know, part of what was very controversial about what he was saying on Rogan's podcast, as he said, 
quote, it was from basically European intellectual inquiry into what the heck happened in Germany in the 20s and 30s. Very intelligent, highly educated population, and they went barking mad. And how did that happen? The answer is mass formation psychosis. When you have a society that has become decoupled from each other and has free-floating anxiety in a sense that things don't make sense, we can't understand it. And then their attention gets focused by a leader or series of events on one small point, just like hypnosis. They literally become hypnotized and can be led anywhere. Okay, so that was part of Mm -hmm. what was so controversial about what he was saying. And the clips specifically, which were taken off. And yes. censored. Yeah. Yes, very true. So let me start with the part that, to, actually all of this to me is fairly straightforward, but we have a very clear stance on this show. Mm-hmm. The, I think, and I'm going to get into this more, I do think that this individual is irresponsible. I think he only focuses exclusively on the risks. I think he cherry picks his evidence with regards to what he wants to say about the vaccine. Does not focus at all on the benefits. In some areas, you know, he's very misleading in the claims that he makes, even <clears throat> as he's a very sophisticated person. But... Can you cite specific examples, uh, Crystal? I mean, you have a crystal ball, right? You're a crystal I'm ball. I'm just saying, a drug cartel literally concocted this experimental Man, gene been... therapy. But she's all good with it, because she's... Under emergency use authorization, we have over a million adverse reaction reports, just the VAERS, not the other uh, site. We have the, the Pfizer 90-day trial data that came out through FOIA requests. Yeah. Um, but he cherry-picks his evidence. So, you know, this is a man that's been cited over 12,000 times and helped to develop the technology. It's not being used. Okay. He shouldn't be censored. Obviously. And this whole direction. Right. We talked about this with Marjorie Taylor Greene yesterday. Do I like Marjorie Taylor Greene? No, I don't like Marjorie Taylor. I think she's been irresponsible with regard to coronavirus, too. Do I think that the appropriate response to that, an effective response to that even, is to censor and deplatform and ban, etc.? No. And in some instances, as we've covered, deplatforming does actually work to suppress certain people and right. minimize them. In this instance, though, and I think with Marjorie Taylor Greene, too, it's having the polar opposite effect. Like, if you didn't want people to hear what this dude said, congratulations. I wasn't going to listen to what he said, but now I want to listen to all, like, freaking four hours of yeah, his. Yeah, I mean, the dude that helped us design the technology that's now in your body, Crystal? I mean, come on. I think she's irresponsible, but I don't think she should be censored or deplatformed. I just think we should all just recognize that she says lots of irresponsible things on a regular basis, and she's not held to account. And uninformed. But why should he be censored? Right. Anyways, yeah. Interviews. You're making this guy into a star. It's the same thing with the way that they have this sort of like Ron DeSantis derangement syndrome and, and yeah. like you're making gone, him president. You yeah. are making this these people so because you're validating what is part of Malone's message. It's oh, this information is so dangerous to the establishment. They don't want you to hear it. They want to censor this. Mm-hmm. They won't allow this conversation. And then you go out and, and validate. Exactly what he is saying in terms of like, oh, they're just so afraid of this information being out there. In a healthy society, if you are confident in the views that you hold, and I am very confident in my view that for most people, the risks of getting the vaccine are much less than the benefits that you'll derive. And we'll put up some charts in a moment. If you're confident in that position, be confident enough to go and have the conversation, have the debate, put your viewpoint out there like Sanjay Gupta did yes. when he went on right. like with Joe Rogan. He's or very like, useful. Yes, yeah. or like I was thinking too about the type of conversations that Brianna Joy Gray has been having mm-hmm. on her podcast with people who are, you know, sometimes problematic or controversial where she's not afraid 
to engage with them and debate with them and expose where their views are silly sometimes or wrong. And that defangs it so much. You shouldn't be afraid of information. You shouldn't be afraid of having this debate. You shouldn't be afraid of things that are even wrong or misleading. If you're confident in your view, go out. But it might expose their data, Crystal, because Robert Malone has been sharing data nonstop on his Twitter feed since he got on Twitter and became sort of a, a rock star in the alternative community, so to speak, and more con conservative and libertarian style communities. Um, in fact, I would go to his Twitter feed quite often when I was looking for data, scientific data that he would cite in regards to you know, issues with either the vaccine or coronavirus in general, uh, SARS-CoV-2 and the disease it causes COVID-19. So it's just, um, and then we can have a debate about it. That's very true, but let's continue forward. And have the debate and tell them why they are wrong. I completely agree. And you know, I listened to both Peter McCullough and to Robert Malone, and I learned some things from some of them. I actually believe some of what they were saying was correct, which was that there absolutely was a campaign in the early days to shut down discussion of therapeutic and to move people towards vaccination. On the substance of vaccination itself, and this is actually gets to what also annoys me about uh, Dr. Peter McCullough and Dr. Robert Malone. Look, the data is pretty clear. Um, they like to talk about data. This one is clear as day. Let's put it up there. This is from Derek Thompson. I mean, look at this. We are talking about a risk of hospitalization across every single age group, which is dramatically reduced from vaccination. Now, so they bring up one chart from a guy named Derek Thompson or three different charts of collated data. And but Tony, he has a blue check mark, so just oh, take he's it. A, he's it's okay. I see. Not mentioning at all the the point that McCullough or Malone or Zelenko or so many of these other individuals have pointed out about data manipulation. Like we had what Norman Fenton on, statistician from the UK, talking about data the manipulation. Data from the drug cartel, and what about Tony? from Pfizer itself? We can debate about fares. What about Pfizer itself? But yep, this shows without a shadow of a doubt. You know, they can change the goalposts. You know. Depending on Look, if you're when, boosted, when you're not vaccinated anymore. Bribing, when they paid the fines for bribing those doctors and, and rigging those studies, that's past, Tony. That's the past. That's tens of millions, tens of billions of dollars in fines in the past. That's not the Pfizer of today. That's the blue big dick pill people back in the olden days. This is the new Pfizer. They're humanitarian. They love you. Well, I need to say this, though, because there is data like they are. This man's presenting data. Peter McCullough, especially Peter McCullough, and so does Robert Malone, but Peter McCullough cites it in every interview. Oh, he's like a, a machine of nothing but data and citations. There is contradictory data. There's not a consensus. So this is one exhibit or multiple exhibits that could be, um, you know, uh, presented to a court of law as basic evidence. They can present their own counter evidence to that. And they, we could have an argument around the evidence and the data collection and get into the studies themselves. And that's fine. I mean, at least we're arguing First from off, data and evidence. But they use one chart or a couple charts from one man and say that this, this counts the entire everything McCullough says, everything Malone says. OK. All sure. I can see on this tweet is it says um, the COVID hospitalization risk is more than 10 times higher for those without the gene therapy at every single stage level age level well the thing gene he, therapy is what he's talking about he's not no one in that no one in those graphs got vaccinated can we both agree on that are we going to be honest and he says right? here at every single age level but that can't be true for children i mean i just have contradictory data or data that contradicts this in the show card 
I can. I, mean, I guess I'm going to have to bring it up. Um, studies that were I think every about- episode of this show contradicts that tweet. But Sagar, for Sagar, that's his... Every like, single he, he, age group? That I mean, auto that's represents the ocean to him. First of all, there's not even enough data time, or time for children between the age of 5 to 12 to collect enough data to showcase that. And throughout the... Well, that's because past- only point zero 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 two seven percent of them are really uh, ad- adversely affected by it. So you have to wait 20 years most, for that number to build up. Yeah, there you go. And most of the ones being hospitalized or, or, or hospitalized or give them with boosters. COVID, not because of COVID. Give them the gene therapy and let you know nature take its course. This is a joke. Like the fact they use this one exhibit as evidence, and then poo-poo every single other thing. I'm not saying every. I'm, first of all, I'm not saying everything Peter McCullough or Robert Lone is saying is correct either. But you have to at least acknowledge some of the evidence they present. So they present this one one person presenting a positive spin on the vaccine, including an age group that they don't even have enough time to utilize. Okay, so my to- question. My question to Crystal and Sagar is this. You guys spent a combined 10 hours looking at those interviews. How many links did you click and how many research papers did you read? And I'm guessing less than five. And that's no, shame on you for calling yourself. I'm giving them a benefit any. of the doubt that they accidentally clicked five. I'm saying shame on you for acting like you're a journalist and not even doing the research that those guys were laying out at the risk of their careers. Well, and she talked about risk, she talked about risk benefit. Peter McCullough actually, you know, he's part of assess teams that have assessed risk benefit for various drugs. He talks about the various protocols they have in place for this. Malone and, works for DARPA and yeah, Department, Department of Defense, Defense still. Yeah, I know. Right? So I'm not saying like he's like some shining element of freedom, know. but there's a guy from inside the establishment who knows it's corrupt and he knows enough to say it the right way. Correct. Yeah, we have, but then there's the data. Like, let's just think about the VAERS data alone. So we talk about risk benefit. That's pretty still open. So yeah, you you know you have a ten times higher level for being being hospitalized. You're in vax according to these charts. In a country uh, that denies you early treatment, of course. That no shit. No, but then when we look at like Uttar Pradesh, we look at Japan, which had issues with the Moderna contract because of quality control and manufacturing issues and metals and contamination. So they utilized their health czar, their health uh, minister came out and said, we know ivermectin works is safe and effective. Their caseloads have completely dropped. Now, I'm not saying it's only because of that, but they've utilized a different type of treatment that the NIH. It's completely different from what the NIH is uh, utilizing and employing in America. And that's remdesivir and intubation, basically. That's the NIH protocol, for the most part. It's a little bit more complex than that, but it's basically what it is. Japan and other countries have not fully... They use other... <coughs> there are other protocols they have established and are utilizing that are much different. And that's my point. And, uh, and it seems to be effective, meaning that they're having great effect with a very different protocol than what the NIH protocol is, which is basically get home, go really... Stay home, be real, get really, really sick, come in, we'll give you remdesivir, and then uh, intubation, for the most part. I mean, this is just criminal. Uh, anyways, all right, let, let them play because they got more stupid. That stuff to say is a this. fact. But look, oh, it is true that there does seem to be a deep discomfort of people to acknowledge some basic facts, which is that from the beginning, yes, we were sold a message that COVID vaccines would prevent you from getting COVID for a variety of reasons around uh, breakthrough, Delta, Omicron and all that. That seems to be the effect of that has been reduced very much over time, certainly not with what the expectation was there. However, the hospitalization and death one is certainly there. In terms of the adverse effects, simply right now in the data, there is hospitalization no- Hospitalization and death, that runs contrary to the UK, Israel, 
Um, there's a couple other countries. Obviously, we have the situation. Almost Gibraltar, as if the policies Gibraltar. kill people. Yeah, right. You know, in state in states and countries that have had much higher vaccination rate, Gibraltar at 116 percent, they had the highest caseload and hospitalization and death they ever had. So hmm, that's strange. You know, over a million adverse reactions to the vaccine. Again, we're talking about risk benefit. OK, um, all, all to reduce. The, so we're reducing the 10 times less risk of being hospitalized, supposedly for a disease that you already weren't already depending on for the, the, the Cold Spring Harbor. Uh, study that doc or not Malone, but Dell Big Tree referenced and it showcased the death rates uh, and survival rates. Most people, it's like ninety nine point seven percent for most age groups. This guy, I have it on my my desktop. I'm not going to bring it up right now. We showed it earlier. Most people aren't dying from it to begin with. So you're already starting with an extremely small population sample. Anyways, this is just this is like this is frustrating. I think the difference Reliable is we are continually to- questioning. We're continually questioning ourselves to see if we're being accurate. It's just like if you're on a map and you're using a compass, you're continually checking your location to see if this you're in the right place, you're acclimated, you're you're oriented to the situation. I think there's a lot of assumptions going on with the dude in the purple sh- purple suit there. Yeah, with both of them, and you know, it's you know, this is frustrating to me because I just caught COVID from my double vaccinated parents, um, and my dad got it pretty fucking bad. And he's double vaccinated. Uh, and I, they called on me for early treatment because they didn't know what to do. They didn't know what the fuck to do. And so I come in with ivermectin and nutraceuticals and, and uh, vitamins and minerals and a whole host of concoctions. And we're able to treat them very effectively, including myself. Um, and, you know, we could argue left, right and center. But, I, you know, it, it was to Monica's point, it was unlike anything I'd ever experienced in the form of a, a flu. And uh, and much like what she said. And so but yet we both Monica and myself and many, many others who are unvaccinated found a way to deal with it. Now have natural antibodies for it and can move on with life. This is just you can you can utilize reason and juxtapose various types of evidence and date and various types of data to try to draw inferences and conclusions and judgments about, you know, the, the disparate forms of data that exist. And that's to McDonald's point earlier. It's like one of the issues is there's so much contradictory data. You can find seemingly legitimate studies to prove your point in almost any direction. I actually had a friend that practices in the hard sciences say this. You can find almost in any phenomena studies that can prove your point. Um, so you have to any, you have to be able to dig into the data. You have to be able to dig into the studies. I want to dig into what they just right. represent. Rep- is what they is put there on any evidence case. that contradicts Gain of function, Wuhan, Fauci, Barrick, and Dazak. Is there an opposing side to that that I missed? Well, interesting. So, yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry. Like, is someone arguing that those experiments didn't take place? Oh, wait. Fauci does, right? So, things that we have evidence of that took place and people argue they didn't, that's called gaslighting. That's the way you discern the contradictions. One mm-hmm. of them actually exists. The other one does not. Correct. Correct. Yep. I mean, you have to flush out the data and find where the contradictions reside and then make a, a judgment, a discernment, a judgment, uh, which is an art of logic. There is a certain artistic quality to logic. It's, it's where freedom comes from. Yeah, if you can't evolution. discern your way to a conclusion or judgment that matches reality, you are a slave Correct. in that given situation. So, I mean, it's... 
and you know Malone has brought up this point many times too. The data manipulation is just uh, over the top. But um, again, we can ju- we talked about relative versus absolute risk reduction, how they play game. Pfizer did this in their own uh, analysis of their trials, and then they stopped the double blind trial. I mean, so it's just if you if you're going to ignore also Pfizer's own documents on the first 90 days, the 1,200 dead, but then the half, the population of the 40,000 or so individuals that are part of that trial, half of them developed severe adverse reactions. We're not talking about pain at the injection site and a little bit of a headache or cold-like symptoms. We're talking about uh, neurological conditions. We're talking about um, convulsions, sort of, you know, thrombotic. thrombotic. Yeah, yeah Guillain-Barre, sure, yeah. And these people advertise it as being 97% effective when it was nothing of the sort, as we've shown right. in past episodes. Yeah, so there's correct. a track record of known liars lying and bigger and bigger and getting away with it. And then have, guys like this, he runs, he's throwing shade for them. His ignorance, nescience, whatever you want to call it, is throwing shade for the people waging World War Three right now. And it's interesting. I really would uh, implore people to go check out Brett Weinstein just did an interview with two individuals about vitamin D. And one of them is a physicist that was talking about, like, I had to learn... You know, he's he talks about exponential growth cycles and reading data and being a statistician as well. And he digs into how much the studies have been manipulated just with vitamin D and how important vitamin D is and like all processes in the body. And he's you know, I thought it was interesting to go because he got really into the data, the studies and talked about how easy it is to manipulate this stuff. There's so many people talk about this. Um, And yet he throws on one graph from one dude that has a blue check mark next to him saying he's okay on Twitter. We're good to go here. You know, I'd like to get into that data because I've seen so much contradictory data at this point, and most of it can be pretty easily explained away once you actually get into how the studies were conducted. A lot of them, it's the studies have nothing to do with what the people are trying to claim they do, and that's usually. I mean, at the, the end of the day, I'm okay if that data is valid; it's valid, mm-hmm. but that's it doesn't correct. mean that you can mandate that I have to take a gene therapy against too. my will and without informed consent when you guys have been lying and killing people the whole way here. So, that's absolutely true. Not believing you. That's absolutely the data could be absolutely correct in some capacity. We have to check that out. But at the same time, that still doesn't because of the issue of transmissibility, well, more than just the issue of transmissibility, but that alone dictates that it doesn't give you the right to mandate an experimental therapy that we have no long term data on whatsoever. Right. We just jump to the end of it. I'm not your right. slave and you don't own me. So we're, you know. Yeah, so that's the Freedom. issue. That's the issue. I don't care that people want to get it. I've made this Dude. point actually, and I've actually gotten in some disagreements on the town hall. I don't. I prefer this type of uh, this this type of technology not be used under emergency use authorization. Is completely vetted and not coerced on a public the way it has been coerced. However, if people want to have people have the right to choose to engage the uh, new biomedical technology. That's not my right to go force them and say you shouldn't take it. That's up to you. Like as far as I'm concerned, the market market forces you have the right to bring a new technology to to uh, to the market and and market it and you know try to sell it if it's safe and effective. If there are true market forces around this, I think it would be pretty obvious that consumers would uh, showcase the ineffectiveness and the serious safety issues associated with it. But people have the right to make that choice. It's when a government agency or when private corporations no different than them sterilizing people under eugenics in the past. Cause basically what they're saying is we will mutate and change your body and your family tree to our design, whether or not you consent. And that's what's wrong about it. Yeah. If private companies are going to lobby the government in order to take away my individual choice and my ability to participate in society 
on a product that's completely new, on a technology, I should say, that's completely new, that we have no long-term data on, and doesn't stop transmissibility. Doesn't talk, I, got, I got COVID from my double vaccinated parents while they're sitting there coughing up and, and, and sneezing and you know, wheezing up a storm in wherever where they were living at the time. I mean, just, uh, just uh, anyways, let's, let's continue forward. No, the VAR system often is reported by healthcare workers and others. Some say it could be uh, underreported as much as 1%. Some people say that it's not reliable. I have no idea. It's not my job from the FDA. The number one thing that I actually take away. Harvard Pilgrim study, Harvard program, and also Columbia just did a study saying it's underreported by at least a factor of 20, meaning that data puts the COVID. Yeah, he's calendar. right. It's not his job. No, well, but he's a reporter. He's, that right. he's a fucking reporter. Okay. Away from this, Crystal, is that pharma is such a cancer upon our healthcare system that from now to the future, we have to abolish so much of their control because it actually makes it so that people have legitimate reason to be suspect. Another thing I did not know until listening to Dr. Peter McCullough and Robert Malone, and also I'm blanking on his name, the guy who did the sickening episode um, around big pharma. John Abramson. John Abramson, which was that, once again, I had no idea, was that Whenever it comes to the actual data that is turned over for peer-reviewed journals, that data is actually owned by Big Pharma, who conduct the trials themselves, and that the quality control over the actual raw data itself is not turned out, is not turned over, which means that they can try and screw with data in different ways, that they've been caught doing so in- He's proving their point, <laughs> like what the fuck? I give Sager at least a little credit. I mean, he's all- He doesn't even almost, realize it either. I mean, I, yeah, it. I see what you're seeing. Oh I see it God. clearly. <laughs> court cases, for example, like Vioxx. That is something which is dramatically reducing public trust in all of this. So to me, my main takeaway is it is very clear that the vaccine works. It is very clear also that discomfort, uncomfortable conversations are being dramatically censored off of YouTube, Twitter, and more, which is fueling a lot of people's conspiracy. And third, which is that the core of it to me is that the pharma control over the data and more has to end. It, it, it just has to yeah. in order to restore any confidence well, in our health. I mean, listen, future. if you Could he define I the agree the yeah. with the problem, he said the vaccine works. First off, so the gene therapy works is his claim. How do you define works? Does it? Stop transmission to stop death. What does it stop? What is it? What is work? I'll give him the benefit of, of the doubt. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. He's mentioned this a couple of times on various segments where he says it stops hospitalization, essentially the worst outcomes from COVID nineteen: hospitalization, intubation, and death. That's what he claims. When they were purposely work. killing people to up the numbers in the beginning, that's not going on now because of the vaccine. And Walensky just Those mentioned that they're, get, they're getting ready, as Luke Radowski at the very beginning of the show mentioned that Walensky's they're getting ready to change the numbers from uh, yeah. I guess because because there's now they're going to talk about dying with COVID instead of from COVID and all this sort of nonsense. So if if it's roughly according to this new Columbia study about the various system, 178 to 200,000 people have died as a direct result of the vaccine using the various data, which I know is not the best, but it's it's something to go on and mostly healthcare practitioners put it in. It requires an enormous amount of time and effort and personal data has to go into a lot of it. It's it's not just you go on there and make a report. It's a lot more intricate than that. And there's a criminal penalty if you fake a report. That's correct. So it's underreported. We can That's, be sure of that. We can be sure of that. That's for sure. So if and if we look at the 800,000 or so dead in America, supposedly, um, cut out at least 200, maybe 400,000, half of that just due to dying with instead of from COVID, then you're looking at, you know, half the population 
has essentially died from a direct result of the vaccine, potentially. Yeah. Compared to who died from a, a result of COVID. And that's not utilizing any sort of early treatment. Completely denying the access to early treatment because Orange Man Bad said hydroxychloroquine. And then because no, the, the, the vaccine Johnson, works, Pfizer doubled its profits last year without doing anything substantial. <laughs> my favorite is how they did the relative versus absolute risk. You know, it's yeah, that's that. that they cooked the books, which right. is what they got caught for in the past. But they had enough money to basically bribe the government and government said, OK, yeah. let's play. Problems of pharma, obviously, and yeah. the problems of profit within our medical system writ large, um, which has led to, for us in the U.S., some of the worst health outcomes in the developed world, the worst health ca- outcomes at the highest cost. Yeah. You are being price gouged to be kept Stolen, sick. Really? Yeah. And- so let me get this straight. They pay hospitals. They tell you to go home, get super sick. Then they pay hospitals somewhere about thirty to $40,000 when you get intubation and if they die with COVID-19 after being intubated, something like that, right? They're incentivizing hospitals while they couldn't do their outpatient treatments and that outpatient sort of surgery where they make a lot of their money too. It's like, well, we'll pay you so far as if you know, you, you follow this NIH protocol and we'll pay you for each hospitalization and death. Like, well, really? the other thing they had to do here that he's not factoring in is the hospitals can be full because they fired most of the people who had natural immunity and survived as frontline workers through the first two years. So, yeah, they're a little short staffed and don't have rooms right now. You're going to have to wait in the hall for the next day. And most of the ones I mean, Crowder has done major exposés of this. Um, and, uh, you know, my mom being a nurse actually was able to corroborate this as well as who's Crowder's psych, uh, Gerald A. Gerald A. Is that his name? Yeah. He, his, his wife is a nurse. And she made mention that it's very commonplace in hospital settings to utilize other wards when there's, you know, a spillover of ICU patients or other patients from other. It's not it's very it's commonplace. My mom corroborated that as well. It's it's commonplace in hospitals to do that. Most of the ones had nothing to do with covid. My, My mom at one point said that our ICU is full, but it's mostly, unfortunately, accidents, fires, car accidents, you know. This, the vicissitudes and chaos of life itself. It had nothing to do with COVID-19. Right. It was less than 20% in this case. And this was back, I want to say it was in the summer of 2021 um, and when she told me this. And, you know, she's worked at the same hospital now for 30 years. But it's anyways, it's just... And these are all anecdotes. All right, let's, let's see if we can get, get these people... With, to, you know, chronic yeah. conditions. Like, there. that is what our system incentivizes. They make the most money when you are chronically ill and so guess what we have a population that at disproportionate levels is chronically ill those problems very real problems of profit incentive corrupting the entire pharmaceutical industry and the entire healthcare industry oh, i don't mean to keep pausing it but it's like they're making the dude, point she's a mental gymnast i mean what is i just going saw gymnastics right now, going dude. on oh i'm i'm this is hard to follow because they're they're making her point they're like actually they're bad, so we should trust them, right? They're criminals, but we should trust them. What they're doing is working, but they're, it doesn't make any sense. They're creating chronic, chronic conditions and making profit off of that, off the therapeutics that then after they create the, the chronic conditions, they then offer the therapeutic or the solution. Problem, reaction, solution. I mean, come on, man. I mean, geez. You know what they remind me of? They remind me of people who are like being held hostage but you can't see the gunmen so they're acting normal but every like they're just trying to like tell you in between lines like this doesn't fucking make any sense but 
we are held captive here and we have to kind of say this. I don't know what their situation is, but they're not speaking like free conscious people who do their own research to a greater no. extent. But I will give them this. Um, I do enjoy many of their segments, especially outside of the coronavirus narrative. Yes, and they're, they, they are talented. Like, I, like they are talented. They are well instances. Yeah, like I enjoy their work. And, you know, though we're excoriating better them than now, most, better than you most. guys are better than Ryan Grimm. That's for sure. <laughs> I agree. You know? Yeah, yeah <laughs> that's, that's that's true. I do enjoy Kim Iverson. I thought that they brought on Kim Iverson because out there it. there's a sad Ryan Grimm watching his live stream right now. And he's like, I'm oh, not going to watch Grand Theft World anymore. <laughs> Damn, savage. We are kind of savage right now. I'm a little bit p- pissed off at this. I'm sorry, Ryan. Right. I'm sorry. He's not, you know, it's, you know, just keep working. You know, we can get better. They can get better. But keep Robbie Suave's <laughs> mic off while Kim's talking. Seriously. Yeah, I mean, they, they think we have issues when it comes to me trying to host this show clunkily tonight. We got by. I mean, my God, even a show with all the resources that something like The Hill has. Hold on, Crystal's about to tell us the meaning of life. Hold on, mm. go ahead. Also a hotbed for conspiracy theories mm. and mistrust. So that is a big part. And if you agree with that, and I think that most of our audience does, you should be pushing for some sort of single-payer healthcare, some way to get the profit motive out of the center of our healthcare system. That's also part of my frustration with people like, did you ever hear the Flexner report before Rockefeller Medicine took hold? Abraham Flexner and Simon Flexner, you might want to check them out. Know about anything? They're from a hundred years ago. Literally, they're from a hundred years ago. You might want to check them. Out. I, when people try to bring up the socialized medical healthcare idea, I'm like, okay. Take stolen, take stolen money from Tony and give it to someone else. That's a good idea. Then, well, that'll remove the profit margin. Yeah, because we can see that's working so effectively when you have a top-down it system like Australia or Germany or Austria, right? incentivizes the government to kill you like this guy he wants to sow all this you know upset about what's going on in our system I mean, this guy the guy who invented invent <laughs> like was part of the team that invented the technology that is in your body um, Dude, but they never go that next extra, extra guy, step of saying like here's why we need to reform her memory <laughs> That still is court is still a contractor for the Department of Defense. I mean, he's kooky, man. He's, he's kooky. kooky. He's giving. Well, he's a. He uses big words. <laughs> big words. And so his lexicon is a little bit too sophisticated. Our healthcare system and X and Y and Z way, um, in particular, with something like Medicare for all or some t- sort there of system that brings us closer to where the rest of the developed mm-hmm. world ultimately is. But, you know, I want to bring this back to the substance of what he's saying, because I, I think this is really important. And again, I think that Dr. Malone is one of the more sophisticated actors mm-hmm. in this zone of, you know, a lot of people really resist the sort of anti-vax label. But when the bulk of your argument, when 90 percent of your argument is about why the vaccine is dangerous and that's all that you focus on, I really don't care if you yourself are personally vaccinated. He says he is, but he also says he regrets getting it. The substance of the arguments that you're making. Yeah, you are leading people to. I've never once seen to the point of one many commenters, actually, Crystal and Sagar ever present any negative effects in regards to the vaccine. So two, two quo K or two quo Q, uh, you too. It's, two an, it's an ad hominem fallacy. Q U O Q U E. Q O Q U E. Coke or Q 
Coke or something like Coke. that. Coke? Yeah. Coke. But it's, it's, not, it's an ad hominem fallacy. This means you're attacking yeah. the person, uh, but then you, you're engaging in the same thing that you're attacking the person on behalf of. So be way more skeptical of the vaccine than they should be. He says in the Rogan podcast, he says, I believe in informed consent. That means people knowing about both the cost and the risks, mm -hmm. but also the benefits. But he only talks about her. the risks. Yes. And well, you so know why, Crystal? Hold on. Hold on. Wait, wait. It's coming to me. I might know the answer to that. I'm drawing from Dr. Robert Malone's consciousness the answer right now. Uh, could it be that everybody else for the past two years has only told you the other side, Crystal, and then when he gets three hours of airtime, he decided to tell you the, the other side of the story? Could that be why he was so unbalanced in his conversation, answering questions from the guy who asked them? Oh, my goodness. Her, her specifications for credibility for Robert Malone are here, but for everywhere else, they're here. And that's hilarious right. to see her doing these gymnastics on screen like that. Can I see more? Is there more minutes of this? Yeah, there's more. It's too too long yet. Um, there's it, more. And it, it's interesting because the original we think about Robert Malone made a splash on Brett Weinstein's Dark Horse podcast. It was with Steve Kirsch, another doctor. I think he's uh, I forget what type of doctor he is. He's an epidemiologist or something. I forget exactly his specialty. But nonetheless, and they both just asked the question like, look, there's no long term data on this. And it's under emergency use authorization. They spoke with diffidence and parhesia and they question they, they talked about why we aren't talking about the potential negative side effects. There is no informed consent. People are not. People have been touted lies in regards to the benefit because versus said it was 95% effective. Now they're saying you have to get a booster, maybe a fourth shot, maybe a fifth shot. So people are questioning the narrative because what the, to McDonald's point, hey, like if what did they say didn't pan out, then you can be pretty sure they're lying to you and you can't use that as a form of evidence and a way to ascertain or judge truth. Whether or not it let actually me, corresponds let me just take to reality. What, like let me take what I heard and parallel it, okay? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Someone just told you the story of um, Eichmann and Amspraka and uh, turning the wheels of government to grind people into death. And she stands up in the room and says, but I didn't hear you talk about all the good things Eichmann did. Okay. <laughs> all right. The guy's there telling you from his expert position what he's seen. It's an interview. <laughs> and you're and she's like, why didn't you carry Pfizer's dick in that interview and, uh, you know, help to, uh, you know, to, to, you know, to spread it's, it's it's seminal ideas all over the place. And uh, it wasn't his job there. And those weren't the questions asked. And I'm surprised that you would say all those things just as much as I'm surprised I had to just comment on you saying those things. So yep. we're both surprised. <clears throat> Yay, irony. Skeletor, I thought, I'll look him up. I thought he was, he had some um, connection, Steve Kirsch, into the medical field. All right, let's see not. if we can get through this clip. He, yeah. Now, yeah. listen, what I've heard other people say, and I don't know if he would make this argument or not, is like, yeah, but everybody else is talking about the benefits. So let them talk about, I'm just going to focus on this part because it's being under talked about. It's not being discussed enough. But the problem is when people really trust you, and there are a lot of people who really trust this guy and are really looking for his guidance and believe, especially because he did have a hand in development of mRNA technology, that this is a you know someone who is incredibly credible and they're gonna you know really take his word for what they should do with their body. If you are only yourself presenting the part on the risks, 
then a lot of people aren't going to believe the other part of the benefits even exists. So it's incumbent on you when you're in a position. All they've heard is the benefits, though. I mean, this is like. Has she, has she ever heard of Tony Fauci? She, she might want to get to know his work supporting the benefits and not telling you the downside. So at worst, Malone is right there with Fauci. Right. So they both yeah. have to be considered then and we can weigh the evidence. Yeah, that's my point. They're both presenting evidence. Well, Fauci but one really censored, isn't. Tony. But one censored. shouldn't they censor then maybe the Fauchster? I just want to you, you are correct. Skeletor. He is a Silicon Valley philanthropist. So he was the one this man was. I think he does sort of risk assessment or runs some sort of software. I forget his. I have to go back and look at the original Dark Horse podcast. But this is Steve Kirsch is the one on with Dr. Robert Malone with Brett Weinstein talking about issues in regards to vaccine safety, lack of data, long-term data in regards to vaccine safety. The fact I have that one, were I just have a small Pfizer or Moderna Sorry, issue. Can I bring it to the table? Yeah. yeah. I just have one issue with the vaccine. <clears throat> it's a gene therapy. Dare to it's argue vaccine, with me on that yeah. point. Yeah. Dare to argue with me on that point. I dare you. I'll well, put money on the table. Here's a hundred bucks. Pick it up. You think you're right. Let's play. Yeah. And more people need to act like that. I think. Because the facts are on the side of the people who actually take the time to review the facts and make sense of this situation that's not supposed to be made sense of. But you can because you can follow the criminal nature of this multi-generational cartel that's running things right now. Correct. <clears throat> Pretty playbook by their standards. We don't have to talk about the, what we went over this a couple of weeks ago with the $1.3 billion paid out or something. Some obnoxious amount of money. It was like $10 billion. Well, well, this was, but this was over, time. I think, the course, just a couple of years. It was on some website we, we were researching where they outlined all the different various lawsuits and the amount paid out over the course of like a year. Maybe it was year long segments or something like that. I have to go back and look at it. We have it on the show a couple weeks ago, so people can go back and check out this earlier shows. Um and also, Kim Iverson did a great report and expose, not this Kim, there's so many different individuals that have done great reports and exposes of big pharma and having to pay out hundreds of millions, adding up the billions of dollars in lawsuits for criminal and civil cases because of negligence or off-label marketing. And, you know, they help uh, to exacerbate the, the opiate crisis now that is plaguing middle America and the Midwest. I mean, it's just... Don't even get me started. And they point this out. These individuals here point this out. Sager and Crystal, yet Robert Lone, bad guy, because he talked about some of the negative effects this year with gene therapy. ...like him, where you have a lot of people who trust you and are looking to you for guidance to present yourself the complete picture of the risks, yes, which, frankly, as far as we know, are relatively minimal, and the benefits, which are very, very clear at this point in the pandemic we do they aren't clear that's the thing like they're and not the risks very, aren't minimal but she's she's they're cherry picking evidence her herself knowledge. right, right. Just, they're just minimal not in existence they're not minimal in reality they're just minimal in her knowledge oh of such my things god like you they cherry it? pick a little bit of evidence and they say it's very clear just like but as Tony, you could, they you could say the same thing about us. This endless and how ad would we defend that charge? Q attack they're doing. This is ridiculous. Like this is. We would defend the charge of we question ourselves all the time and we're fine so with being wrong ignorant. and we own up to it and we move on. And that's the difference between this side and the other side. And this isn't a political thing. Hey, I wish this is the vaccine worked and it was fine. It was safe conscious and, and connected to reality in a real way. And other people with the little spinning circles going in their eyes like that that graphic we saw earlier i thought that was good representation like that's what it looks like 
They just got those spinning Rich, like, whirlies. Help explain this to me. If the vaccine's so safe and effective, let's just talk about the effectiveness. Why do I need a booster? It's so safe and effective. Why, why, they do, had people, to why do people need definition boosters? of vaccine? Yeah, right. Why do people need boosters? Why do they need three, four, five different boosters? I'm just Seven curious. Right I mean, it, because I it, it goes down so much. Why are so many other countries so contradictory data in regards to hospitalization and death and and vaccinate and vaccinated groups, including some Antibody states in America? Antibody-dependent enhancement, anybody? <laughs> Sounds like a dessert. Sounds like something good, right? You need that enhancement. It says enhancement in it, right? That's aid. You know, aid. You can you can do a little bit of play on words with that. Some, you know, a chemical pathogen producing gene therapy is so clunky to say. Let's just call it vaccine, and people will take it. Said devious people, (laughs) and they got away with it. Yeah, Crystal's here carrying water for him. Here, yeah, she's a water carrier. Once you get this done, sorry data from enough places, not just here in the U.S. where our healthcare system is completely screwed up, but at other countries around the world. we should trust them. Our healthcare system is completely screwed up, but we should trust them and they're doing a great job and it's working. How are we even going to get through this? We still have another fucking five minutes. It's like if you're a cop and you showed up at the door and you asked if everything's okay, but then they said, no, it's not. And you're like, what's what's going on here? (laughs) There's contradictory You guys have a cat? Yes, we do. No, we don't. I'm like, "Mm, okay. All right, keep going. I'm trying to make it through this clip. I'm just saying there's so much like they're they're cherry picking evidence as badly as the claim they're making that Robert Malone is doing. And that's what I'm trying real, real hard, Ringo. There's so much evidence both ways that we should be sitting down and having debates around the evidence. That's what we should be doing instead of cherry picking the evidence and saying, yo, it's clear. There's no real risk associated. with No, Tony, they. They do have debates. Just one half of the table's empty because they forgot to let those people know that there was a debate and they were censored and deplatformed so they couldn't come anyway. And they didn't have a COVID passport so they couldn't come anyway. This is clearly like, so they got a hundred reasons why it can't happen now. They 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 took that tennis guy. Where is he from? Yeah, no, I don't know. Right, and they're like, "Hey, come to Australia, make us a bunch of money." And then that's like, a crazy you. story. Sit in a prison camp for Christmas. You're an example to everybody else on the planet. That's right a now. crazy story. They he fucking went Ezra pounded him. Yes. Yeah. They 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 let him go through the proper channels in order to get the the um the approval. He was a political prisoner. Yeah. That's Literally. what that's called. He's from Serbia. Yeah. In our He's apartheid society, Catholic. we got political prisoners. Yay, we're like South African now in the 70s. Woo! <laughs> awesome job, guys. Oh, you guys are fucking winning team now. Woo, good job. I had a whole, I had a whole segment on that, including a whole segment <laughs> on the soccer. Over 101 soccer players more died this week. You know, healthy. It's a new game, Tony. They redefined soccer as a game played on a, on your back on the field, and it's all good now. I just can't even. And now the the standing players. It's like that Radiohead video. <laughs> Is it the one uh, you do it to yourself, where the guy's laying down and everyone's like, "What's wrong?" He's like, "Don't make me tell you," and then he tells you. And then everyone at the end's laying down. <laughs> I forget what the name of the song is, but I'm talking about. I haven't seen it. You find it play it out. Yeah. And then everyone's laying. I'm spoiling it. It's a great video. They have a lot of good videos. They also might be an MI6 project. I don't know. But at that particular one, the guy had like a mental virus. And he was trying not to communicate with the other people. And when he did, they all got the same thing. And that's kind of how the, the video ended. Yeah, it's a little monarch. Style, 20 style years programming, ago. Programming, little I saw. shit going on. Very loosely. Connected. Just a little bit. Just a little bit that they got going on out there. All so, right. So good. 
Did we get to the end? No, there's still, still five Jesus minutes Christ. left. I mean, we're just going to have to let We them. can do it. We can do it, man. I got the eye of the tiger. Oh, and the findings are remarkably consistent. If Mark you really are vaccinated, you receive significant protection. Your risk of being hospitalized at every day. That's why you need endless boosters, because you're significantly protected. Demographic, no matter who you are, no matter where you are, no matter what country you're in, are about 10 times less of being hospitalized. Citing one series of data if you are vaccinated. So ultimately, listen, if you listen to the podcast, it's three hours long. It's com There's a lot of information there. It can feel like, oh, I'm getting overwhelmed with all of this data information. You clearly got overwhelmed there, Crystal, because you haven't been able to process it correctly. Stories in this point? country, in that country, and whatever. It's ultimately very simple if you look at those charts that we put up yeah, on the screen right. from Derek Thompson. The vaccines Dude, provide a lot. You don't even have to think about it. I Dude, love it. They, they, I love she, that they're she picking one us. type, like a series of data. She's picking one type of data set that's available. And okay, so we're going to have to guess, dive the into The day I try to set. make my point, any point with one piece of data is the day I can retire. That's like a total fail. Uh, the for fact me. she believes they're consistent. She's like, well, I got one piece of data. This is the decision making piece of decision data right here. This is the puzzle piece right here. The, All right. The fact Go that, with Derek yeah. Thompson's charts there. Good luck with that. I just call I just me in 20 years. It's just funny because of the consensus. She, she seems to believe there's a consensus around that. Most of that data is sponsored. So and the data the that consensus. she's referring to, she would be it's the same the data that side, Pfizer huh? and Moderna pump out in their trials. And it's the same stuff that's collated by the CDC and World Health Organization to show effectiveness. And we've already gone into ad nauseum the ways in which that data can be very, very, very easily manipulated and how we already know the Pfizer trial was manipulated. Clearly. Oh my God, but she's, benefit. But, but they have the evidence apparently. And Robert Malone and Peter McCullough, who's just an evidence machine, despite study after study, none of that counts. Only against severe yeah. hospitalization and death. That is the most important piece of data. So don't get sort of snowed by all of the things that are thrown at you in those three hours. That's the most critical piece of information to understand. I agree. And I, this also comes down to, I think Rogan himself is disgusted. And I'm, he has the biggest platform, so he's the, probably the person who can make it happen. I do think somebody should sit, somebody like Sanjay Gupta, somebody like uh, the destroyed. TV, uh, Peter Hotez, or, you know, any of these virologists. Yeah, don't be afraid of this guy. They don't shouldn't be afraid. Him. Go and talk with him, please. I am. They're afraid because they know the data has They'll been be heavily crushed, manipulated. Dude. And they know yeah. that if they flesh out the data, what happens if these individuals like Hotez Malone and McCullough or versus Hotez and whoever and Hotez Gupta wants to bring? Shit. Yeah. And it's 100 to 1 on the, the side. But, of but think Malone about it, Rich. Think about it. Think about this. They got nothing. If they flesh out the data, if they get into the studies and how they're conducted themselves and they find that there's anomalies in the ways in which they either manipulated the statistics and uh, of the studies themselves, or there's issues with the population sample size they utilized and all these other issues, that's going to really hurt the narrative that they have been perpetuating for the past, what, now a year plus since the vaccine program rule on has begun? That Does would really, hurt? so they're, they're never going to do that. They can't. They, they, it would be too detrimental to what they've been trying to do. They, they cannot have people go into the granular details of the data itself. They definitely can't have people questioning Peter Daszak either under oath Begging. in front of a congressional committee they definitely can't have that <laughs> no. go ahead let her finish <laughs>
I feel like I need to you in order to right see exactly this. You know, the balance. Somebody put that chart up and be like, hey, what do you make of this yeah, then? This right. I mean, it. this is the lack of discussion. And it also the selective coverage, I think, on the media as well is very is very bad. And because you lead to people thinking like, oh, well, nobody, you know, I saw CNN yesterday saying new study shows, you know, if you're obese, you're more likely to be from COVID. I'm like, new? Like, you've known this since April of 2020. Whenever oh, things yeah. get ignored in order to, you know, propagate a single solution, and then the people who are distrustful of that solution see that, it, you know, be, those things being ignored, it makes them feel correctly as if all the facts are not being presented to people. I also believe in informed consent. I wish that that doctor and Peter McCullough also would provide people with, you know, these charts and prevent picture. a balanced picture of what's happening. I accept the argument. Peter McCullough has. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. I got a question. Wait, 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 wait. Uh, McCullough and Malone, have they made any mandates or recommendations uh, from the federal perspective to control people's lives for the past two years? Because these other guys did. Okay. So these guys, these doctors over here, Malone and McCullough, they said some words and people were a little upset. These other people took away people's livelihoods, lives, their policies killed people provably. They haven't been held to account for it. Right. So if you're going to hold these guys to that level of scrutiny, you got to do the same thing over here, Sagar. Right. With Fauci and uh, all the other people associated in that coterie. Francis Collins, all the other people who lied to you about masks and lied to you about mandates and lockdowns, you got to hold them to account too. Because you know what? Malone and McCullough are pointing out all these violations of the Nuremberg Code done by these guys over here. So maybe look in the direction of the criminals and not the people with unassailable ethics and morals. They might be wrong or incorrect, but they're not evil and they're not dishonest. And that's the difference between them and Collins and Fauci and Barrick and Dazak and everybody else on that side. 100% agree. Everything you said there is absolutely true. But I also just have to state, like, the claim that they're making here. Let me put myself on video real quick. It's just funny because last week we had a decision to make about the intermission. And we weren't sure which one we were going to show. So we, we played the, mm. the, the various clips from Malone and Christy Lee interview and Malone and Joe Rogan interview and then the Academy of Ideas, right? What's interesting is if we were to go back and change the play, play, yeah, play yeah, sort of do a reiteration if uh, last week's episode and play the McCullough clip as the intermission. The McCullough mm -hmm. clip gets into the nitty gritty details about the Omicron variant. But he, interestingly enough, he does talk about some mild benefits citing the CDC's own data or Pfizer's data or other data that's available in regards to some perceived benefit from the vaccine. So much so that he then that people in the comment section for the Infowars Bandot video were calling him out, being like, how could you cite any positive thing? He's like, well, that's just what the data says. So he's going on data and say now he then goes on to say that no one ever should consider taking this vaccine because the, the risk benefit ratio is not. And then he presents evidence and so to show that, look, it's it's an experimental gene therapy. The, the perceived benefit does not last long and the risk it can do is severe. And we have enough data from so many different sources, from so many different reporting sources, including Pfizer's on trial data that says otherwise. And he cites then that Columbia study, not talking about Harvard, their Harvard Pilgrim study, but the Columbia study about the VAR system. And then he, he, he juxtaposes that to a number of reporting systems around the world. The same thing that Malone and McCullough are sharing data all the time. The reason that McCullough this. would say that is because it's factual, it's actual. 
he wouldn't see a benefit from not saying that. And he's, he's an he's honest person. That's what honest people do. You got right? it. You have um like uh people on the spectrum, uh autism, they ha- take everything very literal in some cases, mm-hmm. right? Correct. And they can't lie. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Absolutely. Yeah. McCullough is like close to that part of the spectrum, but his social skills are all integrated and he speaks fluidly, but his data capacity is pretty near rain. Man, IQ, in yeah, my opinion, IQ, and I'm pretty yeah. good at what I do. And I can recognize other people who are better at it. Like he's Johnny on the spot with those facts and citations and so-and-so and Chow and associates did this study and page three. He's pretty good at that stuff. And he yes. doesn't do that public speaking wise professionally no. until COVID. Cause I asked him during the interview, I'm like, where'd you get these skills? You know? And it's kind of like learn on the fly for him. And that's why people like Malone, he started out as a carpenter and decided he wanted to become a doctor and then got a MD PhD scholarship Mm -hmm. and the highfalutin working at the Salk Institute with seven Nobel prize winners. Like he's no joker and he shouldn't be referred to as like that guy guy. while you're trying to talk, talk shit on him. Cause like I said, his resume is longer than your memory, sweetie. So that's rush up. Rush up and respect. I respect people who are smarter than me and I see them all the time and I'm always trying to become smarter because I'm like, there's people way smarter than me out there. Well, to Mark, there's not a whole lot of them. He said there are people out there. One of the things that McCullough and Malone will do is they and they have done. And I've seen this in the past is they in fact, Malone referenced McCullough calling him up and saying, you go on Rogan, make sure that you uh, tell Rogan that I was wrong. It's not one and done. The Omicron can can infect people who had previous infection it's only mild for those individuals but he's that consistent in other words and they're willing to yeah. admit when they're wrong and when the data changes but don't worry crystal and sager have it figured out argument oh well you hear it from everybody else but you know whenever you're talking on both sides of this you need to try and present that fullness so that's what we think i think there's no i think it's outrageous that the man should be taken off of uh twitter and of youtube that he did ultimately invent the mrna uh platform and some of the technology i think he has a right to say uh everything that he has been and i think that the debate around this is very needed if these doctors are becoming fa- world famous. You know, a lot of these guys are on MSNBC all of the time. Do something useful and sit down with this guy or Peter McCullough and be like, no, this is why I think you're wrong. You, this you would be this. so much yeah. more fat. I agree with thing that, you. know, that exchange that. between. Good job, Sagar. Like, yeah. We agree on that. Why yeah. is freedom important, by the way? Why shouldn't people be censored, by the way? Why should we maybe not deal with cartel criminals who have been proven to have lied in these specific exact areas in the recent past? These are questions that are, to me, are all related. Mm-hmm. And there's answers that are non-contradictory in my side. But there was a lot of double thinking what I reviewed in this interview, uh, this this discussion they had uh, the first time. And even watching it back with you, I mean, this was difficult. I think it was a good exercise because people need to see, like, you can't just listen to these things and like believe everything that you're hearing. And we as listeners are highly incredulous and are pointing out, and that's what we're doing silently mentally when we're listening to a clip on our own. But for your benefit, it's like, no, let's, we're parsing this sentence by sentence. Just like if I listened to it the first time, I'm hearing each sentence as a declarative statement, unless it ends with a question mark and it's an inquiry, they are making an assertion. An assertion is an argument. An argument is a claim. It's representing their decision-making process. And if there's errors in that, we might not want to take cues from them. That's it. And if you don't even know how you come to that, I'm probably not going to see your information as consistently reliable. Yeah, each assertion, each statement 
can either be true or false. And a, a two statements put together with a conclusion then is an argument, and that can be valid or invalid. And they make a lot of assertions, a lot of statements, a lot of declarative statements, to your point, many of which are false or yes, false. And on top of that, many of which can be con uh, can be you can show evidence that would contradict their point, which shows it to either be false or we need to do more research and flesh. And out then there should be a ratio. All right. Take the percentage of words I That's said during this episode that were factual and compare it to the things I might have got wrong or was an error on. Correct. Right. And it would be a pretty yeah. high over 90 percent consistently across the board. What I just heard there was almost like a Biden press conference that what, which I could make out didn't make any sense. What's also interesting, you know, one of the things I enjoyed about uh, Robert True Malone, and not a shop and a pressure. Robert Malone's twitter feed originally is because there were actually a lot of scientists there are reddit forums there are a whole bunch of different places that he people were coming on and challenging him including some microbiologists when he first came out he stated something to the effect that well that you're producing the vaccine the mrna is telling your cells it's in, uh, to produce the same sort of spike protein that is that causes the disease covid19 the same sort of spike on the sars-cov-2 that's basically the one that causes the disease and so these researchers, microbiologists went on and said, no, 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 you're right. It's like 90 some percent the same, but they changed two amino acid sequences on this protein. And so it shouldn't connect into human cells and it shouldn't proliferate. Now, data, there's been multiple studies that show that travels across. It doesn't stay at the injection site. It goes all across the body. And it is, in fact, it is it's so much so that Pfizer even admits that there's a associated disease it's sort of like antibody dependent enhancement we've played it and a they're fine with ago. telling you all this but not until everyone takes it a couple of times then they'll tell everybody all this including stuff kids they're... yeah yeah they want everybody on it let's get this two minutes left sanjay gupta yes. and rogan was one of the best yeah, it really was conversations I... that we've seen in this regard God, they thought that one was good i mean it was a good conversation mm -hmm. it was joe rogan ripping him a new asshole uh, and then they go over some data. They go over some evidence. Sure. Um, because people have a lot of reasons to be skeptical and uncomfortable that are legitimate. Our healthcare system does suck. People have had bad experiences with the medical system. Mm -hmm. You have been lied to. I mean, some of it, we just learned this week about these prenatal tests oh from the God. New York yeah, Times. We were about this yesterday. That, right. you know, I had when I was pregnant with my second, I think both of my, my second two, that you're told, like, they're going to tell you whether you have these rare conditions. And they're wildly inaccurate. Like 90% like, wrong. Like, like 90% of <laughs> the positive instances end up being incorrect. And Here we go again with them proving. Do you think point. that's accidental, Crystal? Because oh, uh, what they do, uh, for those of you who are not parents yet, they give you this option and they say you can have this test. And if your baby has any of these awful diseases, then you can decide to terminate the pregnancy. And it's like a little, 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 uh, uh, like, uh, what are they? A little crystal ball. Oh, it's a little crystal ball that they use to look into the future. And they say, oh, your kid's going to be plagued with this awful ailment do you really want to bring them into this world and struggle like that it seems like a depopulation measure uh and for people like me and my wife we didn't have that test because we weren't interested in any of that type of results you know and i think the people who buy into that maybe i don't know like they're buying into an argument that's caveat emptor in this world it's been like that for thousands of years and you're buying into a line that probably gave you 90 percent inaccurate readings and what were you using those readings for on those tests to make life decisions 
And so if the quality of the tests is not accurate, can you be making decisions and get your expectations met? No. Same with PCR tests, according to Kerry Mullis. And you might also consider what he had to say about our friend Fauci. It's a good judge of character. And there's very little disclosure about it. So bottom line is people have good reasons for feeling skeptical and nervous about the information that you're being provided. Trying to censor and kick off platforms and shut down and pull the clips and all this stuff, you are only adding fuel to the fire. You are only feeding their narrative that these views are uncomfortable and they don't want the truth to come out and all of these things. So much better to engage and debate and not be afraid of having the exchange, if you're confident in your views, don't be afraid of having the exchange. That is ultimately my bottom line here. That's right. Hey guys, thanks so much for watching. And don't be afraid of having your views. That's hilarious. Do you hear what she just said? Hold on, hold on. She just said, if if you're confident in your views, don't don't be ashamed or scared or something to that effect. I think Robert Malone and Peter McCullough would welcome uh, Sanjay yeah, I think so. Or, I think uh, there's Hotez no fear on this side. Fauci I think the fear is on the side of yes. uh, the yes. the people hiding behind things that don't work and the science oh that my. isn't science. That was just painful. But it's you know, it was worth doing. It took yeah. five and a half hours tonight to get that done. But uh, we have yeah. we have uh, taken the official narrative and shattered it into a thousand pieces like if somebody dropped a crystal ball off the top of the world trade center not the person but the actual thing it would shatter all over the place like that argument just did all right any other clips that we got to get uh into the time capsule for this week the people in the future like is that linda larouche in there i'll just go over it very quick um sending that to the future so there's we skipped a section that i the vaccine and the vaccine king injury. charles in the future is going to find that there's the guy, a, you know. interestingly enough there's this um brett weinstein interviewed this uh philosophical epistemologist uh talking about vaccine injury she was vaccine injured she talked about the objectivity behind vaccine injury uh the gaslighting and such so here's a whole different segment that sort of would contradict a lot of what chris joel and sager are talking about about the safety and effectiveness uh Anyways, that's the 13-year-old boy tragically died of a heart attack, COVID, all that stuff. CNN medical ethicist destroy lives when vaxxed Americans. Major life insurance CEO admits 40% increase in death in American workforce. So that was Nothing a very interesting. Nothing to see here, folks. Move along. Yeah. One American insurance CEO discusses the rise in deaths between 1864 and 40% over pre-pandemic numbers. Really scary uh, if that ends up being corroborated by other life insurance agencies. Um, CNN gives an award for Pfizer CEO law three plus. Okay. There isn't. So this was an interesting three plus billion to die next 10 years. Obviously this is a bit hyperbolic. There's issues with this, but there's also is award re- code for something else. Cause there's some other things that go on on CNN that might make sense in that context. So, Not an award though. Right. And then there's it's like when you're reading Podesta and cheese pizza, it's like, what are they talking about? So, and then there's uh, 108 soccer players dead after COVID vaccines. So the Owen Troyer goes into this and we, there's a lot of this, just a lot of uh, this week, a couple of soccer players who went down. So that's just in there. I just want to give a shout out to uh, this really fantastic interview um, that, uh, well, we can't play it. But I'm just going to let people know about it. 
This is Dark Horse Podcast. He interviewed Gruff Davies, who's, uh, I believe, a uh, physicist from the UK, a physicist, and Linda Benskin. They do uh, analyses of all the studies associated with vitamin D, and also studies have been done associating vitamin D and COVID-19. Incredible interview, uh, especially getting into how the data is manipulated in statistics and all that stuff. So it's really worth checking out. I was very impressed. I couldn't. I well, put Tony, a- if people knew that standing in the sun could help their health against COVID, there'd be nobody lining up for vaccines. Come on now. And then there's I have this segment subsection called pandemic studies and fear. Fauci admits COVID hospitalizations are recounted. We did play. That was part of like, I think that Dell Big Tree section earlier. Norwegian vaccine researcher says pandemic is over for most. Omicron will run through the population and give natural antibodies uh, combined with the vaccine should be good to go is what she claims. Um, NIH funded 257 grants on social disparities with COVID and not how it spreads or who it infects the most. You know, so that's where your tax money is going, funding studies like that. Yale tells students they cannot eat at local restaurants because COVID is COVID. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo is going to avoid charges in nursing home death count. What a surprise. And there is an interesting Robert Malone article. He has his own little, speaking of Robert Malone, what if the largest experiment on human beings in history ends up being a failure? And he talks about the Indiana Life Insurance Company report about 40% increase in death between 18 and 64-year-olds compared to pre-pandemic numbers. Yeah, that's the other question I want to ask these people who are like so sure of themselves and asserting that they can take away other people's rights. That's my only issue. Because right now the argument is people who are unvaccinated are a threat to these other people and therefore they should be locked up in camps and apartheid and all this other stuff that they're doing. Right. That's their argument. And what if the what if the table turns on that? Is that how we should treat them? Because we're not the side that does as they do. We would be nice probably and like, hey, you know, you guys shouldn't have done that, but we're not really going to take it out on you. But I feel like right now they're like, we can get these people into camps and we can, you know, and what happens when you guys all start dying off and we're the only healthy people left on the planet? What happens in that scenario? Have you guys thought about that scenario? Cause you're pretty sure that's not the scenario and uh, all the data is kind of pointing against that. So. Well, if I may real quick, um, James Jordan, first of all, I wanted to get his blog on the show, but he did shout out to James um, LD. Mm-hmm. What's this? If you can bring up his, I don't know. You might not be able to bring it up, but What's what's because uh, he posted it from hold on, hey, this put, give me two seconds here. I'm going to bring this on up. Odyssey. You're talking his channel on Odyssey. Well, for, he has an Odyssey uh, channel, but then he has Grand Theft World. He has a blog. Um, I'm going to bring this up. So he has one he just published, The Subtle Art of Human Puppetry. This is interesting. So let me bring this up here. This is the Drizzle it's blog on GTW. Um, I forget the name of his blog. So if you can find the name of that for me, LD. Uh see if you gave me the name anyways so he has a couple he's doing some really great research but he found rich i know you're aware of this but he shared with us this week and for those who are unfamiliar james is a member of the autonomy community he's an autonomy graduate and he started his own blog he's also one of the co-hosts alongside phoenix of the liberty radio on monday nights but you talked about putting people in camps and so he shared very disturbing evidence and research in washington state now where they have a proposal here let me see if I can put this on the screen. Contaminated or contamination. Um, let me see if I can bring this up. New York State has a, a similar. Yeah, that's that's a four sixteen in New York State. Yeah. yeah. Uh, 
James's Audi. James's blog is manufacturingreality.org. Okay, my he bad. Is, he is posting yeah, at the bottom, what is it? Down at the bottom of grandtheftworld.com uh GTW reports his uh his posts are, Oh, GTW reports, okay. So his blog is different. Than this. Okay. Nice. I appreciate that. Well, which frustrates I'm just gonna just gonna do this real quick because I don't think it's gonna work. So here, um, contaminate or contamination means containing or having contact with infectious agents or chemical or radiological elements. Contamination control measures means the management of persons, animals, goods, and facilities that are contaminated. This is the, the language inside the Washington state uh, legislature mm. as part of this bill that he uh, is talking about. Uh, detention or detainment means physical restriction of activities, individual, a person by confinement for the purpose of controlling, preventing a serious imminent threat to public health. It may include one or more of the following physical plant facilities, equipment, and our personnel to physically restrict activities of the individual person to accomplish. These I think they made a typo when they were translating it from Russian, because that's something that was written during the time of the gulag and just reprinted, reprinted. Right. Yeah. These I people mean, were that that's, and That's silly again, but if you don't put it in check, like there's a group of people that had a piece of paper, they all signed and agreed to it and you're party to it, but you didn't have any informed consent. That's not a contract in the real world. There must be consideration. There must be informed consent for business to, to be conducted. Otherwise, that's skullduggery. That's piracy. That's banditos attacking and plundering. It's not going to be treated as friendlies. Correct. Once people understand that the that it's not a, a friendly misunderstanding and that these people are doing it on purpose and they're going they're going for uh their goal line in other words it transcends gonna... a virus and the disease it causes it's it's more about control and here assembly bill a416 this is for legislative legislative session 2021 through 2022 relates to the removal of cases contacts and carriers of communicable diseases who are potentially dangerous to public health to the public health this is new york state so Washington is, State is or is not control now. the only reason that they did gain a function in the first place. It's all about control. That's why would they create these things in the first place? It, it puts fear in people. Yeah. And that's why you don't mess with Collins and Fauci because they control bioweapons. Everyone knows that. So with this real quick um, to end this now. Tim Pool is swatted this week. A couple of days ago. Yeah. Yeah. I so saw I, I saw it go down live. Like I was watching the show and I saw like the reaction when they were like uh, when it was going on. And then over the next couple of days, they dripped out like, here's a clip of this. And you could see like the 911 call. You could see uh, the police going through his house. You could see them verbally standing their ground and saying, if you don't have a warrant, we would like you to leave. Very the cops politely, claiming but exigent circumstances, which doesn't hold up in court because no. they knew it was likely a prank, but they had to check it out anyway. Mm -hmm. And they probably did the same thing on other people's properties. They had to come in and do a wellness check because they got a report through some 911 call. And I'm sure they disturbed a whole bunch of people in that neighborhood trying to resolve. Yes, that. that's that's correct. We're all said. Yeah. So that's that was a big topic. The other and they're top likely going to catch whoever did it. And it's likely related to like because it's like there's a limited number trolling. of people who would do something like yeah. that. That's dangerous trolling, man. Calling it's in the murder trolling. attempt on somebody else. Oh, yeah, that's stupid. So there's only like stupid, like uh, irresponsible trolls out there that would do that to tim pool and why wouldn't they have done that on any night prior to that ever in history right like what changed in the that 24-hour period oh the lightning rod was on the show 
who people call in death threats for all the time well she probably has some haters out there and somebody was probably tg most crystal doesn't like her you heard her uh (laughs) you know just hilarious right and I listened to part of that interview, by the way. With, if you don't um, like Marjorie her, how do you feel about Jeffrey She's like Epstein. a nice little like, do you like Midwestern. Really, really not like show. him, or like, yeah. like the gradations of well, like here's a bad person. Well, how do you put them on the on the spectrum here? Like, I'm just trying to gauge what your your sense of this world is, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, right. Yeah. Not going so, well there. And last but not least, necessarily, um, January six. Bit lots of news this week about that. I have a whole big section in the technology, so people can check that out. There's so much insanity associated with January 6th being some sort of like demented holiday. I heard some pigeons talking about that. They said, "Coo, coo." Yeah, yeah. Also, some Maxwell Epstein, Prince Andrew. Three Bill Hicks jokes in this episode. If you can find them, those are the Easter eggs. Go ahead. But Prince Andrew, um, I guess one of them was a waitress joke. (laughs) Anyways, what you reading for? No. No, no, we're good. No, we're. I mean, that there's this more fallout from you know Prince Andrews. The Queen won't pay for his defense. He has to sell some. Do you think she's doubling down on Chucky Boy right now? Charles, yeah, has to. You're going to to be king. I think she's. Yeah, we have to cover up this Andrew thing somehow. So let's make you king. Pretty much. Let's have a royal funeral and then a royal coronation with a coronavirus, a coronal. Yeah. Yeah. Queen refuses to pay for Prince Andrew's pedo defense zero hedge article. So that's kind of funny. Well, don't think Andrew Prince have Andrew. Some dirt on his ma. So they'll be throwing Prince some Virginia dirt on his Joffrey. ma soon. Yeah. There. Yeah. You can just see the pictures right there. And there's, of course, Jizz Lane herself in the back. Which happens first? Andrew throws dirt on his mom or Charles throws dirt on his mom? Honestly, I don't think either, though. I, I, if anything, the mom will have both of them. Oh, she would eat her young. So might be how she stays alive. Yeah, I mean that's you know, it's all that blood, that purified blood, baby's blood. Joke, joking. Ah, we'll leave it all to Lyndon Larouche. He'll he'll tell us about the Queen's habits. So that's that's, and then there's plenty of other stuff we can cover it during the Tuesday night town hall, seven o'clock p.m. I hope to host a pilot course soon about in uh, fallacies and uh definition and that will be probably sometime in february got kind of delayed with the covid but uh that'll it'll kick up sometime first quarter 2022 and uh ld who do we gotta thank for this evening's uh event and festivities yes big thanks to our rockfin supporters especially morgan lesko former vp biden David Levine, Nicholas Chichi, Fabrizio, Nick Chichi, Matt Green, Eugene Braverman, Dwellies, Bent Rig, and B1. Thank you so much. And we did want to shout out uh, or uh, direct people to the Propaganda Report Rockfin page for Monica Perez. Yes. For Monica indeed. Perez and Brad Binkley. And you can find them on Patreon. And I think they. They've been trying to get people to go to locals.com. Got that mute button on the floor. Yeah. So, uh, no, she was a great guest. That was fun having her on. And um, I'll be back in my studio next week. Great job, Tony. Um, I can't wait to have you back. Great job, Tony, running. (laughs) This is really hard to do. And, like, the Zoom was screwing up. and But I got by. So Yeah, we got through it. Yeah. And um, 
you know, for the record, uh, the first name you mentioned of supporting tonight, Morgan Lesko. Uh, Morgan Lesko's dad, Matthew, is uh, he's he's a famous person that you've probably seen on a TV commercial in the past. If you're anywhere near my age, uh, he used to do the um, he he had the suits with the question marks on them. So there's like he's got a hundred different suits with question marks all it, and it was about asking these questions to get uh, grants and all sorts of college money and things that are just sitting out there. And if you know the right questions to ask, you can go find these things. And uh, yeah, I think that's a, a pretty cool way to make the statement is uh, by making the question mark more visible. Asking those questions opens up opportunities that other people aren't exploring. And I think that's the whole point. When you ask questions, you're opening the doors. When you have curiosity to learn, you're opening doors. And that leads to liberty and freedom. And when you make assumptions, you're slamming and closing doors, sometimes on your opportunities, blocking you from being able to move forward, keeping you in a state of fear where you can't get your learning on because you assume you already know what's up. So uh, until next week, keep asking questions, finding substantial answers. And uh, be kind to each other out there because that civil war they're brewing up doesn't need to take place, doesn't need to happen. We certainly don't need to fuel it in any way, shape or form. Uh, we should insulate ourselves against it just in case it happens and make plans for freedom to still exist in 2022 and far beyond. With that being said, uh, we'll be back here next week. Thank you all for tuning in and not dropping out. Do we have anyone to play us out tonight? Just we didn't think that far hard, ahead. Not to get deplatformed in 2022 by JP Sears. I didn't think that far ahead. But, you know. Oh, awaken with JP Sears. Fine way to kick off the year. And last little quick thing. It looks like uh, this is January 10th coming out of Australia. Sky News Australia. Djokovic wins court case against Australian government. So looks like uh, nice. that's getting resolved, um, even though he was detained against his i hope they have a time machine and they can give him his days back yeah exactly especially over christmas we stole we stole orthodox catholic so he missed his christmas technically because he was in a a, a shitty detainment center it's a hotel uh filled with just a very deplorable conditions from my understanding anyways to thank you everyone tonight and uh thank you rich and ld and see you guys uh, while the jp sears plays out here peace Hey, how are Sorry, I just had to delete someone's online existence. What's up, buddy? How you doing? Hey, big tech. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm good. You sure? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, sure. I'm, I'm great. You so nervous. What? I do? Yeah, you seem very nervous. Well... I'm not. Are you sure? Positive. Really? Of course. For real? Well, uh, there might be a little something on my mind I've been worried about. Oh, well, what is it? I'm here for you. Well, you know, the thing is, I I earn my living online and my social media presence is a big part of that. And like being able to participate in public discourse nowadays pretty much necessitates you got to be on social media. Mm-hmm. And... You kind of got a monopoly on free speech. You said it, not me. But officially, I have no idea what you're talking about. Right? Yeah, that's really funny. So just with all that said, I've been kind of nervous that 
this year you're gonna deplatform me. What? We wouldn't do that. Oh, you wouldn't? No. Really? Yeah, we might. Oh. But you have nothing to worry about as long as you follow our community guidelines. Yeah, about those. I'd be happy to follow them. It's just, is there any way you could give me half a clue about what they are? Yes, it's easy. Our community guidelines are that you must follow our community guidelines. Right, I get that. And thank you so much for reiterating that part. It's just, is there any way you could be more specific? Yeah. Our community guidelines are that you must specifically follow our community guidelines. Cool, that lands really well. It's just that second community guideline that the first community guideline necessitates that you follow. Could you be more specific about what that community guideline is? No, I can't do that. Why not? Because then we'd have to follow them. That's not gonna work for us. Why wouldn't that work for you? Well, the field of misinformation is an ever-evolving one, a really subjective field. And leaving our community guidelines undefined allows us to redefine what misinformation is on a moment-to-moment -moment basis and then censor indie platform people without warning. Being able to change our guidelines on a moment-to-moment -moment basis helps keep us present in the moment instead of getting lost in the future with predictable guidelines. It's the power of now. It's a good book. You should read it. Okay, well, that's pretty much why I'm nervous. Oh, you're just being dramatic. No, I'm not being dramatic. My livelihood depends on me not getting deplatformed. And the problem with that is I don't know what will get me deplatformed. You know, me being able to feed my children and not have them starving kind of depends on this. I don't feel empathy when you say that. I just need a little help from you to help clue me in. Because we're friends. You care about me, right? Yeah. Then can you give me a few hints to help me not get deplatformed? All right. Now. When you're posting on Twitter, is it hardcore porn? If so, that's okay. But if you're gonna post about a medical doctor's medical opinion based on their medical experience and medical expertise, that's a no-no, okay? And a little insider tip for you. Anytime you're about to post something, just ask yourself this question. Does what I'm about to post support individual liberty and freedom? And if so, and if you're gonna post something that supports the government having more control over everyone's lives, then go right ahead. In fact, we'll actually boost it with our algorithm so it reaches more people. But being pro-government, more controlled has nothing to do with my content. I'd probably just change your content, okay? Oh, and this is a big one. If you're gonna post something that's less than supportive to the pharmaceutical industry's business model, then bang. <laughs> Noted, just don't say anything about that whole thing. Is there anything else you can tell me? Yeah, pop quiz. Let's say you came down with an illness and you got better using treatments that you've seen smeared on the news, but they worked for you. Should you share about your successful experience using such treatments on social media? Well, yeah, it'd be my moral duty to share health-saving measures with my... <laughs> It's your duty to say nothing. And it's our duty to deplatform you if you say something. What else can I not say? Oh, you know Bill Gates? Yes. Don't talk about him. Well, what can I say? If something feels true in your heart and it could be measured using objective scientific means, 
Do not post about it. But I asked you what I can say. Oh, I thought you said can't. Well, what can you say? Geez, there's so much. It's hard to think of any of it. Ah, how do you feel about China? I am very worried about them. Well, there you go. Just change how you feel about China and then talk about that. What else, what else, what else, what else? Uh, oh, do you like pop culture? Uh, I think most of it's soulless. Exactly, so it's completely safe to talk about. Oh, and on that note about China, how do you feel about Anthony Fauci? I'm pretty suspicious of him based on the trail of- But? But what? But you'd be better off just talking about how effective his guidance has been. No, but in reality, there's a lot of truth to the harm he's brought to our country. Those true things are just baseless pieces of misinformation. You're only allowed to post about truth. But the harm he's done is based in truth. Look, I've got this whole book that documents and proves the wrongful. You'll get deplatformed. Okay, so I don't want to talk about Dr. Fauci. Can I talk about Dr. Robert Malone? <laughs> no, 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 no. Is there anything else I can talk about and not get deplatformed? Oh yeah, I can't believe I didn't think about this before. Vegetables. You can say anything you want about vegetables. Wow, that's very generous of you. I suppose I can also openly talk about meat? Nope, you can't do that. The climate crisis narrative that we're helping to usher in requires us to push the narrative that meat causes climate change. So anyway, we gotta suppress a lot of information on this one to help BlackRock take control of the whole food supply. What? Nothing. So you're helping usher in the climate crisis? There's always been climate, but what we're doing is helping add the crisis part to climate. So you're just not gonna wanna talk about the weather in a positive light, unless you wanna risk getting deplatformed. Shucks, this is all great. Is there anything else I can post about online and not get deplatformed? No, that's about it. I think you're killing free speech. Reincarnating it into controlled speech is how we look at it. Expansion is the nature of the universe and everything in God's creation. But what we're doing is trying to constrict everything. You're trying to play God here. No, God expands and frees. We constrict and control. So it's like we're playing the opposite of God whatever you want to call that. Satan? Probably. Wow. Good talk, buddy. Yeah. Oh, and be on the lookout this year. We're going to start selling some of your private information back to you. You're probably going to want to have some of it. That's very generous of you. Um, thank you for your advice on helping me not get deplatformed. You're welcome. But one of these days, we're going to get you. Well, I got to run. I got a meeting in the woods where we all wear hooded robes. Oh, do you have a spare child around here I can use for something? What? Oh, it's just a common courtesy sacrifice kind of thing. No. Ah, too bad. Let me know if you find one. Great. And keep that mouth of yours shut. <laughs> Conspiracy is the story of history. It's the story of plunderers taking care of people who produce. They claim to take care of them through government, which doesn't give you anything. It doesn't take away first. So it's not creating something out of nothing. It's very real what they're doing. They're taking your rights or taking some people's rights and adding more to someone else's rights. If you haven't heard about our Grand Theft World community membership, here are a few of the things you've been missing. A mobile app where you can access replays of the Grand Theft World podcast and show notes. Access to the Grand Theft World community on Discord, where we crowdsource news and resources, and you can contribute to the show. The opportunity to participate in the Grand Theft World bi-weekly town hall. Exclusive content from Richard Grove, including behind-the-scenes footage and future access to unpublished material. 
93 episodes of the Peace Revolution podcast, and the Grand Theft World newsletter delivered straight to your inbox each week. If you want to stay ahead of the great game, visit us at grandtheftworld.com, click or tap the button in the top right-hand corner, and join a vibrant community of researchers blazing a new path to truth. We'll see you there. Thank you.